0: Tiny people, when we play with them. Ooh. Ooh. We paint tiny people, then we play
1: with them. Hello, and welcome to episode seven of Monthly at the Creighton Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston and as ever, I'm joined by Tom Senior.
2: Hello.
1: Hi, Tom. Hello. Number seven is the number of Nurgle. Oh, we got it wrong last time. We did. It was the number of Sinesh last time. Oh,
2: okay. It did feel like an especially kinky week. You... Month even
1: <laughs> They always aren't. Today, I've got a cold. So those things all, <laughs> um, those things yeah, all add true. up. All... Yeah. So it,
2: we have to beat each other to death when it's uh corns, uh Yeah, that's next. Next it? month so is... We die. Next is, month is the end of Monthly.
1: <laughs> and then... Um, uh, and then the episode after that is all change <laughs> with a new yeah, cast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the cast will be like a tentacle and a fish. We'll pass on our scores to them so that mm. they can keep the magic going. Yeah. Well, you know, you got that to look forward to. So yeah, <laughs> we had to announce the cancellation of the podcast with next month's episode. <laughs> uh, that's not true. We're not no, doing that. We're going on. Um, how are you, Tom? How's, how's your month of it's, stuff I, been? I, very
2: well. I actually, I've not had a huge amount of time to paint many miniatures. I've done some space marines, some mm. Primaris in the Iron Hands chapter scheme, uh, which was fun. But apart from that, I've mostly been playing, actually, because Path to Glory, loads of exciting games of AOS. And waiting for the uh, the General's Handbook, which, which is one of the just incredible amount of news that's happened this month. Yeah,
1: that's the thing. So I, too, have had a limited amount of time, but it's all gone into one big boy, hmm. one big bird boy. Um But uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, you're right. This has been a kind of... They've all felt like they've been nuts months for news. Yeah, and I think it's maybe it's that's you and I adjusting to the different pace of news hmm. in miniatures land where stuff just comes out constantly yeah um but you know it has nonetheless been a big when we were putting through the, the list of topics for news it just kind of gets absurd at a certain point but we will try and try and get through it so we should start with the general's handbook i think because yeah. that is uh obviously the biggest change of the year to the game we play the most mm. um if you're not aware the general's handbook is sort of like a supplementary rule book for age of sigma and to be honest now it kind of is the rule book for age of sigma yeah um and it's not and rather than go through editions of the game, there's a new general book, general handbook every year, and so 2017 has just come out, um, which means a lot of things from you know adjustments to like new scenarios, but also points adjustments across the board, and is accompanied by a pretty substantial set of FAQs that sort of clean up the game. Um, we haven't you know chance to play with it properly mine hasn't arrived yet at the time that we're recording this which sucks but um, yours has tom so what's your take on it been so far
2: uh it's really interesting there's the new allegiance abilities and uh kind of command traits and extra rules for like, dozens of armies that didn't have them so one of the things the general's handbook does is it uh, updates all of the rules to give uh factions access to allegiance abilities that kind of thing um who wouldn't otherwise get one without an army book and some of those guys are never getting army books realistically ever again because mm. they're um really quite old factions like wanderers who uh is which is the new name for the old wood elves so they've got um really cool uh rules they can retreat and shoot so they can kind of fade back and attack a bit like space can cannon 40k um, and they're really inventive and they're really different. Iron Jaws has had like lo- loads of new rules and you know, mm. even battalions and stuff added. So it really is just a top down, like a, a pretty refreshes the meta, pretty refreshes a lot of the rules, uh, and gives you new ways to play with your old models that you might not necessarily have used
1: in the last year because they've been kind of out of favour. Mm, it feel it does feel like the kind of it's it's like one big patch to mm. the game, yeah. Basically, sure. like, like Skaven got loads of new stuff as well. Yeah, there are new ally rules, uh, which oh, yeah. is a really nice system. So that means mm. that. Basically, approximately twenty percent of your points can now go on allies. Each faction has a different list of allies that it can take, yeah. Uh, potentially, um, you know, and it's quite limiting. Like, not everyone can be friends with everybody else, um, and that means that you can have something from a different faction in your army or up to a certain amount of points uh, without losing your allegiance ability, which is the kind of the the set of bonuses you get for being a particular force so for me it's the Zeech mm-hmm. destiny dice stuff yeah um which is a really nice i think you know it does the the positive thing of opening up the amount of stuff you can use mm. basically within within with some limitations but yeah i think the it's interesting because the first general's handbook brought in points which is kind of used to forget now yeah, like yeah. brought in points as a concept mm. and uh brought in and started to make allegiance abilities more of a thing and that's they've become steadily more of a thing with the mm. factions that have come out this year and the updates that have happened this year um and the game's kind of become to some extent about those things um and if if you play competitively that's that's the qualifier yeah. right uh as ever there's you know um well this maybe this is maybe the thing right like as ever there's nothing stopping you from playing with whatever models you have and house rules whatever it is you want the house rules to make the game feel right for you mm. and to be honest you, you should you should do that mm. and the book is full of little sidebars where it says do that <laughs> yeah, but sure. no one does that mm. people want official stamps on things they want an official way to break the rules and the ally system feels like that in a way it's so games workshop saying fine if you're not going to just jury rig something like this into the game yeah. here is a formalized system for adding different models while keeping your allegiance ability.
2: Yeah, super nice. I love the allies rule. Uh, and it's like, it, it could be really themey and it, I've got some sort of spare silver and Earth just because I wanted to paint the models up. Now suddenly I can just slot them into my stormcast army. Mm. It unlocks like a load of different kind of interesting, um, combinations. So silver and Earth um dryads are a good kind of massed unit you can have loads of them and mm. stormcast doesn't have anything like that so suddenly my army has gained that kind of potential thing like a target mm. unit which you didn't have access to before um but uh, but i was going to take some silver i've got a a branch which i'm going to put some wonders in there as well because it's themy um and i've got some Colonel hunters and that's probably like a, a good little chunk to add to the to my stormcast and yeah. also i get to build a story around that like how did they meet why are they rolling together uh yeah. all, all that good stuff
1: yeah it's interesting because like like i say there was nothing stopping you doing that no it's true but it it, there's something about the stamp of approval that makes it feel more real (laughs) yeah and even i like and i I try i'm becoming more and more of a like i play this for fun and i'm not worried about winning like this is a narrative thing for me yeah yeah. i'm 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 becoming more confident that that's how i want to enjoy it but even me maybe look at the table and think what can i take with my disciples as each now that makes Mm -hmm. that makes a difference Uh, and the answer is nothing that i want but um but nonetheless like um it's funny. It's just, it's funny that what the difference having it be official makes. Yeah. Um The other big sort of thematic change that's happened to the game um, and probably like, so a lot of the points adjustments are, you know, things being tuned up and down mm. based on things that were undercasted or overcasted in the way that you'd expect. And normally those changes are in the order of about like 20 to 40 points. So a lot of the demons I use went down, which is really nice. It means I can fit more of them in the middle list. Um, but things like the Zinch Skyfires, which are very, very powerful, went up a bunch because they've been, you know, reliably winning tournaments. Mm. The big thing that feels more like a kind of a statement on the part of Games Workshop, a statement beyond we would like the game to be more balanced, is what's happened to battalions. Yeah, yeah. So battalions are, um, essentially like, uh, almost like shopping lists of units. Mm. Um, and if you take everything, if you have everything on the list for the battalion, then you can add the battalion to your army, which gives you some extra bonus for the arm- for the units that are in that battalion. Mm. Um, and they also have a bunch of, so, you know, the example, I don't know, like the Hammerstrike Brethren is is something for Stormcast that allows you to use, you, know, you have some prosecutors, and you have some retributors, and then you can send the prosecutors forwards and bring the retributors down on top of the prosecutors. Yeah. You gain that power um there's a one there's a crazy one for zeech uh which i'll do i need more I, it's for t- zeech mortals which is why i can't do it yet but it just means that everything every single weapon that they have gains minus one rend right yeah which is you know that's like right in the battalion the other reasons battalions have been good in the past is um well for one thing they give you extra artifacts so you can take one extra artifact in your army for every battalion yeah. you are taking and also um you can choose when you're deploying to deploy a battalion as if it were a single unit Mm -hmm. rather than deploying each unit in the battalion separately which is a big deal in age of sigma if you're playing competitively because the player who finishes setting up first um can choose who takes the first turn and that is often a very big deal so um what are called one drop armies where your entire army is one battalion and you can just throw it down on the board um are also a big deal so um it might be surprising to hear if you don't know of the system they have all of those strengths and previously a battalion cost like pocket change amount of mm-hmm. points like it was like 40 to 60 maybe some of the really expensive ones were like 100 points yeah but that's usually the kinds of points you'd have left over like you know the awkward you get to nine nineteen, forty 1940 points for your list mm-hmm. your 2000 point list and you'll just slot in a 40 or 60 point battalion in there almost every battalion in the game has gone up by at least 100 points hmm. which is a kind of interesting change like hammer strike went up a lot didn't it
2: yeah i think it's at 220 which is the price of you know five retributor paladins yeah, yeah so i mean that's a, that's a really big deal um it's interesting because it forces you to build a list around that thing and rather than just sort of taking things on the off chance and also it recognizes the all the the points costs reflect the the wide range of utility you just described um it's almost like they were appointed as you know for the rules that, that what they actually let you do on the battlefield and didn't take into account the idea that it lets you control turns uh turn order to some extent mm. it's got and the extra artifacts are useful as well and um, hammer strike is amazing it's uh one of the sort of uh it's a totally dick thing to do to someone because uh the rules for summoning things down uh always force you to summon down uh your unit nine inches away from the enemy uh, and your charge roll is on 2d6 so your your odds off on getting that charge off on a nine on two D six. Um whereas the hammer strike lets you lets you kind of put them I think like six inches away or something crazy. Mm. Um so then your odds on to make the charge, which is a big deal if you're gonna try to get your retributes very expensive units into something important like a lot of change. Yeah.
1: It's interesting because um like I was thinking about I really like the change. It's been one of those uh, you know, there's been some grumbling about it and there's been some mm. you know, people are happy about it. I'm I'm happy about it. I think on balance, there's a few reasons for that. One is that um, I think most of those battalions are worth the cost of a unit, which is kind of where they've been costed too. Yeah. They're now the cost of like a good unit, basically, most of them. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a trade-off because often, you know, the impact of a battalion is often losing a unit. Basically, like, mm. you know, when the Hammer Strike comes down with the Star Soul Maces that do automatic mortal wounds and things from Retributors, you you're probably going to kill something expensive yeah. or get it into kill range with that when you do it. Yeah. Um, and so it should probably cost you an amount of points equal probably to the thing you're going to kill because mm. you're taking that away from your opponent right like you both spend 160 points because yeah. if you bring that down and or if you bring that down and let's say you brought it down and you got my lord of change to half health you know using that set of abilities this didn't happen by the way we're not alluding to anything that happened later no. but nonetheless then you know previously you would have done like half health on a 300 point model yeah with with the pocket change left over with units you were going to take anyway mm. and I think that's the thing I think the other thing is because a lot of the time you wanted those units it was a complete no brainer so there was no decision made yeah, to good. be made there right you yeah, just yeah. of course you take it I think it also has a knock on effect to making the game a lot more friendly to new players mm. because um, it's quite unlikely that your first when you build your first thousand points or whatever it's it depends on the faction but it's quite unlikely that you're going to have a good battalion yeah you know and it makes a huge difference, right mm. like you know there's it now feels a lot better right that like if you if you have just a thousand points worth of stuff and your friend has a battalion, then realistically they have an eight hundred point army and a bonus that's really obvious, mm. but it's a huge bonus, yeah, which is feels a bit better than them having a nine hundred and sixty point army and this trick you can do, yeah, and I think in turn that helps the game feel thing of like oh, by the way, the retributor bus is coming
2: mm formations like that do kind of limit your list building i find as mm. well so you're like you're building it towards it's easy enough if i was as you say i was going to take two units of Retributors and some prosecutors anyway for hammer strike um but there's one which is like a, a really insane shooting where you've got like a venator you've got like a an Osiris, you've got a couple of units of judicators and some long strikes i was like well that's like a third of the army built for me if i take mm. that thing and that and I, I prefer having the choice of actually, you know, actually, I want to spend these 700 points on, you know, a lot of different things.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm, um, a lot of my kind of stuff I've been doing this month is revolved around the fact that at the end of this week, um, I'm going to blackout at Firestorm in Cardiff, yeah. um, which is, uh, pretty big. It's going to be like 80 plus players. Right. Um, Age of Sigmar event, the biggest, certainly only the second event I've ever done and definitely the biggest. Hmm. And I've got to bring a 2000 point army, which I am going to be doing some speed painting this week <laughs> to get ready for. Um, but it's been this, you know, one thing's, i was waiting for was you know i mean the new points have only come out a week in advance of the event right. so everyone involved is going to have to have been waiting mm-hmm. to see because they've they, they said that they would if the handbook was out in time they would use the handbook and that's fun right everyone gets to sort yeah. of see the new stuff for the first time yeah. but it's become a really interesting decision because um i was going to take a uh, battalion called the change host which is fun but also reasonably competitive as each demons which is a lord of change and eight plus other demons basically mm. demon units yeah and then it, in my hero phase, depending on how many of them are around, I can start swapping them. So you think you're charging the Lord of Change, but guess what? He's some pink horrors now. Right? And you it? think you're charging the changeling, but guess what? He's some screamers now. Mm. They have to be within a bubble of the Lord of Change to do it, but it's kind of interesting, kind of themey. Yeah. Um, And that was previously 60 points. So it was kind of a no-nonsense bolt-on at the end of the, the thing. It's now 160 points. Right. Which is the same as a Chaos Sorcerer Lord, which mm. is a guy I like a lot for his buff and stuff. And it's left me with an interesting decision to make because... I know me, and I know the prob- the one thing I probably don't need to add to my Zinch army is a very complicated thing <laughs> to do in the hero phase. Yeah, yeah. Because I have enough of them, mm. and I miss three crucial ones <laughs> every single time I play the game. Yeah. Um, And the flip side as well is that, like, I have no illusions about my success rate in Average Sigma. I'm a man who's won two games ever. So I shouldn't really be going to this tournament thinking, time to win some games. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only... Thing I have a chance of maybe doing okay in is like painting competition, best army, something like that. I don't think I will because like Mm. the, there are a lot of amazing painters going, so I don't think I have a huge chance. But getting an extra model is, is more of a bonus in that regard. So I'm sort of thinking about using my 160 points on a character. Also, partly from a story point of view, I quite like the idea of having this one sorcerer <laughs> in the middle of this huge tide of demons. Like, yeah, coming, it's coming from him in a <laughs> He's way. Joined like, the wrong party, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like kind of part of a stack dude, He never. He's gone him. on holiday by mistake <laughs> to hell. Um, uh, yes. So um, actually, I've just I've just decided that um, that my you know I've I mentioned it before. My Chaos sorcerer lord, whose idea is he never really mm. gets blessed with the full the full kind of demonhood yeah, thing. Yeah. I think his attitude was that should be, like, kind of with Nell and I a style frustrated actor. <laughs> <laughs> like, just sort of deadbeat Sorcerer Lord of Zinch. Yeah. Just sort of wandering around a moor. Good. That's so, awesome. Yeah, I've decided that now. He's... he's he,
2: something always interesting happens around that hero. I, I don't know what Yeah, we'll get there later. Yeah. Yeah,
1: he, he, uh, he's definitely the, the main character of these games. <laughs> yeah. Even if, uh, it, like, literally just... I mean, I suppose he's, he's tasted success exactly once. Mm. But, yeah, he's the sort of... Yeah, maybe the other comparisons. he's kind of like the Joe Bluth of, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of I've made a huge mistake moments in his life. <laughs> yes. Um, he's chosen, he's made fantasy. We will get to that. We'll get to that but yeah, so that's a huge change to the game. So yeah, we're still kind of, um, so the, the book is out. We haven't played with it properly yet, uh, because mine hasn't arrived, mm. which is a thing. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. It's great though. It's really good. Um, the other thing it's been accompanied by is, so last time on the podcast, we talked about, uh, we played again, the game with 40k, we played with the open play, well, open war cards oh, yeah. 40k, which are kind of like car- a deck of cards that generate a scenario for you on the fly. Yeah, it's really good. And I loved them mm. and I kind of wanted only to ever play that way. Yes. And they came out for AOS. Right. Same time as general's handbook. Yeah. So great stuff. Yeah. I've got mine at home. Yeah. So certainly. that's going to be, we'll, we'll, play with those next time. Yeah. I imagine we will. Um, the other thing that has happened, which is interesting is, uh, alongside the general's handbook, they issued a huge set of FAQs, so mm. rules updates for everything else in the game, which went a lot deeper than I thought they would. Right. They weren't just like, you know, wording clarifications or things. They're like, they've, they've like completely changed one of the spells from the Disciples of Sneak Book to just make it do something else because mm. it was kind of too confusing and niche as it was. Right. And it's kind of, it's interesting to see how willing they are to just. Because I come from an X-Wing background where a lot of the years of of balancing that game have been around. There's been sort of some things about giving rules or cards or whatever that almost felt like taboo Mm. when it comes to FAQing them. Like everyone kind of understands like you can FAQ this, but that's too far. Changing the points value of something is too far. Changing something that's been printed on a card is too far. You you can work out the rules behind the scenes, but
0: Mm.
1: not so. Uh, But not so GW, who over the course of this month, both in 40K and in Age of Sigma, have been pretty... Pretty making some pretty dramatic changes to games, which has been interesting, particularly for 40k. Yeah, like I don't know if you saw, like within like a week of a big American tournament, they completely faq'd out one build. <laughs> right, which is kind of something I wanted to discuss because yeah, it's so traditionally when changes come slower to these games, winning a lot of tournaments means breaking the game. Hmm. But I say winning a lot of tournaments. I don't mean it's not possible to win a tournament using whatever because squigs won the open heat, heat three yeah but if what you care about doing is going to a lot of tournaments and winning a lot of tournaments mm. everyone probably knows the ways that you will achieve that right yeah like broadly yeah there are there are ways of exploiting loopholes and things and and predominantly games which are, games are about exploiting loopholes if all you want to do is win mm. i think like that's tends to be it and then there is obviously the you know drama and skill and, and stuff but it comes from two armies that are both trying to exploit loopholes <laughs> right, yeah. meeting each other mm. if you go with just normal stuff you're probably doomed mm. at a certain point and that's one of the reasons this this handbook update is so, so exciting but the thing that i've been interested in this month is with faq changes arriving so quickly i wonder if they're trying to send the message that chasing that far end of the meta like the breaking breaking the game meta mm. isn't worth it because it's expensive right like it's expensive to go out and buy. Like the the, the example this month is. So, you, do you see the Carriage and Overlords thing? Uh, the no, they, I'm not sure. they changed. um... Oh, they rewrote War Scroll, didn't they? Yeah, they rewrote an entire up, like, War Scroll and just put it in the General's Handbook as yes. like a bonus thing. Yeah. And the reason for that was this is super interesting. This is total like spirit of the game, letter of the game thing, which I think is at the heart of like all Warhammer arguments, right? Basically, yeah, and all Warhammer game feel things as mm. well, right? Mm. Like all the feel bad stuff. Um is so there's a i think it's it's one of the um it's the grunstock gun people i f- i don't know yeah i don't know something Tom. like that yeah gu- gun gun caravan overlords guys mm. so if you buy the box they are kind of they have the stuff to be kitted out a bit like a space marine tactical squad um you have like mostly guys with rifles one guy with a big heavy weapon and one guy with a special weapon mm. right It kind of maps kind of cleanly onto onto tactical squad in some ways nice right and that's what you get in the box enough bits to do that However, the war scroll, uh, doesn't or didn't explicitly list, um, what I might be getting slightly wrong, but didn't explicitly list how many of each weapon you were allowed. Mm, okay. In their rules writing, they got a bit sloppy and just sort of assumed you would go with what was in the book. Um, and then there's another, I think it's the ether chemist, his, which has now been FAQ'd as well. His ability was you pick one weapon in the group and that weapon is better. Right. So the way. You can see the intent of the rules writers, which was people will build them with mostly rifles, one heavy weapon, one special weapon, mm. and then they have to make the choice with the ether chemist: is do they buff the normal guns or do they buff the heavy weapon for its one shot? Yeah. yeah. What people did was go out and buy ten boxes, yeah. uh, which costs two hundred and fifty quid, to build one unit of ten who all have the cannons, like the big the big guns, because yeah. there was nothing in the rule stopping that for a moment. <laughs> Um, and that's obviously devastating because then you get, you've, you've, you've maxed all of the maxed and minned all of the min and you've ended up with something that's mm. really, really, really good. Um, and the general's handbook and the latest FAQ has just removed that from the game. You just can't legally do that mm. now. And, you know, there's going to be, uh, there's a lot of those character overlords on, on eBay now because, you know, that's <laughs> like, Oh dear. Um, and the same thing, a similar thing happened in 40k where like the thing that was winning all the tournaments when new 40k came out was all raven wings i think which is like one of the flyers, storm ravens all storm ravens oh yeah so it's like rob uh R- robert gerliman and eight storm ravens or something. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah um and and that's because they could fly over to your side of the board and kill you in turn one and mm-hmm. that was the game yeah and so they just uh immediately faq'd it so that um flyers can't take objectives and if that's you um and you if you flyers, basically there's like a new rule where at the start of the second turn you have to roll a dice um i can't remember basically you lose if you have a certain amount of units not on the board mm. and flyers don't count i see right so you, force so you to have, you have yeah. to have something on the ground yeah, and you yeah. know they basically explicitly said you know this is a game about ground combat flyers are there to support the mm. ground combat you yeah, can't yeah. do this and even then, like, the, the, the bus rolls on, like, the most recent 40k tournament was won by, like, 11 assassins, <laughs> right. standing in a line in front of Reboot Gilliman. Because, because the shooting, um, nearest target thing um, means, because yeah. the, the assassins are really hard to shoot at. So <laughs> you have to, you have to shoot the same slippery man 11 <laughs> times before you're allowed to shoot Reboot Gilliman. That's um, so this shit will always exist. Yeah. But I wonder if the fact that they're now, you know, it's not like, oh that didn't work that's not going to work in the next edition that comes that comes four years down the line but it might not work next week right mm-hmm. i wonder if that is intended it hasn't happened yet but i wonder if that's intended to send the message that it's not going to be worth chasing mm. this sort of thing yeah, like yeah. the sort of what i would call it kind of degenerate meta i think maybe the ultimate solution to this is to write rules that can't be quite so brutally exploited <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's there's always a way around though isn't there i
2: mean mm. um <laughs> that their rules writing is getting better there seems to be fewer of this but there's, there's so many war scrolls that can interact um now that it just seems inevitable that the complexity of the system will allow for edge cases to always be there
1: yeah but i wonder if that's what kind of what they're accepting so yeah, they're saying yeah. like we're always gonna have edge cases but we're going to issue faqs so, yeah, every week fuck it off, yeah yeah basically yes <laughs> fuck it off <laughs> um uh,
2: yeah so that's uh, that's really good for the game um I've, i have really enjoyed the last heat which was uh was won by squigs but there's also there's lots of cinch there and the the in vogue thing was to run loads of uh sky regenerating Skyfires. because um they they get the demon keyword from the disc from the disc they're on so that lets them be targeted by a spell that can target demons and yeah. bring them back from the dead um well technically it brings them back from a reality where they didn't die <laughs> I mean, that's true cinch things um which is which is very very good Skyfires are very good anyway um they're really good in combat they're really good in shooting they're really good very really fast they're just sort of a mm. great unit um the way that responded um was to they've, they've still got the the keyword and stuff they're just a lot more expensive now aren't they yeah so that's they're like okay you can take this themed list but it's going to be your list like it's not just going to be you
1: know, like i think literally. so there's one bit of the faq i don't fully understand but it sounds like because the because they get a lot of buffs from the zangor shaman who also rides around a disc and that's intended right yes they're yeah. supposed to be an elite unit that gets more elite if it's got an elite hero next to it which yeah. is fine mm. the the thing was it wasn't just that um because the, the spell that brings them back is fold reality which i use in the legal way, cause I have it on a herald that brings back horrors and screamers and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, not the legal way, the intended way. Sure. But that is a demon spell. Hmm. So it's a demon spell that can be taken by demons that targets demons. Hmm. And the only reason that works with the skyfire shaman combo is because the shaman is on a disc and the skyfires are on discs. Right. So the shaman can take the spell and the skyfires can be affected by it. And they've seemed to have FAQ'd that as well okay because they, they made a wording change to like, it's not exact and i don't i need to someone smarter than me needs to tell me what exactly it means but it sounds like it means basically don't be a dick with the keywords <laughs> like demons can take like it makes almost like a story thing mm. like it, it almost this is an interesting thing i haven't seen them do elsewhere it sounds like they're basically detaching which units can take which spells from the keywords mm. and attaching it to what they are yeah okay so it's like you know, if you are a mortal, you take, if you know, you, but it's like lowercase mortal, mm. you take these. If you are a demon, you take these. Yeah. So you'd have to like look your opponent in the eye and argue that <laughs> the Langor Shaman was a demon when you know it isn't. Yeah. Okay. Which is kind of almost an interesting way of fixing it. Yeah. It's interesting. Hmm. But yeah, so they have to fix that. But yeah, that took a combination of points changes and FAQs and things. Yeah. Uh, but then like there, there are a lot of those lists around, but it's still, they did
2: well, but they didn't dominate um, mm. in heat three. Like it, there was a, a, a strong variety of stuff uh it's a little bit sad when i think the relegation zone is a sad place for an army to fall into so it's almost like what stuff is doing terribly yeah and and death's doing okay but not as quite as well as it could do perhaps you know um and they, they've received a lot of point changes that could bring death back into a tournament to play um which is great because i love death armies mm-hmm. uh, and it's just a way of kind of stirring the pot basically for a year and realistically like people will will figure out loopholes um
1: but only the, like, who's going to drop two hundred and fifty pounds? People do, but yeah, like, you know, yeah. it's yeah. interesting. Like, I I find myself moving further and further away from um wanting to be a competitive player. Mm. Like, you know, I, I will always be like into the story and the painting first. Yeah, that's where most of my time goes. Honestly, like I spend eighty percent of ninety percent, ninety five percent of my hobby time mm. painting and reading books, and five percent mm. playing the game, and so like a lot of this stuff will probably never be relevant to me specifically. And I'm interested in, I'm interested in how it feels relevant in some way. Yeah. Like, but like, you know, but that, and that is more broadly because I think of the impact that, um, the addition of points has had on the game. Mm-hmm. Like, I still think that the whole, I like, the whole idea of a pointsless war game where you play for fun and you balance things with the person you're playing with is a beautiful doomed dream. <laughs> like I still support the idea. I don't think it was a disaster. And I think, I think you can, you can, trace you can see in absolute real time the impact that that change with the first general's handbook has had Mm. on what age of sigma is to the people who like it Mm. you know what i mean like it's certainly gotten a lot more popular and that's a good thing and it's certainly a lot bigger than it was yeah although it was apparently doing okay Mm. and obviously people seem a bit happier with it in general which is great there's been lots of good changes but it's almost like to get into it you don't have to kind of pass under the test of are you going to be okay with the fact that Mm. the balance of this game is deliberately woolly and that you're encouraged to just try and have fun because i I think that's that's a super interesting thing with war games right like the the amount of like emotional or like the amount of sort of self-discipline you need to show you need to maintain to not to get salty to not get frustrated by things to mm. not turn everything super competitive and points feel like a magnet for that as a concept right yeah. people sort of as soon as they exist everything it revolves around them as soon as there are mm. matched play scenarios that are the fair scenarios those are the only ones you play mm. and that's i think it's an interesting thing to try and resist one of the reasons that the open war cards i really like because they feel like they structure the game mm. but they lean towards the way i would like to play it most of the time which is like let's just play a fun thing
2: i think if you're playing aos uh, and you're not playing at that very highest level. I think it really stands up as a war game. I think it's like really, you can play competitively and take competitive lists. And I've, had, I've played some really good games this month against uh, my friend Chimp and Path to Glory where it has been tactical and competitive. Um, but because our armies aren't like super honed, mm. uh, it's almost, it's all, it becomes about maneuvering and how, you know, how you actually use your units and thinking about positioning. It's a really good positioning game. Um, it's almost like the, 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 it's a shame that the top tier, the very, very, very top tier, um, sort of sullies it a little bit and i don't know why that is but i mean mm. I, I shouldn't really care what does but it doesn't affect all. us right yeah like, exactly yeah so it doesn't affect our way well i'm going to play with you or, or my other friends you know. yeah
1: i mean like fair play like if that's how people enjoy the game i don't have a problem with that in principle i have a actually and to be honest like at that end of the spectrum if you're willing to spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds staying on top of the meta chasing it like more part two honestly because mm. you're not going to impact my enjoyment of the game and exactly, if i yeah. enjoy it whatever i think i guess what i'm talking about is i think It's interesting the the impact that points have on people who don't play at the top level, but Mm. play at every level. Like there's still that sort of anxiety about sort of, you know, exact fairness and whether things are overpriced or underpriced based on performance in games. Yeah. Sort of, which, you know, there's, um, this comes down to the sort of lots of the interesting kind of like Dunning Kruger psychological things that happen around war games, happen Mm. around anything that involves dice. Right. You have that anything, the amount of things your brain can do to explain why you feel bad about something bad happening to your plastic men include this is overpriced this is underpriced that was that's overpriced that's underpriced my dice did this my dice should have done that you know what i mean like and and these games are given that they're ultimately about like a positive interaction with another person Mm -hmm. you stand around a table with another person play for three hours you get quite a lot of negative feelings Mm -hmm. from the more kind of like anything that involves a number is basically what i'm saying (laughs) that when they made aos they basically tried to move it away from um points towards play Mm. and they put points back in and they completely rule, rule the conversation about the game now as they might be expected to do but there is still that original game in there and that's why like the game we played today which we'll get into later i'm really happy that we moved a little bit away from mm. worrying too much about the points yeah yeah but it's really 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 hard to convince players mm. to go that way i think yeah power level
2: mm. in 40 k is like an interesting way to solve that where you're not worrying about precise equipment uh values for you know pointing up your units you're just saying well that's about 14 power that's about eight power and it, it gives you a ballpark what to expect from that thing like what it might be able to kill um maybe that's that's a halfway house where it gives people the mm. structure without necessarily the the micro yeah. uh,
1: control i think um i think they're doing a really good job actually i think i think i think power levels are a good example of it the open war cards are another example yeah. of just encouraging this sort of thing and it's interesting to me that that feels like that's their mission to some extent at mm-hmm. the moment is to not you know people can play however they want but to nurture narrative and open mm. forms of play where people don't worry so much about points i think like thinking about the way the kids play the game as well is, is is part of it like
2: um like young kids probably might not care about points they might they care more about the story and mm. as far like the open war cards thing is really great because there's a lot of shuffling through books before a game can happen mm. um before the open world war cards anything that can shorten that process and like produce the admin around playing warhammer is good because it's, it's weirdly ad, admin heavy game yeah not just like carting stuff around you know actually uh bringing all the rules books and my my rules are spread across multiple books now that have been fact dig, digitally so mm. some of the information in them is wrong and yeah keeping up with all that stuff like actually here's a pack of cards so you just draw the cards and then you play the thing uh you've got power levels just sort of match them up roughly and it's fine and you, you're in a game in 15 minutes um mm. Which brought you in, it just, and just that seems to be as much the the aim as like changing the culture of the thing is giving people, uh, it's about accessibility
1: as well. Yeah, it's good. that's true. I think maybe that's you know that's the flip side of it is people fret quite so much about balancing exact numbers and things because the game takes enough time to set up and play mm. yeah. that you want to th- to at least feel like it was totally fair. Mm. And the you know the illusion there is that it's also to some extent a game where there's a lot of variance and things, so sometimes it's just going to go wrong anyway. Yeah, whereas, for sure. You know, yeah. Um. But, you know, people like to exert control where they can. I like can understand that. I think, you know, they, they need to get on top of their game a little bit more with communicating these changes. Hmm. Like, you know, as much as I understand selling digital versions of books... Having them link into the app, whereas the physical books don't, mm. they, it kind of needs to link up at this point. Yeah. They need to kind of commit to the rules of free thing to the extent that FAQ and war scroll changes are reflected in the app, even if you don't know the neurons handbook, because mm. it's a small thing to give away ultimately. Mm. And that's that's a bit fussy at the moment, like having to maintain a couple of different FAQs alongside yeah. war scrolls as written, as alongside um, points changes and, and things like that, is getting messy, which is a shame. Mm. But like they could easily change it; they just need to get a better app. Basically,
2: yeah, I think they said something about um, launching a database, like a, uh, a fact database of some kind. Mm. We'll see, we'll see what that looks like.
1: Yeah, I think just those those FAQ changes need to be reflected in the PDFs, the rule PDFs that you download from the website. That's yeah. the simplest example, yeah, right? Yeah. Like if an, if a unit like the changeling, for example, which has been quite changed uh, mm-hmm. in the latest FAQ, the PDF you can download from the site at the time I'm saying this doesn't reflect right. the changes, and they're quite substantial changes. Yeah, yeah. So they need to just like. I, it's a manpower and a time thing but it feels like those things need to be slicker right mm. like you shouldn't be you download two documents when you download them from the same place when right. they say the same thing yeah like you should just download one and that should be changed straight away mm. and that should be propagated out to the apps and so on yeah but i think that's just i mean it's a lot better than it was it's just still uh yeah as you say a, a logistics heavy experience well, that's where
2: uh i enjoy a good skirmish game mm. uh which is Good news, because Necromunda's
1: coming back. Yeah, shit. That was, that was news item one, by the way. Week, <laughs> yeah, totally of right. like nine. We'll probably um, talk about the general sample throughout, like, a lot Yeah, the it'll come up again later, because yeah, we, we yeah, played some right. AOS this month. But yeah, so, there's, there's, that was one of this month's surprises, yeah. is Necromunda is actually back. Yeah. Which is amazing.
2: I've never played it. I was more of, I was more time guy Yeah, and, so was I. And I love more time so much, uh, that the idea of a futuristic sort of variant, though I, I understand that the Necromunda's rules are a bit more fiddly,
1: perhaps. Well, it's getting new rules. This is what's uh, interesting, okay, right. is, so Necromunda is coming back, but this comes up hot on the heels of Shadow War. Yeah. So Shadow War, so Necromunda is like Shadow War or Mordheim, a sort of gang level combat game set in a, it's set in a hive city, so a massive sort of mega arcology, a shit arcology basically, <laughs> yeah. Um in 40k universe and you control in Necromunda like gangs, um mm-hmm. from various kind of like criminal sort of underground houses as they've for resources and experience and things and everyone like it's, it's beloved for various reasons but um you know shadow war was essentially the way of quickly bringing it back mm. because shadow war its rule set is basically identical to old necromando um but it's just that the theme is different it's not um gangs it's kill teams of 40k factions yeah. fighting because the notion is that you know, one space marine would probably kill like three different Necromunda gangs by himself. Mm. Like the, the power level is, is sufficiently reduced in Necromunda that it's, it's, it's basically ordinary people with guns. Yes. To like super soldiers and things like, you know, I've got three harlequins for Shadow War, which is just like, that's like a hive worth of dead people basically, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. in terms of the, the fiction. Um, but you know, Shadow War was an efficient way of bringing Necromunda back because it was just existing models, the old rules and the structure. And you know, I'm still looking forward to playing it. Like it's a good, idea mm. but now they're bringing back necromando with new models so there are um there's definitely esher and the one whose name i've forgotten the big dudes the brawly dudes yeah, brawly dudes. so ladies <laughs> 80s ladies <laughs> and the brawly dudes yes um but yeah um which is good because that's a whole new set of female sculpts from gw which is always nice to see mm. and more of them later as well um and but reportedly it is also getting new rules mm. so there's it's a new Necromunda. ah fascinating which is interesting. Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, it's, it's odd to have the announcement so
2: close to after Shadow War. I think a lot of people can mm. be confused by it. They're like, well, we thought this was you ne- Necromunda. And now it's like, what is Necromunda? It's going to be that same old fantasy, but who knows if the ruleset set will be streamlined or changed in many ways. Yeah, it's very exciting though. Like, yeah, it's right. The, the models are so cool and I hope they stick to the eighties, the very eighties sort of vibe that those are. They seem to so far. Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah.
1: It, this- um, sorry go
2: yeah i I was was thinking um they might approach it like blood bowl and have loads of forge world um Mm. kind of tie in stuff yeah
1: like yeah like core gang in plastic and then resin special characters and things yeah Yeah, that would make sense Mm. i'm I'm excited for it partly because i think there's loads of conversion potential in those models sure like um well essentially it feels like getting all of the chaos cultist kits that you'll never otherwise have Mm. right so like because the generic chaos cultist kit is just men in rags and gas masks and clubs and things. Yeah, good kit. it is a good kit, but it would be really nice to have like a lot of other, basically just sort of themed humans <laughs> from 40k, yeah. right? Like, so mm. you know, those big brawly dudes would make really naturally make good corn, yeah, like corn do. aligned um, chaos cultists. Mm. So there's loads of loads of potential there. Um I don't know when. Um, I don't know if that's an early next year or a or later this year thing.
2: Yeah, they didn't give a time frame, did they? No. Um
1: Which um is good because i can't i can't take on any more projects
2: hopefully it's next year um uh, it would give me an excuse to buy some 40k scenery as well Mm.
1: uh, which is i'd really like the new 40k scenery sets yeah they're really good yeah well yeah and we still got shadow war to play so yeah it's true actually so we should do that if you get if you get through at least one game of shadow war before Necromunda comes out yeah um speaking of small unit count games that do have release dates Mm. uh shade spire is out next month which is a piece of news so yeah. this when people this was announced people thought this might be new mordheim um uh, but it's not um it's more like it's more like games Workshop trying to do x-wing mm. which is interesting um so it is uh, i think we might have talked about it before i'm pretty excited about it it's um a small scale sort of skirmish game but it's designed for competitive play mm. so it's it's you know age of sigma x it's played on on a hex grid you have a, a very small number of characters, so like the two warbands that come with the box are like five blood reavers and three stormcast liberators. Hmm. Um, and they are each unique characters with their own profiles and you attach like upgrade cards to them and then there are decks you also build your half of the board it's like part of your deck yeah and you like push your boards together to form the battlefield so there's like strategic choice decision making there i haven't played it yet it's all custom dice and stuff which is a very ffg thing mm-hmm. like game which traditionally like d6s yeah and ffg like custom dice and this feels like gw doing an ffg if that makes sense yeah it looks fantastic I, the
2: models are rad um and the ruleset seems like really quick. The game's supposed to take about 15 minutes or 20 yeah, minutes. to half an hour, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so the idea is that you play like best of threes and that's your kind of almost your match play equivalent uh, mm. of Shadespire. So that it's easy to see like pop-up tournaments happening very
1: easily. Yeah. Well, they've announced organized play alongside it, which, yeah, cases, which don't do to the same extent that, for example, Fantasy Flight do, yeah. where they're like sending out kits and things and there mm. are tournaments happening in an e- that you can fit in an evening. Like a Warhammer Age of Sigmar 40k tournament is a big, it's a weekend long deal. Yeah. Um, so that's really exciting. And, and that's out next month or, yeah, so it's out in September, as far as I know. Yeah, it's an all-type buy for me. I can't wait to. Yeah, me too. Can't wait to play it. Um, and that's basically the thing I'm going to let myself buy while well, I get through existing projects. Yeah. But yeah. yeah and great. that's also notable because, um, in the, uh, so the models are really nice. They're, mm. they're push-fit, um, models with sort of built-in scenery bases, which is a nice touch. yeah Um, but in red and blue plastic. So if you, if you're not a painter, you can, kind of play out the box like a war game like a like a you know board game basically which is a really good choice i think but they're not they're really dynamic models actually despite being push fit yeah especially um
2: the skellies um they're the first death rattle models we've seen for a long time they're they're really
1: really characterful it's the it's the swaggiest skeleton (laughs) ever (laughs) ever seen they look so happy big big old cape yeah yeah they look fantastic yeah um it's a very swaggy skull. Those aren't out till November, I think. Oh, uh, of course. Yeah. The, the box is corn, isn't it? And The um, box is corn and stormcast. Yeah, the stormcast and then, models are lovely. Actually. Yeah. And then the bolt on warbands are, are right, coming okay. later. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then the stormcast also like, so initially it was, it was the first female stormcast mm. that anyone had ever seen. It's now not the first female stormcast that's going to be out, which is interesting. Yeah. Just after Blight war, which is out next week. Wow. Yeah. That's, so that came around fast. That, yeah. Exactly. This is what I mean. This is when the, so news, the yeah. news thing just doesn't stop rolling. So mm. yeah, Shades Bay is out and that has a, a, a female stormcast liberator in it, which is rad they're doing that more now yeah uh the other thing god so much news mm. the other thing is blight war which is the new i don't know if it's i don't do you know if it's replacing the core set for a sigma don't
2: think so it's like a 95 pound box so it's almost like a you know if you're well into aos then get this yeah than starter thing.
1: Well, that's interesting because um 40k has sort of two army start boxes mm. that go from 95 quid down to 25 quid and AOS had like twenty five, fifty, seventy five, mm. and it stopped there. Yeah. So now it goes all the way up to ninety five quid. So they filled in the top end as well. Yeah. have been
2: at it. Yeah. So it's um, a sizable force with Stormcast Vanguard, uh, which is a lot of their newer models, including the the chickens, what they called Paladors, Vanguard Palidors. Vanguard Paladors. Uh, I think they've got some long strikes in there, um, and they've got an, um, a rad new uh, female Stormcast Hero. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure what class she's is. She's that a knight Zephyros. Zephyros, that's a new thing.
1: Yeah. Well, with, so the, the key with, um, with the Vanguard is to think of a wind thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then tie, tie that to the word knight yeah. and then add like a Y and pretend
2: it's Latin. So, uh, knight Zephyros, and she's got like two hand axes and a bolt pistol, I think. And she's just kind of like a skirmish hero, which is really, really cool. Mm. The model's amazing. Um, really good sort of head, like really kind of
1: intense. Um, yeah, she comes with wording. two. Oh, really? She has a, a oh, mask and a and a, yeah. and a unmasked head, and I really want the unmasked head. Yes, for a conversion. Yeah, it'd be great. I think it's going to be one of the hardest things to find. <laughs> that's the tr- that's
2: the thing. It's like a my favorite new Stormcast model in ages, and it's inside a ninety five pound box. By design, one would expect, and mm. uh, they're not going to be selling that uh, independently anytime
1: soon. <laughs> I don't think so. Although they seem to be coy about the fact they might sell a Nightsephros separately, okay, like as mm-hmm. a hero because yeah. she is a specific Knight Zephyros. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Called Neve Black Talon.
2: Yeah, so one of the first examples of them bringing back named characters into mm. Age of Sigmar. because recently they, um, they released rules for Vandas Hammerhand, like he's just got different rules to a normal Lord Celestine on Dracoff. Mm. Uh, so that's a way of kind of, which I like, I do like that you, if you want your guy to be Vandas, you get something a little, a little bit special in the rules that, yeah. you know, sets him apart. Um, but that's really cool. Uh, so you get the archetype and the hero kind of out of that rule set. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which is nice.
1: Yeah, she, um, She's basically, she is supposed to be Sigmar's assassin. So yes. she gets, but she does double damage against heroes, I think. I so she, um, but her maddest rule is, so you know the ride the wind's etheric ability that the Paldos have. Yeah. Which is basically, so the chick, the, 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 the hench chocobos. Yeah. The, the ripped chocobos that they ride, um, can kind of enter a kind of basically hyperspace. Hmm. They can run so fast, they kind of enter magic wind yes. and just come out somewhere else, which allows them to do these insane, straight line run moves across the board. Mm. Um, her thing is she could basically slipstream behind them. Oh, wow. So if a unit enters the Winds of Theric within six inches of her, mm. she can go with them. She oh. can't do it by herself because right. she's on foot, yeah, yeah. but she literally likes it. Like I can't imagine in any other way except that some sort of like Daytona USA, <laughs> like she gets in the slipstream, she gets the bonus and she's just like, like soaring along behind the battle, oh, awesome. the battle chickens.
2: Or she's just hanging on to one of the tails. Yeah, exactly. uh, Hurting across the board. That's like a four d six move or something. It's insane. Yeah. Um. That's really interesting. So that will get her. Like that's a way of using that kind of using the chickens as a skill shot as a slingshot to deliver an assassin to a hero, which is uh, the most aos thing ever. Also, not a sentence you thought you were going to say. (laughs) No, absolutely not. Um. If if it's (laughs) every everything in aos is a bird, did it. Like
1: a bird is involved somewhere in <laughs> in the process. A bird did it. Yeah. The other the other new model in that set that uh is worth is not a oh, bird, yeah. is a very big snail. Mm. It's an amazing model. Yeah, I love it, yeah. Which is oh god, Slimux. His Sl- name is Slimux, yeah. Yeah, because Nurgle names are stupid. <laughs> um yeah, the other half of the box is Nurgle demons, basically. Mm. All existing stuff like Plague Drones and, and um yeah. and Plague Bearers. Except um horticulous slimox i think <laughs> his name like is that, yeah. who is nurgle's he's he's the first plague bearer mm. and he's basically the farmer and gardener of nurgle's garden yeah and he is a chewing a bone like a straw like a like a like a piece of yeah. straw riding a snail that is dragging a tiller behind it mm. um and he so basically functionally that snail's a tractor <laughs> it's a tractor <laughs> yeah i love it he's got it's
2: uh there's so much character in the model like he, the hero on the back of the snail he's got like a little tree and a little kind of he's got an assortment of little things that sort of speak to a, a life beyond war that yeah these nurglings enjoy in uh nurgle's garden which is a really nice touch is really characterful and you could do loads to kind of add stuff to the back of the snail if you wanted your cymux to be you know uh you, if you was, you've a big gardener you could put loads of sort of disgusting flowers up there you know loads of commercial potential for it yeah he's yeah it doesn't and, look like a warrior as well, which I like. He looks like, you know, he's sort of admin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's a support
1: yeah. role. So he's a sports snail, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He's, a he's, battlefield role. he's also trying to eat a Nurgling that's being dangled on a fishing rod, <laughs> yeah. doing, which is his bait. Yeah, that's awesome. It's such a good model. Yeah. The, um, and this is also, I mean, I feel a bit more for people who collect Nurgle because mm. currently that 95 pound box is the only way to get essentially the new Nurgle battle time because that's where their ability right. comes from. Oh, uh, okay. There's, I think there's a rumor that a Nurgle battle time is coming it'll mm. come separately. So maybe if, if you were trying to figure out what you were going to do with all that stormcast, hold off a bit. Yeah. Um, but this also sees Nurgle get their allegiance ability and I really like it. It's super clever. What does it do? Um, so, you know, each of the, and actually, so this means, um, um slanesh got sort of got allegiance abilities in the general's handbook. So all all four chaos gods have them now. Mm. And I think they've done a really good job of expressing the personalities of those gods through these abilities so uh so yeah, to go through the existing ones the new Sl- well the new slanesh ones you pick one of three based on what kind of slanesh army you have because slanesh is missing mm. so you have like pretenders who are trying to take over from slanesh and you have seekers that are looking for slanesh yeah, cool. and that kind of thing and, and your ability reflects that which is cool but it feels it feels like when slanesh comes back there will be a mm. something on the scale of the Nurgle and Dinch and and corn ones um corns is like you get points but when stuff dies and then you can spend those points for these big effects. So corn is all about collecting skulls. Basically, <laughs> like stuff has to die. It doesn't matter if it's your stuff. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's their stuff. Corn doesn't care, which is the thing they say all the time about Korn. Yeah, It doesn't care from whence the blood flows. And that's really nicely reflected. Zinch is the destiny dice where you roll mm. nine dice at the start of the game and then you can use them throughout the game to swap out for the rolls, which is a mixture of chance and luck and manipulating fate. And it kind of works perfectly. Yeah. Nurgles is a dial with seven points on it. Right. <laughs> and each of the points is a different, buff basically but a different like stage of life like decay and and regrowth oh, and cool. things like that and so that goes um and so that stuff like um so there are seven points on the dial and the seventh is that like, everything in the diagonal army heals a mm. wound um as they start to regrow yeah and it goes back to the beginning of the cycle of of life and death mm. and that includes stuff like all terrain starts emitting more wounds on enemies oh well like it just gains becomes oh, pestilent. Hmm. and in some cases they like gain bonuses to charges or they they gain bonuses to wound rolls but it's like it feels like a different allegiance ability every time it rolls around but the way it works is at the beginning of the game you roll a dice and that's where it starts Mm. and that's why the healing one is the seventh because it's the only one you can't get in the first turn right which makes sense makes sense yeah um and whatever you roll is where you start and then every turn from then onwards you click it on (laughs) so it's very unlikely you're going to get all the way around the wheel in a game because the game is usually like four or five turns yeah so you you know but I love the mix of like obviously Nurgle kind of grows and spreads and changes but also you kind of have to accept your lot a bit, which yeah, is kind of the noble thing, right? right? It's like, well, yeah. this is happening. Like mm. you might want the healing thing, but if you roll a two, you might, you're probably not going to get there by the end of the game. Mm. You, but you have to go with what you do get, which is going to be something else. That's great. It's really good. And you can do it without, if they're, you know, the Blight Wall box comes with like a widget, like a dial basically that you can turn mm. to like represent where you're getting, which they're doing more of that kind of thing. You don't need that. You just need to track from where you start on the on the list. Yeah. but. It's
2: super cool. That's really, really cool. I like the shifted focus from... Because uh, it's all been Stormcast Korn since the beginning. Mm. And going to like Stormcast Vanguard against Nurgle. And some of the best books have, uh, have been about Nurgle fighting Stormcast, actually. Yeah. So it's, it's cool for them to bring that back into the
1: the models. This is also a, a bit of a story advance. Because the Blight War is what follows the Rangate Wars. Right. Mm. So, um you know, essentially because they the two realms that were kind of successfully not taken back fully but like reclaimed for good after the Realm Gate wars where everything belonged to chaos mm. were life and fire which is where corn and nurgle were respectively yeah the other way around um and so in response uh like nurgle has sent a man on a snail <laughs> to create new kind of branches of the garden of Mm. nuggle everywhere to go for all of the realms not just the realm of life because he's been going to be booted out of the realm of life or is in the process of being booted out of it yeah um and he's sort of appearing everywhere like seeding this you know pestilence and disease and sigma has sent his assassin to take him out which Mm. is kind of that's the setup and i think there are scenarios in the book that comes with the set which are designed to kind of play that through as a little mini campaign Mm. but yeah so that's you know and this has been nice as well because this is the first new aos Mm. in after what has felt like a, a lot of very 40k, 40K. yeah it's always understandable
2: that 40k was going to swarm things for a little bit but actually it hasn't been as egregious as I, as I thought to come back with like new aos stuff like an entire box game next month as well is yeah uh, is pretty
1: amazing and this that's not the only new aos thing because there's also firestorm yeah which is, sounds really exciting which is a like a, a map campaign system for mm. playing out uh campaigns between cities like the cities that have now been established in the realms of fire and mm. life um and this is interesting because this is also no new models yet. Um, it's mostly just like a supplement, mm. but it is going to be accompanied by new box sets, um, let's say armies in a box, which are interesting because they're, they're all order. They're all good guys. There's one for each city and they're all mixed in some interesting way. So they're very much like narrative play armies. Like they're not mm. really for you. If you want the foundation of a matched play you know fully legal army yeah but it's always a mixture of stormcast and one other faction and they've, they've dug a lot into the old world yeah model range so there is there's one city that is like old dark elves and um stormcast there's one city that's dwarves and stormcast and one city that mm-hmm. is like old empire human free guild and stormcast yeah, yeah. but it's nice to see them because they've 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 put a lot of that stuff on the on the twitch channel like showing off people's armies that have mixed old units and new ones in a particular way mm. but it feels like they're really kind of embracing that now and trying to encourage people to build these sort of themed armies yeah really nice yeah they, they look really cool um I, I, is it so
2: is it a book um so i kind of got the impression it's almost like a grand strategy map campaign, yeah basically where you can build bases and stuff like that and you know it's, mm, like, yeah but it's of like a uh, persistence to it what, So you, you structure your campaigns over fighting for territory while you're trying to achieve objectives and build things and break each other's strongholds down um because there are now rules for siege warfare in aos as well because oh, yeah. oh yeah oh uh, yeah uh so that's really exciting i mean i'd love I, in the idea world, i'd love i'd love it like a box with a bunch of cardboard in it that actually let you build a map and kind of put pink counters down and stuff to
1: actually reflect who mm. owns what and where you've built stuff but Yeah, i'd love that as well just make make it yourself i suppose i think that would get me i mean i'm thinking about this anyway but that would get me moving into doing more mortals and sort of slaves to darkness stuff to go at my zinch yeah because at the moment i don't like demons don't build bases mm. like I, I basically like my current army is essentially the weather <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, yeah it's just a force of nature there are phenomena that yeah, happens yeah. that you have to deal with i mean you know bad phenomena but nonetheless mm. um but yeah like that's and and this as well is them responding i think to the criticism that the AOS setting wasn't specific, particularly grounded. Like you mm-hmm. didn't know what, where normal people lived because people, normal people didn't really. Yeah. Um, and now they're kind of, you know, you can imagine that the, the, the cities like Harrogil that they're establishing, um, and Hammerhall. um, maybe 20 years from now 30 years from now will have been will be the the first like you know we'll have the state maybe you know providing everything's a success and things continue kind of as they have been we'll have the status that something like fenris or cadia has mm. in in uh in 40k like a place that has been around forever yeah. and that people yeah. kind of have all this story invested in that's just starting now which is mm. kind of cool to see yeah you've got to start somewhere and i like the idea of is it one of the cities kind of in two realms
2: at once it's kind of two- yeah, uh, hammer hall hammer hall so that one's there are two kind of incarnations of it as it kind of stretches across realms which is a great a way of using the AOS's high fantasy setting to create new kind of city environments yeah there's a
1: there's a gate in the middle of the city and, and mm. one half is in the realm of fire and that's where all the forges and things are and then the other half is in the realm of life and that's where all the farms are yeah that's awesome yeah uh,
2: pretty makes sense yeah
1: yeah which is you know well basically the, the realm of industry and the realm of gentrification <laughs> never shall they <I> meet <laughs> um uh the um it's interesting because this is, uh, to return briefly to things that have changed. Like the other big change that we didn't mention is they made sweeping changes to what were called, um, kind of compendium armies, oh, yeah. which were big PDFs full of rules mm. for old, often discontinued models like Tomb Kings and Bretonians and things like that. Mm. That stuff was hit extremely hard in the most recent set of changes to the extent that a lot of them can't really be used anymore and a lot of them are gone. Right. So one change that they've made even as they're bringing back name characters in the form of new characters is they've essentially removed all of the old name characters from the game at okay. once. Hmm. So, um, so, you know, for example, like, uh, Luan Leonca, who's the king of Bretonia had rules in AOS, even though yeah. he's probably, he's been dead for like a billion years. Yeah, yeah. There's, they did some, initially did some hand wavy stuff, like some souls reoccur through time. Maybe <laughs> who knows why this is happening. Please don't be mad at us for discontinuing this range. Here's hmm. some rules. <laughs> what they've now done is said he is now a generic king. He's a king on a horse now, he's Mm -hmm. not this guy. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that I think they wanted to move the game forward, and obviously that, you know, kinda sucks if that's all you ever wanted, but you know, Mm. it was old Warhammer, but they'd moved it forward and for better or worse. The other thing is that I think some of those old War Scrolls from discontinued ranges, were a little bit overtuned because they're from early days of Age of Sigmar. Right. So I think the examples of that, I don't know enough about proper, I'm basically just repeating things smarter than me, people may have said, but right. if it's useful for people to have a sense of why these discussions happen and why people are happy or sad about this, mm. like I think Setra, who's one of the old oh, yeah. characters, was super powerful in AOS mm. and just j- gone. Okay. Which, well, you can use the model, mm. but it now represents something generic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I and mean, so that's a big change. So it's interesting to see on one side, they are, pushing people away from the discontinued ranges like mm. tomb kings like Bretonians. um but on the other they're starting to repackage things like empire models and giving them a new identity mm. so it does feel a bit giveth taketh away like if you've yeah. got the right things and you want to roll with it you're probably all good and there's still nothing stopping you using your britonians in you know the games you want to use them in at a casual level yeah but again, I think it feels like a couple of different things. One, obviously they have a business incentive to push people towards the new models and the stuff they're currently selling. Mm. But also, again, from a kind of negative sort of, you know, play experience standpoint, people were buying Tomb King armies on eBay because they all win tournaments mm. because the rules they do have were really good. That probably isn't a good state for the game to be in. If the only thing, if it's one of the things that you should be going and, you know, kind of buying to... Increase your tournament odds doesn't even get sold by Games Workshop anymore. Yeah, I guess it does count to the secondary market, doesn't it, for all those yeah. old models? And actually, if you want to buy an army, you've got to buy it, and you...
2: it's got to you be know, the, sell, the stuff like... they actually sell. Yeah, isn't they
1: actually actually make? Which is yeah, so interesting. But yeah, the stop stuff is also exciting. Mm. So yeah, would you believe it, Tom? Uh, we haven't got through all the news yet because we haven't. Uh, Jesus, we can we can probably rattle through a little bit the rest of it quickly because it's going to affect us a little bit less. Yes. But it will link into kind of what we've been up to. Um, so. Mentioned earlier that Shadespire is, um, feels like GW doing a fantasy flight game, down to custom dice and the scale of it, mm. and, and it's cardboard tokens and cards, which is something GW Vintage start dabbling in. Uh, while this is happening, uh, this month, uh, Fantasy Flight, uh, announced Star Wars Legion, which is as close as they have ever gotten to doing 40k, mm. basically. This is a, you know, a, a infantry combat miniatures game at 40k scale, so 28 millimeter models, heroes, full squads of units. They already have Imperial Assault, which is played competitively, but it's a it's either an RPG sort of sort of thing. But mm. like basically it's it's kind of both Silver Tower and a skirmish game at the same time. Um and they have X Wing and Armada, obviously, but they didn't have anything specifically like this. Also, unusually for the Fantasy Flight until Rune Wars, um it's you know, not it's it's multi part kits, it's multi pose kits. Right and it's they're not preprinted, so mm. like it is it is dead they're, they're doing them doing a, a warhammer forty thousand yeah which is and it's by um it's 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 by alex Davy who is one of the designers on x-wing not the designer of x-wing originally but he's one of the people who came in so midway through its life for a couple mm. of years into its life and has been uh, i met him once he's a nice dude i oh, love he used to be a games journalist i think no really, really? or he used to be a journalist i don't know exactly no. what kind of but yeah there you go there's <laughs> hope um but yeah um and so obviously this is, you know, it's not out till later this year, but it's an interesting, um, one interesting development for them to be entering that. Uh, I guess my question is, do you think you would ever be drawn away from GW for this kind of thing? Uh, I think it depends a lot on the models. Yeah. I, I love the idea of a Star
2: Wars sort of war game. That's an amazing idea. And it's sort of, you know, recreating Hoth with little miniatures is an is, is awesome thing. But if the uh, minis aren't very good, then... Um, They're
1: Okay. Okay. Mm. Yeah, they're better. I think, I think Fantasy Fight are getting better. Mm. I'll show you some pictures after yeah. we do this. But yeah, they're, they're getting better, but they don't feel as good as they, they're not as good as GW. But at the same time, I think they're maybe a little bit more limited in what they can do with Star Wars. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, they, I mean, they they can't do a huge amount of the scale. I mean, the,
2: the Star Wars universe is so, like, go onto Wikipedia, you're going to get, like, tiny granular micro information about every fucking fruit in that universe you know let alone every war machine like it's also kind of nailed down yeah that i i wonder if it's be, it would be quite difficult to write rules for that would actually kind of sync up with i think
1: they'll be okay from a rules point of view i think from a model's point of view it's interesting because everything in in star wars and obviously they want to be faithful to the look obviously yeah but everything in star wars was designed to be worn by a person Mm. in a film and for it to not look shit (laughs) everything in everything in basically and it's interesting because it's you know evolution thing everything in 40k is designed to evoke the feeling of something like star wars while Mm. looking good on a miniature Mm. if you put it on a human it would look stupid (laughs) yeah right yeah so they can't suddenly give you know, Star Wars stormtroopers, gigantic shoulder pads mm. and massive heads and tiny little legs. So they're all torso all the time, yeah, like yeah. a space marine. Like they're going to be human scale. Like rebels are just going to be people in hats. Mm. Right? Yeah, I think it'd be an interesting challenge to
2: to paint up some just ordinary humans. Mm. I think if I was going to do it, I'd, I'd look to like a military probably like a second world war level yeah i'd probably prefer to paint that stuff up because there is a kind of historical accuracy to it that would be interesting
1: so there's a mechanic I've, i don't know too much about the mechanics it does use some templates and things like yeah. x-wing um and it has upgrade cards and squad cards like mm. x-wing so okay. it's sort of a hybrid um mm. but um there's there's a rule i think about activations and like how it does activations in terms of like you pick what you'd like to do, but then each of you determine what happens in what order in a particular way that sounded a bit like Bolt Action to me, which is not a game I play a lot of. Right. But shout out to uh, Fee, Fienia from mm. uh, Discord. He plays it and I've seen him, you know, talk about it and play it in, uh, at, at UK Games Expo. So I know a little bit about how it works and um, that made it click in my head that I actually see this more like a historical war game mm. than something like 40K, which is an outright fantasy. From, from both the perspective of how you would paint it because you're painting humans wearing, you know, khaki wearing khaki, but also actually from the kind of the attitude you take towards it, which is at least for me, like I'm a a big Star Wars purist. Mm. Like if I was to pick this up, I'd want to paint it right. Like I might, you've got maybe a few options with the rebels. Like you could theme them after Hoth or Rishon of the Jedi or the guys from Rogue One and go for the color schemes. There are multiple, there are multiple versions of like olive drab you can do for them. Mm. But Stormtroopers are Stormtroopers, right? Like, obviously, I understand there's going to be a tournament scene for this game and people are going to show up with their orange Stormtroopers, you know, and in their kind of custom style. Yeah. But, like, I just couldn't be able to bring myself to do that. Like, mm-hmm. I, th- this would be a, you know, I, I like to go with the lore a bit in Games Workshop as it is. And that's a setting that's designed to let you customize it. Star yes. Wars isn't. No, that's very true. Like, you you, you know, the, the 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 starter kit is sort of stormtroopers and you get like bikes and stuff and then you get rebels and a little mini rebel walker which looks quite cool and luke skywalker and darth vader like you are not going to do your darth vader short someone someone obviously will i'm not right like i'm not going to be like and this is my take on this this character like no there is one take on that character (laughs) it's like yeah it's you know and it's a similar to the attitude of like i collect you know i don't know this particular u.s army regiment so i'm going to get everything about it right Mm. Um, which is similar i mean people do take that attitude to 40k with getting company markings and things yeah, correct yeah, but true. it feels like this is a sort of a gradient and i'm surprised by for me how far star wars falls down on the this is a historical event it actually happened and you <laughs> right. have to respect that yeah. end of the spectrum
0: mm.
2: yeah it definitely feels like that i mean it's because maybe it's because so many games have been made about star wars since or so much has been written so much fan fiction has been mm. not fan fiction but you know, actual spin off fiction is, is clarified so much of that universe that um you know how um 40k has been around for sort of 30 years and it's that that time that has kind of created this enormous like, cathedral of fiction mm. and styles is an equivalent in terms of that. it's you know the the details gone into building that universe over time
1: i think it is although one of my concerns about this is that um actually like 40k is has Way more 40k is interesting because 40 ks fiction was built around its combat system to some extent. Yeah. So obviously things get fudged in the books. Things happen that would be pretty difficult to simulate in mm. in in the game. But fundamentally, they love they love dropping units from the the book the game into the books, doing approximately the thing they yeah. do in in the in the in the game. And and there's actually there are i think there are basically legal reasons for that now as well huh. like a lot of the lawsuits the games workshops had to fight over the last 10 years um against copycat miniatures manufacturers and things No, oh, yeah the chapter house stuff mm. where they were basically making games workshop miniatures um and calling them games workshop names so like you get a lot of people like third parties who make whatever yeah but yeah. call it like you know orc lad <laughs> rather than boy or something like yeah, that okay um but i think it's chapter house who were just making full-on 40k stuff huh. and one of the rulings one of the ways that shook out is that if you know GW suggest the existence of a miniature but don't make it, mm. they have no rights to that. Like that essentially a story or a piece of art don't count as having IP for that. Right. So if they um so you'll notice this, and you can you can trace this if you look at the history of any art for 40k or Age of Sigma, mm. um it used to be that there were pictures of units that didn't exist as models. Now they do not. Uh, they do not do that at all. If you look at any of the art in the new 40k book, everything is a model, and it's really close to the pose it's actually in mm. the model. Like they're like uh, my desktop wallpaper um, on my PC is is the cover of the Disciples of Zinch book, and I've been I had it on my desktop because I've been working through that, and it's a kind of inspiration. But I, I keep looking at it and realizing that like the Lord of Change that looks like it's a very dramatic thing. It's just a picture of the model, mm. like it's a great painting, but it's a painting of the, the, the specific model. Yeah. And That's because GW have got a lot more exact about making sure that they, they don't give anyone the chance to get beat them to making something by suggesting this isn't something yeah. in a piece of art. That's interesting. That was a little bit of a tangent, an interesting tangent, mm. but the reason I bring it up is because everything from, from that universe and the fiction and the art and stuff that surrounds Games workshops universes stems from ultimately the sort of dice rolling combat system mm. and the way units feel and the way they fight star wars doesn't work like that at all in fact basically combat in star wars is entirely narrative driven and basically not at all technology or logic driven mm. um there you know and this is i think is a battle that gets lost a lot of the time by the expanded universe stuff in the games and you can see this if you ever played a star wars video game where a lightsaber does like 20 hit points worth of damage rather than yeah winning then you've kind of encountered this right mm. Like, um, we you hit it a lot with the Star Wars pen and paper role playing game, which I play, which is another fantasy flight thing Yeah, where there are these granular rules for like how much damage a, a blaster bolt does to a stormtrooper under these circumstances. And if you get this result on the critical hit table, maybe he drops his blaster hmm. and it like I played it that way for a while, but it doesn't really work because it doesn't feel like Star Wars because again, doing demons being like weather stormtroopers in Star Wars are weather. Hmm. They show up, you shoot into them for a while and some of them fall over but it's not about them. Mm. It's about the heroes who are running away and running and shooting and having their own adventure and trying to achieve their own objective. Yeah. So in the, in the RPG, I kind of fixed that by just like basically as a GM, just fudging it. Mm. Like, you know, putting the players in some meaningful danger, having the shot to come back, but not worrying too much. Like almost getting rid of the concept of hit points for stormtroopers. Mm. It's like, you fired, you hit, one stormtrooper falls down, there's another one behind him. Like, and that felt much better. Mm. The issue they face with the war game is they suddenly have to really apply logic to that. They have to establish, like, how many stormtroopers is equal to how many rebels? What kind of gear do they have? The only thing that comes close to this in the films is Rogue One, like the the big ground battle in Rogue One. Because everything else moves forwards and backwards based purely, essentially, on on a kind of just sort of the whim of, of what the movie needs. Like the, the this opening set for the game, for Legion seems to be themed around the Battle of Endor, but mm. the ground battle somewhat. I mean, Luke is there, but whatever. But it's got the speeder bikes and scout troopers and stuff. But like, at what point do the rebels roll a dice to see if the Ewoks show up? <laughs> you know what I mean? En masse yeah. and inexplicably win. Mm. You know what I mean? It's an interesting problem.
2: Yeah, that is very interesting. Um, the concept of painting up the Ewoks, fills me with dread so (laughs) i think they would dry
1: brush very easily
2: (laughs) i think they would actually just wash him dip and wash him just uh brush the tufts on them like the sort of basing tufts that you get you know that's basically an ewok almost an ewok already isn't it yeah it's one of those and put some eyes on it
1: yeah they're fine just a
2: little furry balls yeah be fine just yeah just flocking an ewok and i like i i think it's a it's not a bad fit for a miniatures game but i think i'm so invested in aos now that I, i probably wouldn't be tempted by a different
1: yeah like it is sort of it is it is you know it'll tickle my brain a bit Mm. but i i don't know if i again i don't think i can take on another project but Mm. also like um i mean i would i just want to see what they you know i want to see what it's like really it's a it's a demo game kind of experience yeah Uh, as a man who's been had two terrible demo games of rune wars (laughs) uh yet to be totally convinced about ffg's war games but i think in both cases that was because of the demo not the game okay but that's Mm. yeah Mm. interesting um my demo of um Rune Wars at Games Expo a couple of months back was given by the 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 man who least wanted to be there on planet Earth (laughs) who was having an argument about 40k at the same time really yeah with someone else which is kind of a um, awkward a bit of a mad awkward way of experience probably the worst way to play a war game what if you took the arguments from 40k and combined it with the disaffectedness of, (laughs) of someone who's been doing the job for a weekend and it's really given up now mm. so that wasn't great so i don't mm-hmm. want to judge room wars based on purely on that mm. given i already said that i i did a previously judged room wars so <laughs> on this podcast but yeah um so that's happening there's a yeah um there's a new wave of x-ring spaceships coming which is a thing that happens that that is also like weather <laughs> stuff that's like weather um i did one as, as an aside i won't I'll, we can appreciate that predominantly against workshop pod but i just want to say that this month i think i've gotten over my x-wing slump a bit oh good and that's it stems from to a discussion from earlier which is i realized that i think something has happened to the game that's similar to what's happened in others to some extent it's desperately waiting for an faq still but i don't have to play with that in mind i can still go to the pub or a uh, shop and play with friends mm. at a kind of regular level i'm going to nationals in a couple of weeks by the mm-hmm. time we record the next cool. x-wing um next month, monthly i will have done x-wing nationals like i don't have to engage with that level like i still love the game for its systems mm. like i built a new list which is based on some of the new upgrades they've added but it basically allowed me to create an all uh new movie x-wing squadron with poe dameron and snap and jess who are his wingmen in that film oh, right. and it's themed around that moment in in the movie where they fly over the water and oh, yeah. and um poe says fly straight you know don't fly fly straight at them. don't let these thugs scare you i've literally built a list that wants to fly straight at people because <laughs> the way it, it mitigates damage mm. and it shouldn't let thugs scare it <laughs> and um you know jess pavo replies to poe in that moment by saying we're with you and like that's kind of the theme of this because the synergies and kind of things and i've yeah, built yeah. something that feels super themy for me which is really important it's quite competitive and when you when it's when it flies well when it does its thing it feels like you're flying x-wings again which sounds like a stupid thing to say if you don't play the game X Wing, but it's become so much about huge turrets that do massive amounts of damage at range and bombs that you can't avoid, and and similar to uh, you know mortal womb spam, right? Like it's similar to sort of forty k AOS style Alpha Strike lists right. where they just blast you off the table straight away, and it doesn't. You know, it's it's all about minimizing variance to an extreme degree, and that includes the variance that naturally comes with setting dials mm. for ships, which is the core mechanic of the game. Even that has too much room for error for a hugely competitive list so you need to make something that basically flies itself to some extent and does damage automatically which i was so tired of that but then i realized i don't have to play that and getting back into a list that i really love i'm playing actual dog fights with other aces and, and interesting other lists was like yeah this is fucking great was- this is still such a such a good game mm. and and actually what it took for me weirdly was a little bit of that injection of that um attitude that i've now taken to warhammer Mm. which is i'm here for the feeling of it and the story not the not the win yeah right i don't want to resolve broken rules at each other until someone wins i want to play a Mm. game where cool things happen yeah yeah so that's been just below that top level though you get that
2: like Mm. you get that it's competitive
1: but Really exciting. My, my, basically my lesson, my, my, internal, my deep truth here is mm. I, I need, I just, I've come to own my own mediocrity in a way <laughs> that is, uh, mm. very redemptive. Oh, very <laughs> yeah. Speaking of owning the thing that's wrong with you, there's loads of new Nurgle models coming on <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is, we'll basically get into the end of our hour plus of pure, pure so news. Yeah. But yeah, this is crazy. So I guess to rattle through the 40k stuff quickly, which I haven't really touched on it, mm. they've now revealed the rest of the Death Guard range. So as people expected, mortarian Ah, Primarch of the Death Guard. Mm. Uh, plus Typhus and Death Guard Death Shroud Terminators and a big fat tank with a mortar on it, and multi-post plague marines Mm. and loads of that stuff. Nice. It's really like the Mortarian model is massive as you'd expect. (laughs) Yeah. He's a big, 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 big boy. He's enormous. Is he as big as the Lord of Change? He looks big. Bigger? Yeah. I think. He's he's Magnus sized. God, that is big. (laughs) Demon Primarch, though, yeah, that's the with. thing. You fall, you get real big. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've
2: almost at the end of the Dark Imperium book, which uh, I went off for ages. But actually, the final quarter of it's really exciting. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the story it. starts the last third of that book, mm. um, which is a problem for it. But it's it's, it's introducing Mortarian and his relationship with Nurgle, which is more complicated than well, it should be quite complicated. He hates it basically. <laughs> he does pretty much hate it. Um, it's also like the the greater demons of Nurgle, like some of them think he's just basically like a totem that nurgle's nicked to make fun of the emperor mm. and some of them actually treat him with respect and it's an interesting uh, chaos is so it's so interesting like it's a really they're so fractious and so at each other's throats all the time it's really good um it's a really good medium for uh for books of fiction
1: yeah i really love the the way they kind of have you finished that book you know nearly at the end of it right, right. So, so you will have point. seen like what it looks like when nurgle fucks up a planet <laughs> yeah like and it's just yeah it's horrible it's disgusting yeah, yeah i was, I was like, yeah the, the, the.
2: It, really nicely written bits of about you know giant whales flying out of nurgle's realm then sort of splattering thing. on the ground because yeah. like, yeah. the magic doesn't hold outside of that realm and they, they just they, they land and kind of erupt into these hordes yeah, of isn't nurgles. it
1: because there are space whales in 40k anyway yeah isn't it a nurgle corrupted space whale ah, that it's, it's vomited back out of the garden of nurgle but can't exist in a normal atmosphere anymore so it just sort of molts itself inside out as yeah. soon as it touches the atmosphere
2: <laughs> and it's full of plague bearers yeah and it collapses and they they splat open and explode and those great demons come out
1: it's fucking disgusting it's extremely actually <laughs> yeah
2: um so yeah it's, it's nice to see coming back for for that good good disgusting gross mm. stuff
1: yeah and then yeah so that's the next codex i think mm. codex adeptus mechanicus oh yeah which is cool
2: yeah i kind of wanted to collect adenbeck um i just want to get around to painting up my guys for um shadow war uh, but they're kind of like, I don't know how to use them in the game because they don't have any transports and they're super squishy, like the normal humans. So if I, I can imagine envision just charging them across the tabletop and they would get nuked by a mortar or, you know, killed by a plane. Um, <laughs> so I, um, I'm kind of holding off collecting them at the moment until I could figure out like, um, I might just buy some castle and robots some of their
1: cooler models just to paint them up, but I'm not sure like I'll build an army out of them. Mm. It was interesting to have you like the the sort of the way this is progressing because there's lots of uh, i think thousand suns is coming next and then mm. which i'll I'll pick up i think yeah um and then um because i picked up oh yeah codex space marines came out in the time oh, so yeah. We did. yeah we you got that, that. I yeah that, over there. that that books great mm. um but yeah so thousand suns is coming and then uh the rumor is that the other codex space marines for blood angels dark angels and space wolves will all come out at the same time oh well which feels like a bit of like towards the end of the year like oh, this yeah, kind okay. of christmas stunt which i could see them doing actually yeah, yeah um but yeah so it feels like 40k is sort of settling into gear now it's kind of plodding along they're doing some interesting things that i'm kind of like so by this point since you know if if you're relying on us for all of your 40k news then um the the primaris range is now fully out mm. you know they have the multi-pose kits for everything that was a mono pose kit in the in the core set it's, it's out but and I'm really glad they're doing this they're also releasing five man squad versions of the intercessors and hell blasters and things oh because they were being sold in boxes of ten, yeah, yeah which is two squads, but they're also selling boxes of five mm. which that kind of flexibility is really what I wanted i don 't know if those are multi post kits, but mm. that flexibility is really what I wanted g w to start doing to accept that you don't always want the big box full of stuff, and like they're scaling the starter kits to start scaling the box yeah. the, the individual units from like I just want one to I want ten and I want all of the bits. Mm. And having that scale there is such a good idea. Yeah, it's nice. I've yeah, um, painted up some Primaris this month. Um, we should we should move on to that because we should move on to what we've been up to. Yeah. And that's, is that's... that all the news? There's probably more. <laughs> the <laughs> um, one of those. It, it will be we'll be okay. fine. That's all of the. <laughs> that's all of the actual new things. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about armies on parade next month. Sure. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. So this month I've been painting up some Primaris. Finally, right after, like the day after we recorded our last, um, miniatures monthly podcast, I decided to paint them up as Iron Hands, who are the kind of transhuman, mm. uh, chapter. They like to, you know, they're slightly heretical and they like to replace limbs with bionic limbs and improve themselves technologically. What made you pick Iron Hands? Um, because the story of, of the, the kind of sector that, um, I, I described last time involved like a, a mechanicus, uh, forge world that's been cut off mostly from the rest of the imperium and um i just like the idea of the kind of transhuman uh worshippers of uh mechanic you know mechanical mm. improvement would kind of sync up in some way <laughs> that you'd have primaris space brains who are almost dangerously obsessed with uh improving themselves and they don't believe in the omnisire which is what the Mechanicus believe in but they kind of their beliefs sync up so closely that yeah iron I-
1: hands do don't they Sorry? Iron Hands do, don't they? Oh, they might do, actually. Yeah, well, so... I so we could drop some lore facts from Codex Space Marines, oh, which yeah? has a lot of lore in it. Hmm. Um, I, this might this might flesh out your... Excellent. Uh, ...thing a bit. So the Iron Hands send some of their own to Forge Worlds, ah. to Forge Fans, to learn from the Mechanicus and to kind of become, like, uh, sort of dual worshippers of the omnisia omnisia ah, and, and the emperor yeah. so that could be a reason you have stranded Primaris. Yeah, like probably, like they were there training or, or learning and mm. now they're stuck oh, that's perfect yeah that's that's awesome and um, they've also got like a very simple color
2: scheme which is just uh black and silver um and i sort of like it's, they don't look finished if you just do them black and silver um so they tend to have like white guns but i've added some like dark red uh, pop colors as well to make them actually look as though they're completed units, mm. and uh, it was interesting painting black. I, like I know that. you just said pop colors, but I heard popped colors. And pop, I just, like, yeah. <laughs> like, Man, they're so fucking. Those sw- all wearing <laughs> <laughs> like. uh, Yeah, they, uh, it was interesting painting black because um the primaries have loads of edges to highlight edge highlighting forever basically um and you have to be really aggressive with it but careful with black because if you do too much like edge highlighting it can look gray rather than black mm. uh, so it's uh it was really interesting kind of get, trying to get that balance right i think it's come off but um it was a lot of edge highlighting and harder than i thought it would be actually i thought black would be just really easy and it's a little bit harder because like you want the consistency of the paint to be really good because there's nothing else your eyes picking up on it's just black <laughs> mm. um and it's like to what extent do you want it to have a sheen or kind of be glossy at all yeah it becomes
1: material the kind of color it's the material you're trying to create yeah. evoke is a really big difference as well yeah
2: and when something's just red that's it's not this is the color of red you're looking at it's not the actual kind of texture of the mm. paint necessarily in the same way so the other thing is um i've bought uh a sheet of transfers from forge world for mm. iron hand stuff um and i'm too scared to do it <laughs> i'd say i've never done i've done transfers before so i'm gonna to have to like do some test ones with it. do you have the
1: microset and microsoft stuff uh no not yet Do you want to borrow mine
2: oh yeah that'd be you good can totally just take it home with you today yeah yeah
1: because uh, um much. i can yeah like i'll totally just show you how to use them before you go because yeah, like right. I, i've done a lot of thousand suns transfers yeah, yeah. i'll need it back eventually but for now i'm all right i've got like a load of um stormcast
2: ones and transfers just don't seems silly for stormcast to me like the idea of like a yeah. really
1: perfectly painted lightning bolt like as though it's been machine created that's the kind of look that transfers have for yeah, yeah. i use transfers on stuff where they might have used the transfer i don't know if you maybe thousands of runes don't count but like mm-hmm. it would have been machine stamped onto the thing right? yeah precisely which is the look that you get so it's never made sense for me in aos
2: but and um, i really like the idea of having the proper markings the iron hands markings are really cool actually um, they tend to be like a mixture of space marine and mechanicus kind of mm-hmm. imagery uh and i think once they're on, once those are on they're going to look kind of badass actually they already do just the posing on the primaris intercessors i absolutely love it i mean we we discussed before that sense of kind of poise um Mm. and like about to move into action um and when you actually see them assembled next to kind of a general they look brilliant yeah i love those models um so yeah that's that's been my exciting project this month i've basically also been i'm mostly procrastinating because i've got a star to paint <laughs> that's
1: really the only reason you've got gotten that kind of hobby me. paralysis thing yeah i was just like well, it I was, feels like that one decision about what color that star Drake's going to be yeah. has actually shut down <laughs> it has shut down my hobby for the last <laughs> month it really has it's like somewhere in like the extremist chamber where they <laughs> The, the, star Drake, so, yielded into action by Storm, Sigma's Storm Men. They've just got, which colour is this one going to be? Grimnir? I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs>
2: Give me another Shit. 50 years and I'll, <laughs> I'll come up with it. Uh, so I've, I've, it's going to be some kind of turquoisey green, basically. Um, what type? I don't know. I still have to do some more colour tests on it. Once that's painted up, because I've got, I've got some chickens to paint um paladors to paint i've got um yeah you th- chicken color paralysis next yeah, i am i already have it that's the trouble <laughs> it's like this is the second layer of indecision behind the current layer of indecision i'm actually in um i don't i don't know what i'm going to do with those birds and i, I kind of want to get away from just painting the way the boxes have them um mm. because I, I feel like especially painting stormcast and they're all gold and blue like the original ones i felt like um i've Lost a bit of hobby
1: in kind of creating your faction. I like, like the I'm variation saying. you do have, though. Like, you've works. got the white prosecutors and the silver retributors and stuff. Yeah. It just, and they still look like Hammers of Sigma, but they're yours. Yeah, like. I, I really like the
2: rector as well. I was, I was really happy that I went with black for him. And he doesn't even have any blue on him, actually. I was just kind of, like, hoping that he would look mm. as though he fits. He just it's liked. kind
1: of weirdly. To, he's a little bit like a space marine chaplain, where they yeah. don't wear
2: their, necessarily wear all of their chapter colours. Yeah, and, and the, um, the, th- the fluff is, actually, that they go in and get their own armour from a, a special chamber. And, you know, no one knows what happens in there. But, you know, uh, it's a different type of armor is the thing that everyone every other stormcast wears mm. um it's not even retributor armor it's his own thing and that's why they have like three plus seven and move four inches rather than they, it's, it's all reflected in the rules quite nice um but yeah so that that process has stopped me um i've i've p- painted the same star drake head over and over again there's so many different sch- schemes now and i haven't been happy with any of them um so yeah, this is a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I've got loads. Of, I've got I've still got some more cases to paint. I've got the um, amazing Aquila General Vanguard General yeah, model. The Knight Aquila, uh, yeah. uh, Knight Aquila, yeah, no, Lord Aquila. Lord Aquila, that's it. Yeah. Um, and that's an amazing model as well. But again, the chicken's got to be the right color. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty stuck. Completely stuck. <laughs>
1: completely stuck. What, uh, yeah, so, but the Iron Hand stuff sounds exciting. It's yeah, they look rad, and I'm hoping they look good against, um, when they're stood next to Adam. We maybe. should totally try and play some 40k yeah. ahead of the next thing, because I've got a demon army, but also, um, mm. uh, it's, uh, 40k's 30th birthday in September. Oh, well, Which is weird, which means I'm one month older than 40k. <laughs> <laughs> That's rad. Um,
2: yeah, we definitely should, because I've still got all those, um, space wolves from Prospero, so I could put a space marine army together. Yeah,
1: totally. Mm. I'll throw some demons at you. Nice. Um, like it. See, so yeah, I um, I thought I had settled on a Space Marine chapter for my Primaris. Oh yeah, I
2: thought you, yeah.
1: I thought I had, and I told you I had. Yeah. But I don't know if I have. Mm. So the reason for this is, I thought I had settled on Salamanders. Yeah. And the reasoning for this, because we neither of us had decided when we last spoke, um, is I like Salamanders as kind of they stand out a bit for being quite good yeah they're quite nice really by space marine standards it's It's weird because their whole thing is setting stuff on fire um but strangely enough that's like they do it in in a much kinder way than most space marines do almost anything whereas where you get like the far other extreme end of the spectrum is like the black templars who are basically assholes yeah yeah and then every other space marine is somewhere in the middle salamanders like um you know you know, they have like a, they don't, got a codex, not a full codex chapter. They kind of maintain this strong connection to their home world because they were so badly devastated during the Horus Heresy that there aren't very many of them. Mm. Um, they're encouraged to kind of go and live with their families when they're not being salamanders. Well, um, like not for any length of time because the life, the time scale is kind of off. If you're a space marine, like you're off on a crusade for a hundred years. Yeah. Um, but even you know, they go back and become like elders of their communities and things. And I really mm. like the idea of, so I, I came up with a plot I really like but it's not something I don't know if I'm going to do anything with in terms of a miniatures army. We'll see, mm. which is, um, cause I wanted something, cause I really like, you know, what you've done by having, you know, a, you know, a, a planet, which is the sort of core of your army. Which you can grow, from yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. This trapped lost world. And it came with this idea that kind of what I wanted to do is it's interesting to me that I think there are some, even in the new book, which is great. Like the first, like half of codex space Marines is just lots and lots of fiction and mm. great art and stuff. And that was kind of nice to go through. Um, <coughs> You know, and a lot of it is bringing the Primaris into that universe and making them fit as part of that universe, which yeah. the novel does as well. We've spoken about that before, but I still think that some of the interesting drama of, of 40k now is like where where the Primaris come in for different chapters. Yeah. Like I was thinking about collecting Blood Ravens from Dawn of War because I'm 90 percent sure they're a Thousand Sons successor chapter yeah, and loyal yeah. a Thousand Sons, which is would be very me. A bit bored of red, not gonna lie, but mm-hmm. nonetheless. But I can't quite square away primaris blood ravens with myself at the moment right because it's weird to me that they exist when so primaris are made from like even a purer version of the original primarch's gene seed than regular marines yeah so i don't understand how you can uh, even if their primarch isn't magnus i don't know how they can make new ones if they don't know which primarch it of course, is yeah and that is a stupid law thing to get caught up on but I, I care about this stuff and i kind of want it to be right mm. so Either Belisarius' call is secretly making marines with Magnus's gene seed, which would be a quite great possible. twist, but yeah. they kind of need to reveal it. Yeah, And those guys would probably be... Actually, they wouldn't necessarily be red, because the rest of the Thousand Sons aren't red, but whatever, right? Mm. Or they're kind of giving the Bud Ravens just, like, Gilliman knockoffs. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, they've just painted Gilliman red and yeah. sort of, like, you know... <laughs> um, and so, I, you know, that that for me was, like, a, a long speed bump that mm. I couldn't quite hit. The thing with Salamanders is... is Like they, you know, they have a, they have a recruitment process, which is starts, they start a lot younger than other Marines. They start when the people are like seven and they, they train them as blacksmiths and then they initiate them as Astartes. Mm. And so, and they encourage these kinds of, um, like bonds and things. And salamanders are from Nocturne. I'm going. To, this is going to turn to to law minutes, but people like law. It's fine. So Nocturne is like a volcanic mega world covered in salamanders, yeah. like as in the lizards, not the oh, right. not the dudes. And it is also covered in salamanders. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, every 15 years, all of the tectonic plates are knocked and go completely fucked, and the entire planet enters this kind of like volcanic hell state. Okay. And so there are cultures built around surviving that essentially. Yeah, okay. And so there are a couple of um, cities that survive it reliably, but whole continents move, like it's, you know, it's, it's constantly oh, cool. in a state of flux. Mm. Um, and that's sort of their culture stems from. And I really like that idea, but I also like the idea that how disconnected from that you'd feel if you were a primaris, mm. because the cool thing the book establishes is that a lot of the primaris were taken, um, when they were, you know, at the point they were about to be initiated as full Astartes, they were sort of seconded by Belisarius call mm-hmm. and kind of secreted away so i came up with this idea of what if there was like a company worth of recruits that were seconded out of the the salamander's recruitment process after the great crusade but not long after the great crusade like so it's you know millennium 31 or something horus is dead yeah um but you know and has given vulcan permission to kind of recruit because the salamanders are so badly devastated by the drop site massacre and things like that yeah um but he also convinces vulcan to kind of like put aside some recruits and give them to belisarius call which is a really big decision if you you know don't have very many marines mm-hmm. as it is but some of them get seconded and become primaris ten thousand years later but they come back to a world that they should be really attached to and they've been trained to be really attached to but it's completely changed because it it's rearranged. it's rearranged itself in 15 years and yeah. they've been gone for 10,000, 9,000 years. Um, and I like the idea that like they are sort of almost given leave to essentially like find their purpose elsewhere. So it's like a fleet chapter of Salamander Primaris, exclusively Primaris, mm. that feel disconnected from Nocturne. So they've just sort of wandered off into space, like to essentially, cause their job is like their, one of their core beliefs is to protect the helpless, mm. which is why they're relatively good as far yeah. as space marines nice yeah. as far as space marines go yeah. and so the notion that they would perceive what's happening to the galaxy with the galaxy tearing itself apart with the great rift and stuff as an equivalent to what happens on their planet and so their job is to go off into mm. the galaxy and, and hold it together and then they can come back and refine their connection to nocturne but they're yeah. kind of gone and i really liked everything about that idea right why they'd be primaris and so on why it would be exclusively primaris the fact that it would sort of fit outside of the company structures so like i could Fiddle with the paint scheme a little bit. I wanted to add some more bronze to the salamander's th- scheme, which is like green and black yeah. and fire, hmm. um to kind of make them look a bit more like heresy salamanders. To kind of tie them to that, okay. I had this whole idea in my head. Turns out, I hate painting salamanders green, <laughs> and so this whole story I've just told you, right? Yeah, hit this rollback as it hit, did for me. I decided to take a break from what the big feathery boy that I've been doing this month hmm. to paint a salamander. I just thought I'll do one marine from the box, like I did with the Death Guard. Yeah and um maybe there's a better way of doing it but salamanders are like warpstone glow they their base green and it's most of the layer paints are quite transparent anyway it's super transparent i got mm. up to seven coats oh god seven thin coats before i'd really gotten anywhere near acceptable yeah, yeah um and this is over a dark green base it's just super runny and washy and unpleasant mm. and i had to have that think about myself you know like picture yourself 20 marines in you just did 20 Shiny red thousand suns in the stupidest way possible. <laughs> like, is this, do you want, you want this yourself. for yourself? Yeah. So mm. I, that whole idea is on ice. I've got enough to do as it is that I'm probably not going to come back to space for a little while anyway. Yeah. But that might
2: be me back to square one. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Could you perhaps tweak the, the green a bit,
1: go for a more orky green or something? I don't know. Cause you go too dark, you become dark angels. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like you got to stay yeah. out of dark angel range mm. and uh, literally out of the dark angel end of the paint range and that's that's the thing and also because i, I kind of want them to look and feel like salamanders i think m- i might try a different method because mm. i do really like the idea but i did also like the idea of doing imperial fists and you know what's easier than green yellow <laughs> <laughs> um so i don't know like I, i'm back to was back to square i don't know with them but I, it's a, it's a good enough set of i actually thought about writing some like a short story or something based on that idea because i really like the idea but yeah, it's yeah. and it's stuck in my head for a good train journey or two but mm. yeah it's that thing where your mind's eye fiction collides with i think when you're planning an army you have to like both sides you have to have a fictional idea a high concept that you enjoy yeah but fundamentally you really do need to enjoy the process of painting them mm. or else it's not it becomes a job when gonna it be to fun it. right yeah yeah like, mm. you know, I think you did it the right way around with your Stormcast to some extent because you, you kind of went with what's on the box. You were getting back into the hobby. Yeah. But you've ended up steering it in a direction that's yours. Mm. But it also hasn't been a giant, onerous chore. No,
2: it hasn't. Gold is, is nice. The gold mm. paints are lovely. It's just a really nice part of their range. Um, so yeah, I was looking in that, looking in that sense.
1: Mm. Mm. How's your, um, Path to Glory campaign been going? Oh
2: yeah, it's going really good. So, um, pretty much playing, uh, played a game a week for the last month, pretty much. Um and Path to Glory is basically um picks up where Skirmish leaves off. So skirmish is just you get like a dozen dudes probably by the end of a campaign. And then Path to Glory, you got like um your general maybe three units, and uh each time you complete a battle you can you know spend glory points for new heroes or to upgrade your existing units, that kind of stuff. And you can randomize stuff that you put into your Force next, Um, and obviously we limited it based on the actual models we had, uh, but it still ended up with one of my first starting units being a troop of griffhounds. Just three <laughs> griffhounds, uh, just running around the place, eating people, darting, running away, that kind of stuff. Being birds, being dogs. Yeah, and they, I, I I'd never take a unit of griffhounds. If I was doing match play. So it's another thing, interesting thing about how points affect, um, the way you look at your own units. Mm. Because in a point sense, they're just not very good for what they do. They're, they've got some cool tricks. They can run out of combat, which is really, really nice. Um, and they can honk to alert, uh, archers if someone's been summoned within sort of 10 inches or something like that. It's some nice kind of edge case stuff. Um, but it was really, really fun just to have, have them running around on the table fighting ghouls. Uh, and Jim had to put down, um, a unit of 10 crypt schools. Because the, the scenarios also limit the amount of sort of things you could take in a, a unit. So right. it says you've got to have 10. You'd normally run like 20 probably, um, at least. And I would normally like run. You know probably more Griffhounds than three <laughs> it's an odd number for, <laughs> for Uh and it's forced us to use those units and just kind of work around the limitations of our forces and, in a really really interesting way and the scenarios have been fun um and this the context of kind of growing your force and building a story over the course of a campaign is is really really satisfying um so it's been a really good way to play the game and to kind of force us to use our uh what we the models we've painted in different ways and to kind of rely on models we wouldn't normally rely on. Um, and chim has been running around with a massive terrorgeist, which is like a—it looks like a zombie dragon, but it's like a bat version. Mm. Who um you can scream at people and does bravery damage and stuff. It's just a really exciting thing to fight. Uh, so yeah, it's been really good. It's been really, really cool. Really a good way of structuring a narrative and also giving it—you know—just enough structure to let you not worry about points and just kind of mm. throw them which all down. The perfect, play. right? Uh, yeah, yeah, really, really nice. Uh, yeah, it's been really, really good, and it, it makes me really excited about the, the, the idea of that kind of grand strategy campaign. Mm. supplement uh, because it does such a good job with with this one
1: it's it's nice because it sort of rewards building one big collection as well rather than like mm. i mean there's there's also benefits to going to the direction where you go like and we have a whole bunch of different 1000 point armies so i've got a little bit of everything yeah and they can change a lot but well, that's attractive but i think with aos particularly now i'm kind of i'm looking forward to the day where i have so much zinch of different types that mm. we can kind of decide what kind of thing are we doing what kind yeah, of campaign yeah. are we doing yeah, yeah and i yeah, can I go more mortals more demons like have the demons on the side mm. like ultimately i kind of want my demon stuff to be almost like a side like a side deck mm. kind of to pull from for summoning yeah like to right. have a, a team of mortals that pulls on demons mm. to help rather than demons yeah, currently right. my entire army really but and I, i've got a bunch of vanguard stuff and it you know
2: it wouldn't take much for me to build out a, a vanguard kind of wing to my army and and i also want to buy another box of liberators because i've never actually painted the, the the box set of liberators all the extra mm. it. and also it comes with grand hammers and a lot of the stuff that the starter libs don't come with um yeah so yeah there's loads of stuff i want to do i want to paint some more prosecutors even um especially now they've repointed the javelins. Um,
1: you should totally, um, swap in the, um, shadespire liberators as yeah, primes. I certainly will. Yeah. That's a really good way of doing it. Cause they are supposed to be libs, aren't they? They're... Yeah. They're all liberators. Yeah. They, Cause they, they have, one of them has like a hammer and shield. One of them has a grand hammer. So it's a swapping oh, in. Yeah. The liberator prime can take her.
2: oh, that's great. Cause that gives me a little bit of offense that they lack at the moment. Cause mm-hmm. I don't have the, them correct, the, you know, built most optimally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I awesome. wish
2: that they would, um, sell star soulmates is in some capacity like ha- i'm having to hack together axes to get up to four i still don't have four uh and in my unit of 10 i mean i mean three is enough too frankly but you you're know.
1: close enough as uh, yeah but yeah. yeah like you want that little bit extra mortal you winner, know, but mm. yeah well i don't <laughs> um yeah so my my entire hobby month well you know what my entire hobby month has been mm. it's been very exciting yeah so after uh we finished recording last episode i um I really like, obviously I'd been planning for a while with this event coming up next, the end of this week, yeah. that August was going to be my all in on Zinch getting to 2000 points. And yeah. I will get there. I had to make some adjustments along the way. And I made a decision along the way that actually I want to go demons. One of the reasons for that was, um, I think like I didn't want to paint my Zangos to a time limit because those a detailed, detailed model. Yeah. And I knew that there was another big model that I had to get done, which was my Lord of Change. Mm. Um, who i've been sort of sitting on for a while not literally but he's been there for a while so i ended up um right after we recorded this episode kind of starting the process of assembling him which was weird it felt like kind of it's such a big project for me and i've kind of had it in my head and i've had that lord of change in my head like what i wanted hmm. since before that kit was revealed like the new lord of change um and it's been a really weird experience um a good one but like I've not I had not done a large model on that scale before and I had not done I had not like used all of my everything I've learned over the last couple of years mm. of last year, I guess, on on one project. I thought I thought it was going to take me a week. Tom, <laughs> right. I thought it was going to take me a week. Oh it took me three and a half weeks. Oh my goodness. And admittedly, I um I did have some sort of uh you know extenuating circumstances, some real life stuff that got in the way. Mm. But this was I think easily north of 60 hours mm. on one model, which wow. is a commitment. You say that after it's really, it's much nicer thinking that after you've already done it than thinking that ahead of the project mm. Like pro tip, always assume it's going to take a week because <laughs> <Right. laughs> then three weeks later, when you discover that you spent 60 hours painting something, mm. you don't feel completely paralyzed by how long it's actually going to take. Yeah. Um, it's also, I've it's, it, I think that between this and, and how my change, my thinking has changed recently, um, it's interesting like what makes a model easy and hard to paint is um is actually quite a complicated thing like mm-hmm. like you're saying about the primaris being edge highlighting forever edge highlighting accurately is hard i yeah, still can't do it, it very is hard, well yeah. um that means that the clean space marines that you think will be easy to paint are hard to paint whereas the yeah. gribly nurgle models that are covered in intense detail mm. are actually pretty easy to paint because they take washes very very yeah, well they yeah. dry brush well as well and so that but that, that is true to an extent, but I think I've realized... You'd think I would have realized this by now. I've kind of realized why, why Zinch specifically is so... Not difficult, but, like, it's so easy to just kind of... For it to feel super intimidating at times. And that's because Zinch is covered in detail, like Nurgle is, like, like a Nurgle model. Yeah. But unlike Nurgle, a lot of that detail isn't, like, organic. It's not... um skulls and pustules and tentacles and buboes some of those things it's also intricate jewelry like millions of gemstones Mm. um filigreed shoulder pads with eyes um knees that have mouths that have tongues that have teeth elbows that have eyes that have hand claws shoots that are emitting the the nascent bubbling mutant form of a baby screamer Mm. at the point of its existence that's also on fire (laughs) like they kind of do everything and they and there's definitely i've watched you know i watched some tutorials to get ready for the model i did some sub assemblies and things but there's a degree to which literally you can keep painting that model forever Mm. like and because you, you have choices you can you can dry brush feathers that helps a lot you can you don't have to pick out every gemstone you can leave them gold. They could be gold bubbles yeah. or gold lumps on, on the thing. Um, but I had this in for a penny, in for a pound thing where like as soon as last, earlier as last week, I thought, I'm not going to do all the gems. I did all the gems. <laughs> yeah. I'm not like, I, I, I got, I, I did this, the feathers on the wings in stages. Um, I, I, there'll be a minute, this pictures. It's helpful to have pictures because it's such a big model and I spent so long on it that it's got quite a lot going on and that's what i wanted mm. like i wanted it to be obviously a showpiece model it's going to be the leader of my army forever as far as i'm concerned yeah, right. i wanted i wanted it to be a model that you could look at and because i you know i agree with the assessment i think you've been on the pod before tom that miniatures painting is obviously a lot of the time creativity with the hard part taken away the mm. blank slate is taken away and replaced by a brilliant model that someone else has made and whoever did the lord of change model did an amazing job there is so much detail on it yeah it's it, it's 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 insane like you know it's there's Loads of it, and there's a kind of intense, weird magical logic to how it fits together, like what materials are and like how they transform into each other mm. and you can interpret that your own way in a bunch of different ways and I wanted one I wanted to bring up all the details, but two I wanted a model that I could stare at and kind of I wanted it to tell the story of what it is mm. essentially and for its time to tie the rest of my army and then all the rest of that stuff and i'm talking a lot about without explaining what it actually is but that meant that like i wanted to use the green fire stuff that has been on the rest of my models but imply that this is the guy that that is coming from Mm. and that involves like four or five different ideas from um his the tip of his his staff is made out of that green fire but almost like it's burning up Mm. and then that the tip of that touches um the base which was my biggest experiment with green stuff and plastic card yet so there's a burning Essentially, he has burned a hole in reality, and so there's a, a space portal, which the changeling was a practice run for, um, surrounded by green stuff fire that's sort of coming out of the bottom of his staff, but it forms as each symbol, um, sort of ripping a hole in the ground underneath him, and that was a reference to his spell, and that's coming up into his staff. Also, the kind of green energy is coming out of his mouth, hmm. and it's coming out of his staff, and... The closer you get to the edges of his wings, they almost—I wanted them to look like they were burning up, like or th- they're always burning at the edge. Mm. Like he, like he himself, is almost like a rip in space time because they're not supposed to be real demons. They are like ideas made flesh, kind of thing. Yeah. But also, when they do manifest, I want it to be like it's fucking—he's all in on manifesting. Mm. He's manifesting the fuck out of this. He's, you know, is this kind of like it should be spectacular as well. It's not subtle. Right? Yeah. Like definitely. if you are a greater demon of Zinch, you are, um. You know, and I wanted like sort of neon e gradients, like an 80s palette, like purples and teal and stuff and loads of different ideas. And hopefully they stick. I the think the reason they stick is because I use all of them elsewhere in my army and they all come together in him. Yeah. Um, But also meant loads of different techniques. And then like I was doing the, he has long feathers, like the, the Lord of Change Wings end in long feathers. And I knew they wanted, I wanted them to fade them out to green, like bright green. But I needed, I realized then that I needed something to be burning away. Like it couldn't just be a feather that mm-hmm. gets hot at the end. Yeah. So I ended up just painting a starscape on the insides and the outsides of his wings, which took two days. <laughs> um, And I really like how it looks. And again, it's one of those things where if you follow that, if you look at it in that way, then you can see that. And that's exactly what I wanted. But it was so labor intensive that mm-hmm. like I found myself like midway through that thing just going, like, I want. I want to paint a necron. I just want to dry brush I want a, a skeleton. <laughs> I just want to dry brush a skeleton. And I did use a lot of dry brushing, like you yeah. know, a lot of initial dry brushing for the highlights and things. And I think it really made me, it, it's been such a gratifying thing. And I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm obsessing over it, but I've been doing one thing for three and a half weeks. <laughs> it's in an it. incredible model. It's turned out so well. Thanks, man. Like I, I'm, I'm sort of tentatively pleased with it. Cause also I did that thing of, you know how like, you know, when you finish base coating a model, it kind of instantly levels up, mm. like as soon as you've got any, spray primer still visible it looks bad and then you get the color on even if it's not properly shaded yet and it's sort of like bing it's sort of almost ready and then you go through those evolutions this really paid off late in that kind of way because i know what you mean because also you tunnel vision on one technique because there's a a lot of different Mm. things like um you know, I did one thing for a long time, a lot of gold, a lot of, a lot of, lot of tap lapis lazuli that I've been trying to do, a lot of, um, you know, feathers and then realizing that like, and then going back and looking at the heavy metal one on the box and thinking, how have they done this? Like I did one first pass on the eyes, which are a tiny detail on a big model and realized that the difference between mine and the heavy metal ones is they paint the eyelids. And right. I was like, okay, get the thinner <laughs> brush. We're going back in. <laughs> and so I spent like half an hour redoing his eyelids mm. And, but it, it pays, it pays off in the end, but it's, it's like, you know, it's that sort of mad, mad process, you tunnel vision, it so hard. And it wasn't until I kind of pinned it together today, because it is pinned, it's pinned into the base as well, because it's so big, Yeah. um, that I sort of like put it down and then stepped back and I was like, <gasps> <gasps> like I did it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, which is a great feeling. It makes the whole thing worth it. It really does. I think, so, um, uh, the two things I would say about that process and the, the experience of it. One is that. Um, it made me realize, like, it's like, I think painting is not one skill. It's like a million different skills. You can break it down any, any number of different ways. Um, from individual techniques to things like, if, if it was a stat line on a character, then your stats would be things like technical expertise, imagination, patience. Like there's a lot of things that are sort of things. And I think I'm quite patient mm. and I can have a decent idea for a model, but it really exposed my technical ability. Mm. Like I'm okay i'm you know i can i can look at what a really good painter can do and i know and i felt this way a lot since i started painting again but there's a knowledge that i could execute this idea much better if i spent a couple of years improving fundamentals mm. right and i'm I'm never going to do that i'm never going to come back to this idea because i mean hopefully i'll be into miniatures gaming for a long time but i'm i don't want to return redo my entire zh sure. army like but good in 15 years when mm-hmm. I've actually can do this stuff. Cause you look at what like the army, the studio painters and stuff Games workshop or like anyone on cool mini or not, or anywhere because I look, look at this stuff and I realize how, how far away I am from mm-hmm. this. Cause so I cut corners and I, I can paint for a table level, but you go up close and it's just not as good as what other people can do. And I kind of accept that. I think it's compensated for by the amount of time I pour into it. And this whole project is felt like a bucket of time. it just felt like a bucket. I was filling with time. And then a bird man came out. <laughs> um Was it worth it? Yeah, Good. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, Certainly. it was. Yeah, it was. Because, like, like, I'm really pleased with that model. Mm. And, you know, it was great to put him on the table today and play with him, which we'll obviously talk about in a minute. Yeah. But, like, you know, that's why you do it. Mm. Like, and I mean, the flip side to that is it is to the, I know it's to the best of my ability, but when you invest that much time, there's that thing of, like, it makes you aware of everything you can and can't do. And so, you know, I'm obviously I'm pleased with myself for combining lots of different techniques, for using green stuff effectively for the first time, for building yeah. a scenic base that I'm proud of. But there's also the flip side of me that you know, is like, if I knew what I was doing with um, object source lighting, mm. I could have done a lot more, mm. you know, and all this kind of, there's a, you know, you always have, it, it, it yeah, it's a sound pat and, and shit and cliched, but it made me, it made me realize how far I've come, <laughs> or how far I've yet to go. <laughs> um And I don't know how far I want to go with it really, but mm. it was like, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm talking about this like it was some kind of traumatic life experience <laughs> I've been through. I spent a long time in yeah. a conservatory with a birdman and like, because I, I pay, i uh, so I'll get two top tips out of this for mm-hmm. the month. One is that, um, so sub-assemblies were a necessity for the staff, particularly because it gets in the way of a lot of the model and I want to be able to angle it relative to the base in the end and the things hanging from his hips because they get in the way as well and you're painting a big model you want the maximum level of detail you can it's not a small model where someone can't see behind the stuff you glue on them yeah. you people will be peering at it up close you, you can't get away with uh, masking like hiding unpainted bits and stuff really mm. you can, probably could if you weren't i, I worry about it so mm. i didn't but like so some sub sort of assemblies but also because of what i'm doing with the base with the space portal i couldn't paint him on the base there's no way i could do that nebula yeah and also you want to get you want to get up his up in that loincloth <laughs> with a paintbrush Yeah, that
2: up in the thighs, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. like
1: I'm, i painted the loincloth separately as well. They yeah. all came on separately. So if you if you look up between his legs, he's got he's got his his thigh veins. I picked where? them out. I picked that <laughs> shit out. You can't see them, but they're there. Hmm. Um and so that meant I painted him off his base, but he's fucking massive. Hmm. So my old thing of, you know, blue tack it to a jam jar, that's not gonna work. So my solution was I drilled holes in his feet and put pins in them, and then uh drilled holes in a uh plastic takeout box uh matching his feet mm. and then stuck him in that so that he would support his own weight standing up on this up box which he yeah. lived on for a month and that and then when i painted him i held had to pick him up and hold him and kind of like balance him on my Tiny chest baby. while lying down in a chair <laughs> like a baby and because that meant i put pointy brass rods in his feet and he's a pointy boy mm. he's got pointy hands he's got pointy wings he's got a pointy little tail he's got a pointy face one of his knees is a mouth it means i've stabbed myself with every single <laughs> part of that model you you've wounded yourself Like, I didn't bleed on him, hmm. but i probably i might have done i don't know maybe i did blood and sweat guaranteed. yeah it, it is literally one of those yeah. things it's like <laughs> you, invest, you know you, i'm gonna bash out a lot of pink horrors this week hmm. and they're getting bashed out yeah. like fuck them <laughs> like, <laughs> they um, deserve it. yeah um but you know sometimes you don't and sometimes you, you go for it and you end up sort of like dramatically connected to this thing you've made yeah. he's my son is what i'm saying <laughs> tiny birds <laughs> my son. magic son um excellent um the other thing so someone on discord because I, I posted a work in progress of the wings when they were in on their way after yeah. i'd done the starscape I'm normally super coy about work in progress stuff because I never want to work in progress something that I don't finish. Mm. There's that thing a bit, it's like telling someone about your novel, right? right? Yeah. Like, I don't have a novel. But you know what I mean? That thing of like, you get the satisfaction of having shown somebody, so you don't then do it. Yeah. But I did actually do work in progresses with this because you do something for three weeks, you go a bit bananas with <laughs> yeah. it. Um, But someone asked about the specifically the Starscape effect and i think that's a thing i could just tell people how to do yeah that's it's, i've you know i think i might have nicked this from you so stop me if i nicked this from you
2: mm-hmm. i think i might
1: have nicked it from looking at one of your models and figuring out how i how do it or how you might have done it so yeah i don't know
2: if you but, but not like nebulae like
1: you've done yeah, yeah well it's like. the same sort of idea yeah. so um there's also it's time consuming but this is how i got what i want this is also the same for the changeling base so um and interestingly i find that a lot of interesting things like painting materials like so doing the the green fire is the opposite of space. There you go. They're, they're, one is from a white base coat and one is yeah, from black. Okay, yeah. uh, but they're quite similar techniques hmm. with the exception of the stars themselves. So, uh, but you could flip a lot of the techniques and they would work either way. Um, so, you start off with black. So the wings start black and then um, you paint the stars in uh, with little dots of Fenris gray, hmm. which is very pale blue, basically. You don't want white at that point hmm. or ever really, but um and that uh also you could probably try and get away with like spraying them from like a flicking along a paintbrush or something to try and like spray points on but it's not going to look right yeah because true random distribution doesn't look right you have to pretend you have to do fake random distribution which is just like a zen mind state you end (laughs) up in where you don't put too many close together but you also don't form patterns yeah also it allows you to paint constellations and things in manually like in and among the chaos yes um And you can make some bigger than others or whatever, or do some as a little cross rather than a thing, but you don't have to at that point you just get the 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 speckled starscape in mm. and then you take you make a glaze out of lamium medium, and so my my nebulae are blue and purple for the they were green and purple for the change thing mm. um but I did blue and purple because they were going to fade to green. And then you take the, so the, the darkest color of each of those. So that was Cantor Blue for me and, um, Nagaroth Knight for the purple. And the first thing you do is make, I didn't make a blue glaze and pretty thin, Mm. like so much so that over black, you almost won't see it so that you go over it. But when it's, but you, you can put quite a lot on your brush. So it's quite goopy. Mm. And what's interesting about this is it means it pools and streaks. Yeah, that's right. And that actually looks like an aurora borealis or a nebula, weirdly, Mm. because of the way it clouds. And it would look bad in any other context, but that's what you're going for. Yeah. And what that does, and you sort of use your judgment, you kind of create that pattern in a kind of organic way, making it look like nebula and stuff. Mm. And you do that with both colors, and they can blend in with each other a little bit because then you create the kind of moments of things. Mm. And you should also leave gaps so there's pure black space between them. And they'll also go over and stain those Fenris gray spots, Mm um blue or purple then you get the pen gray again and you go back over and pick out like maybe a third of the stars that you did previously back over the same stars and maybe add some new ones but what that means is you have then a layer of stars that have been stained yeah. and a layer of stars that haven't and that creates depth of field mm. and then you create a slightly less lamium and medium heavy glaze of the same color and build it up again and sort of push your kind of blobby nebulae bits of of a glaze out to the edges and things. Mm. And you'll start to naturally and then you go over again, you build up another layer of stars and you build out the stars again. And then you go up to a lighter shade and do the glazes again. You kind of just build them up in that way and kind mm. of mix them in together. And then you do a final pass with white and just pick up a few of the stars, which are then the ones that are in the foreground. So this is absolute pedantry, but there are nine stars in the foreground across both wings. Right. Um because mm. I just wanted to get yeah. nine in there somewhere. Nice. Um and also that's the kind of thing you think of when it's like Thursday afternoon, and you've been doing this for your entire life. <laughs> um, but, um, that is, it's actually not hard. It takes, it's a little bit time consuming, but you, you, once you get through it, mm. um, you've kind of, you've kind of given yourself a depth of field effect without having to worry about, um, like painting different shades of stars to kind of try and suggest some foreground or some background. Like yeah. you get the, you get the foreground and background for, for free essentially by just going back over yourself. Um, but also it does create a sense of depth on a flat plane which is the key with Mm. what i want because i this stuff is not supposed to be like a star pattern that has been painted on someone's clothes yeah it's supposed to be actual space that you're seeing through his wings because he's a demon a thought creature or like in the case of the nebula on his base which i did at the same time it literally is like a hole in space so that is painted onto a piece of plastic card so that it is perfectly flat so that you know it looks like Mm. you know there's it's different to the ground around it that's a hole not a yeah not a pattern that's how you paint space on the many feathers of the magical mystical bird creature
2: <laughs> yeah it's good um it's a good technique any that one we building up um you can create gradients doing it as well like i used uh, a similar thing to do to highlight the pauldrons on my hunters mm, where nice. it's kind of difficult to do that sort of manually by mixing colors without having gaps between them but you can glaze up and push the um push the glaze into the point where you want the color to be at its most intense and gradually build up a, a gradient that way mm. um so that is that's a good that's a good one it's kind of um nerve-wracking because it's because it's like really thin down paint a you, as you pointed out it just doesn't doesn't look different when you start doing it mm. you have to trust that if, by you know the 10th one it will come together yeah um and then it's also kind of con- controlling the paint while it's still wet on the thing which is it can be nerve wracking if you've yeah, got yeah. a lot on there. But yeah, it's, it's a good one. I
1: had that because um in my, my paint was up in the conservatory, when the sun comes up or when like it reaches its kind of morning height about nine AM, um it's like right in my eyes and I can't see. Mm. So I have to kind of turn away. But this morning I knew I was like on the final sprint to finish the model. Sometimes I'll just take a break at that point and go yeah. and do some work or something. But like, you know, um I wanted I wanted him done and I was, still had the 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 fucking horns on his wings to paint obviously because he's got mm. horns and his wings and that's highlighting black in a particular way to break it look like bone and i couldn't see the highlight going on mm. i couldn't see the difference in eshing gray and black yeah, yeah, so i was just i was just like blind kind of staring into <laughs> yeah, the thing like just i trust that this is happening so i finished in this sort of like mad reverie like stabbing <laughs> myself in the chest within like yeah um got there in the end and definitely not scarred by that process and <laughs> looking <laughs> forward to more hobby this is a uh, what I, I fear about the star drake as well where
2: mm-hmm. like will it be a three- week project I was I was lucky because I got the prime done in a weekend um and that was I felt relief because I thought that it turns out there's not too much once you've done the star orrery thing that he's mm. standing on, the rest is pretty straightforward. He's a big Stormcast. He's a big Stormcast. He's exactly the same as every other Stormcast you've done. So it's all those techniques are really fast. And it's just the, the base that takes up all the time. Um, mm. And that was like super fast and super fun. And immediately gives your army a centerpiece, which is, you know, a, a lovely thing when it's on your shelf. Mm. Um, but the Star
1: Drake may not be that. <laughs> this kind of made me want to do, made me do more big creatures. Because yeah. it is fun. It is fun. But so like... This, that whole kit is basically like a zinchian trap mm. because you can keep going right right like you know and and you can sort of trick yourself into just taking on stupid <laughs> new challenges like there's no need to paint the starscape onto onto his wings mm. like they're feathers you could paint them as feathers which are super easy to paint they dry brush really well mm. if you want that's fine and if, if he wasn't a magical space bird man thing i might have just done that right like yeah. if i was painting a some ether wings or, or palador or something yeah. like i don't want like you, sh- you probably shouldn't paint a starscape on them <laughs> because that doesn't make any sense mm. um actually maybe not them because they do actually teleport they sort of going yeah they go into yeah. hyperspace yes. they, but you know what i mean yeah. like if if i was painting a dragon right yeah. like a, a normal terrestrial dragon yes i would i would i don't think i would go insane edge highlight painting an individual flame on every scale of its back or something mm. it was because this model kind of invites that kind of engagement yeah for sure. like actually dry brushing a big model like base coating his skin and getting the basic highlights in that was super easy that mm. so was just like wow this is gonna take me a matter of days <laughs> it's just when you fall down the detail hole and i feel like this yeah. stuff has it feels like it has a deeper detail hole than a lot of models from any range really yeah, sure. if you're painting like a an orc on the more crusher which is an amazing model mm. but more crusher doesn't need you to go nuts on the details with that it's Dry a cool looking well. yeah. mega battle turtle thing yeah like, you'll dry brush really well. Mm. You'll get it through. Like, you know, Zombie Dragon or something will be similar. Like, I don't think it should necessarily be this intimidating. Imperial Knight, even. Yeah. There's a lot of dry brushing metal and then painting the panels nicely and you're done. Yeah. Like, I think this is specifically short of, like, I think Archaeon's probably another one of those kits where mm. you can probably easily fall down a big detail hole with it. But... Yeah. This hasn't put me off big kits, but it's like, I'm... I'm not doing another lot of Change. Man, <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's... That's nuts.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. The Star Drake... I mean, he's a Star Drake, and you can, like, you, you can put loads of space Yeah, he could on his be made of Starlight. Stuff, yeah. yeah, trust and, me. Uh, so maybe I'll go, maybe I'll go nuts, so I'll just go <laughs> feral, and by Christmas I'll have a Star Drake, and it'll, it'll be orange or something.
1: Yeah. Do you have two of them, or are you making that up? No, uh, I've got one of them. Oh, you got one of them. Okay, fine. I was just worried that you would end up in a situation like, now, time to start on the second one. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> they are a bit cheaper, now they've
2: been re, re-, re- a little That's bit. That's not a reason. Uh, i do i do love dragon models i'm not like i think it's um i've got some problems with the star model actually i'm not a fan of its posture and um, a lot of stuff Mm. a lot of the detail i like and it's the power and it's got an amazing face uh but we'll see maybe once i've got one it'll be my own little lizardy baby and i'll love it
1: yeah i mean like you know i had some i had some concerns about the the dynamism of the lord of change pose but i just you know my boy now my weird boy (laughs) uh good excellent Shall we talk about the game we played with the big
2: old Birdman? Just a few hours ago, it was the first time I fought the Lord of Change, obviously. Yeah. After you'd spent three weeks painting it. Also finally gave me the opportunity to use my Celestant Prime. Yeah, sort of. Uh, sort of. Uh, so I've been hold, holding off and bringing him down and using him in any games until the rules change came out to, to mark a moment of escalation in our ongoing mm. campaign. And
1: also a, a moment of me finally delivering on my half of a kind of <laughs> mad hero miniature bargain. <laughs> um, yeah, so this, this game, obviously game of age Sigma between my, my Zinch Demons and, and friends and your Stormcast, mm. I think we kind of intended as a, a narrative follow-on from the games we played last time. Yeah. So to recap briefly... Um, stormcast established a beachhead sort of in a, in a part of the realm of metal where zinch's ascendant seeking an entryway to the silver tower we haven't really decided whether this is like a prequel to our silver tower campaign or, yeah. or a sequel to it <laughs> we'll figure that out at some point um they uh however their their guide on the way was a duoden fire slayer who turned out to be the changeling zapped some dudes yep but they did win the battle on the beach well, I say beach. I, I do think of it as kind of like a uh, like an iron shoreline kind mm. of thing, up into a ruined settlement yeah. um, where they were actually beaten back f- for the first time yeah. ever. This tide started to turn. Basically because of bollocks, but it's zinch, so the, it's
2: fine. The, uh, the heroism of uh, an extremely roidy
1: downwater uh, yeah. <laughs> minotaur. Just uh, ripping fulminators to pieces. Yeah, going then, down a flank. Uh, but it was a sort of, it was a marginal victory. Like, mm. it was, you failed, it wasn't that you, you know, your Stormcast had been uh, annihilated or anything. It was mm. that they failed to consolidate their initial advantage and were sort of pushed back. Yeah. So, apparently, uh Sigmar's response was to muster uh sort of some of the big guns. Not a huge force initially, mm. but your army was basically, like, a lot of the stuff we used to run before we started experimenting with what happened, bringing in the Vanguard Hunters and things. Yes. So do you want to run through what you had on so, your yes, side? Yes, it would be, um, up in the,
2: uh, Realm, Zurich or whatever, um, in space. And there was the 10 Retributors with the few Star-Star Maces. I love them. They're my favourite. They're amazing. Um, on the ground, there are two Form monitors with my daughter, on Drakoth. Um, the Admiral Relictor who's just a superhero of the, both of mine, my campaign with the with Chimp, actually. He's just like a really characterful model. And he had lightning chariot, which is that lets you kind of teleport people across the battlefield on a a chariot made of lightning, which is sweet. Um, Had five judicators who were bowmen, um, five liberators who were just normal hammer and shield guys. And uh, a knight, what's it called? Knight Venator, which is like a a gold man with enormous wings and a bow and a bird who flies out and pecks people's eyes out. Mm. Uh, Once again, he gets to shoot like a super mega arrow that can take out heroes in one hit. If you roll correctly. Hmm. Uh, and who else? I've had some hunters who are in pursuit. That means they can kind of come on like skirmishes after the game has started. And that was it, I think. Oh, and the Celescent Prime. Oh yeah. You <laughs> that- should explain how he works because it'll be relevant. Yeah. So he's, um, he always sets up in space pretty much. Um, you can choose when he comes down. Whereas if you use the, the space rule, normally you're looking for a roll of three plus in each turn to actually bring someone down. And you, you have to roll each turn. So it's slightly out of your control. Um, but the prime can stay up there as long as you like, and for every battle round he stays up there, he charges up his hammer, which is Galmaraz, i.e., like the warhammer that the whole yeah. thing is named it after. Is, yeah, it is. He's got the, it. It's the the Sigmar's actual hammer, uh, and so every time he charges it up, each round he gets an extra two attacks when he eventually comes down. Um, and the, it's a really amazing weapon. It's like ren three which means most things don't get an arm save damage three uh and it can get up to 10 attacks off something if you keep him up there until the very last minute so can, you can know, potentially do a lot of killing but he's he's a little bit of a glass cannon he's not um he's got like eight wounds behind a three or four plus save something like that so he's not like easily killable um mm. uh, but um he's it's, it's that choice of when you bring him down he's also got a scepter that drops comments on people's heads yes that, there's that too uh, so, there's, there's two ways to use him, really. Either you put him down, kind of use him as an artillery unit from the very beginning, and, uh, just use him to kind of block stuff off, because he's got a big base, um, or you bring him down fairly late, but like two-thirds of the way through the battle, and kill something important with him.
1: yeah, mm. Yeah, it's worth stressing that the, like the Changeling, <coughs> um, the Celestine Prime isn't, he's not a Celestine Prime, he's the Celestine Prime. Yes, yeah, so that's true. So, he's a, he is a unique character. They never revealed who he is underneath the armour. Everyone thinks it's Carl Franz. Yeah. Um, Uh, It could also be Felix from Felix and Gotrek is one of the other theories. Mm. Um, Either way, he's an automaton now. There's nothing left of his personality. mm. He's just a kind of zombie, really. And he's sort of deployed in the moments of, of direst need Mm. in theory, Um, like uh, to sort of, you know, where Sigmar kind of is most directly applying his will. Mm. So it's kind of appropriate that when there's a lot of change on the table, then he he would send down a a big hitter to to help out his forces. Yeah. sure. So um, Miami's relatively, would be relatively familiar. It was, um, Lord of Change, uh, Chariot, units Pink Horrors, Unit Screamers, mm. Flamers, Yoggorod Thalmaturge, the Chaos Sorcerer Lord, the Gaunt Summoner, again, he's back, with his familiars, and that, and the Changeling. Mm. Um, the newly FAQ'd Changeling. And we went flicking through the old General Timebook, actually, because we, uh, we didn't have the, the new one with us, um, for a scenario and ended up playing, I think it's called, um, War of Storms. Yes. Yeah, you know, right? like so the, the, this was to sort of, we're trying to find something that would suit this kind of, you know, tank, like this kind of battle of wills mm. between two gods, basically like Zeech and Sigmar both yeah. kind of manifesting big aspects of themselves on the battlefield. So the way this works is, um, there is a storm front in the middle of the board initially, mm. um, kind of across the middle of the board and, Every turn, every... Well, at the beginning of every every full round, you roll off and whoever wins that roll sort of pushes it towards their opponent. Um, if you wound the enemy general, you get to push it again. And if you kill the enemy general, you get to push it really far. And if at any point it touches um, your opponent's side, so you get your Stormfront all the way across, yeah. uh, you win. So, and then you get sort of bonus abilities that you can use while you're in your half, although that didn't really come up much. No. It was just a way of kind of, you know... Uh, it basically is a big scrap to be honest but with this kind of mechanic though <laughs> it did affect some things um did affect some decisions and it, it's almost it's just sort of thematically interesting as well because like you know on one half we have sort of roiling zinci magic like this civilization that's just sort of gone completely to chaos almost like Almost that it's close to the realm of chaos at this point. Like mm. it's sort of being pulled halfway in. And then the other half, you have like Sigmar stormfront, literally storm with the lightning heads, coming yeah, down and the stormcast sure. coming down.
2: And it's cool because, um, if you've got a priest, you get a bonus to the rolls, um, when you're trying to push the storm. So my relic tour was actually just kind of trying to command
1: the storm and fighting the will of zinch as if he was, you know, yeah. charging to battle and stuff. Um, and there's a few other things that sort of fit thematically nicely with that. Mm. So we're going to, this is not going to be a full blow by. Blow, I think. Mm. It, I think we might make sort of. There'll be pictures and a little write up on the on the website, but it'd be more interesting, I think, to go through like mm. kind of how things shook out and and kind of, but also kind of what the, the big moments of the battle were because they didn't really. It wasn't one of those games where like. There was like one key turn. It was like big, there were moments and big, but mostly it was about sort of prevailing momentum. Yeah. I think, and some interesting moments. Yeah, it was interesting. So you, um, you finished deploying first, which actually I you don't normally, like I normally no. finish first, which is interesting, no. but that meant that you got, you gave me initiative on the first turn. And, um, so I deployed sort of in, I knew what I wanted to do, um, which was, uh, I deployed my Lord Change on, on one corner of the board um with some pink horrors in a position to kind of uh move up and down i deployed them and basically i actually did some moving correctly for once in my life but basically mm. i wanted to create a really awkward band of units either side of the lord of change because like i know that my habit of charging across the board at you is one of the things that has been losing me games yeah because you're shooting as long a longer range than mine we came up we came against that last month yeah um so my my initial aim was to force you to come to me so i get mm. maximum shooting like, it's tempting to throw Lord Lord Change into combat because he's a, a big, big boy. Yeah. But it's not where his strengths lies. His strengths are in his spells and his shooting. Mm. So, especially the way I've equipped him. So, it's like, I, you know, I will fight eventually if I need to, but I'm going to keep you at range for as long as I possibly can. Mm. So, the first turn of movement, none of my spells really came off, and I I made the decision to keep the Changeling hidden in your army and just slow down your Fulminators. Yeah. Uh Which didn't make a difference for interesting reasons that we'll get to. But, um. I didn't reveal the change league straight away. Probably should have done, I think, but mm. uh, I didn't. Um we used the liberator to represent the thing, which is a nice fun yeah. thing. Just a random liberator prime sat at this corner. <laughs> Who's that guy? I don't um, know. Um basically moved my uh pink horrors forward, kept the screamers back, um, where with the clear sorcerer lord sort of standing behind the Lord of Change, ready to buff him. So across the corner of the board I made like a really, really fucking awkward Nine inch, so basically, because Stormcast have so many things that can come in nine inches away, oh, or whatever yeah. seven inches away. In the case of the Vanguard Hunters, that I, that's that's one technical lesson I've ever learned since we started yeah. playing is like you how to create Stormcast. a bubble. Because I didn't want you to get the Retribute to drop and pummel the Lord of Change to death and mortal wounds. You've got fourteen wounds, but you'll still get them, yes. like eventually. Yeah, sure. And then that'd be the game. Mm-hmm. So I created that bubble. The other parts of my plan was I put sort of like stuff you can't ignore but probably want to ignore on my other flank. So the Chariot and the Thaumaturge and the Flamers. Yeah. Because they'll do a bit of damage, but I don't really think I'm going to keep any of them mm. alive very long. But if you're spending time there, you're not spending time somewhere else, which could ultimately go in my favor. Um And then in the middle, I had the Gaunt Summoner almost bang in the middle with another unit of Pink Horus ready to shield him. Mm. My aim with him was to uh, get the vortex up as soon as possible and stand on top of it with a 36 inch bubble yeah. firing mortal wounds at things. Mm. So that was my, my opening turn was very passive. Um, but I knew I didn't want to fall into the trap of running at you mm. when you had the chance to get a double turn. Indeed. What was your, how, how what was your thoughts at the beginning?
2: Uh, so I had my formulators my general on the left and they're kind of like opposite your Lord of change pretty much. Um, and i had like a central unit of uh, classic shield wall of liberators protecting the archers which is just like a good thing to do with them and the venets are there in the middle so that they could move and shoot anything they wanted on the board pretty much um the relictor was within three inches of several key units um so that i could pick and choose which thing i lightning charioted depending on how you deployed um, and it's a three inch range on that so part of like clumping up so closely was i could teleport the general if i needed to or honky man oh yeah i forgot like that honky man was there he's always there he's always there um or i could teleport the forminators or the liberators or the judicators like they were all in the range of him um so that's pretty much the the logic there Mm. um so when it came around to my turn basically refused flanked and uh decided that i was going to put a lot of my strength onto the right hand side of the board a to keep the general out of range of Zeech magic coming from the cluster of um like wizards you had the cluster your, of wizards that's the word of that yeah, yeah uh, around your lord of change there um, so i thought well they could go and kill stuff and basically be relatively free of harm because they're, they're quite tough so um i used the, way to the lightning chariots the formulators even though they were moving at half speed, the lightning chariot doesn't move at half speed. So they zap, zap them into a forest on the other side of the board. But like the implication there that the changeling finds some way of distracting them, to <laughs> slow them down, and just like, nope, nope, don't care. Like, <laughs> you guys are going over there now. Uh, so he, he waggles his staff and uh, a lightning chariot carries them across the board. The general follows them. Um, and he gets a good run roll that puts them in the forest as well. When they're in the forest, they're going to have plus one save. So they'll be like two plus. Um, so they felt relatively safe if, if the flamen's got within range of them and, uh, yeah so what happened next? I think I just shot your flamers off. you killed all the flamers with shooting from the adjudicators, and the yep. venator. eagle killed the rest the final one yes, um so yeah got the flamers off because they they're potentially
1: very good, so you know, yeah, oh, well, actually, sorry, you got them low and then the honk
2: oh yeah, I killed the final
1: one and did three wounds to the chariot, so I got the chariot to half as well, right.
2: yeah, so much to do like a bunch of damage to probably the, some of the most offensive stuff in your army and pretty pretty early and also I was, I was playing ideally for the set for the double turn as well so the formulators in the general weren't if, if i got the double turn they could come out of the forest and get a charge on the chariot um and they would be relatively safe if i if they didn't get the double turn if you know what i mean so is that interesting thing in age of Sigmar of like well this could go either way and i don't want to like Overly gamble with them because they're they're tough and they'll stick around for most of the game if I keep them alive. Um, but I can keep them safe, but and then run out in the second turn to do stuff. The um the other big thing that happened is your Retributors came down straight away. They did. In no, the first turn. They they did, and that was like not ideal because I was hoping that your I would open up space and to then bring down the Retributors. Like I didn't really want to bring them down that early. I wanted to your army to be in a different shape. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, tried, I measured everything. Um, behind the lord of change like looking for that drop in the back but you've done a really good job of just like shutting that down which is exactly how you play against stormcast um so they like it's been ages like going around with the measuring tape, figuring out where they could come down because they've got to come down to somewhere and part of me thought oh I, mean, I, I, I thought about putting him down next to the relictor so he could lightning chariot them in a future turn basically kind of putting off the decision but in the end i thought fuck it and <laughs> put them down right in the middle of the board uh nine inches away from your gaunt summoner so mm-hmm. right in the middle of your army there i thought well let's see I mean, how many things they can chew through before they die because i still got the formulation, They still got the prime you know that it's not yeah. like an all or nothing. I actually looked rad as well because yeah. you had
1: like in a smaller army initially and then this mm. sort of like steel wall of mm. like retributors coming down they're, they're coming Very down cinematic this, kind of image yeah of, through like, the storm as well
2: there's already like lightning striking everywhere the relictor is lightning charioting people across and also trying to you know wrangle the storm his own way mm-hmm. and then these retributes come down and they're sort of crackling with all this energy they did then fail their charge they failed their charge so obviously you know but it was a nine inch <laughs> charge so it's not guaranteed yeah not, not, yeah, I, was, I mean that's pretty expected, really. Mm. Like you, you put them down hoping for it, but
1: you, you know, just then being there is like thirty wounds behind so four. So it, it was at this point that I realized that I had a, there was fifty percent chance based on the following turn roll of something yeah. really bad happening. And yeah. the reason for this is so on the previous turn I, there's there's two reasons why I didn't summon. I was, this is was just rewind time slightly, just back to a decision that turned out to have been pretty key. I think, mm. um, I chose not to summon the Bellwind Vortex on the first turn, which yeah. I could have done because it boosts the gun summoner's range to 36. I'd put him 12 inches into the board. So if he, is that bubble of control? There yeah, as well. He, if he, um, if he goes up on the vortex straight away, mm. he, um, he, uh, will cover the entire board basically. Yeah. Um, and also you can't enter within three inches of the vortex. Mm. So that would create his control bubble. There are two reasons why I didn't summon it on the first turn. Mm. The first is, uh, honest to God, I realized that I'd put the, got someone down next to a piece of terrain right and i didn't want to fuck with the board too much because it'd be moving my other models around mm. and that's just one of those things i don't know how you'd handle that in a competitive circumstance because mm. you push all units away from it three inches yeah which would have affected the pink horrors they were standing next to mm. but i don't know what you do if there's a piece of terrain there so i just thought mm. uh, i'll move it forward the other thought was that i wanted to create this really awkward functionally like six inch sphere in the middle of the board that you'd have to like flow around like water yeah. around a rock mm. and he was a little bit too far back for that to be really useful to me or would limit my
2: movement options yeah I, I think um regarding that rule i think it just goes up and train isn't affected like it's not gonna be a train around i think it specifically says units does not it or models it
1: does but i mean physically fitting the two things on oh, is gonna be a tricky thing right uh, that yeah. was so it was just it also like just felt like it was one of those sort of weird gamey moments. And I wanted the cinematic thing of him summoning it on open ground. Yeah, sure. So I had moved the summoner forward like four inches. So he was in the clear, mm. Um which would have been, so there's a couple of circumstances where he wasn't in any, I put, um he had mystic shield on him and reroll saves. So there was a sort of, I was hoping he wasn't going to get shot off. If mm. you, uh if you did shoot at him, also your like the, you know, the bulk of your army was um like quite slow. So obviously the retributors can come down, but I mm. was basically preoccupied shielding the Lord of Change. And I realized thinking about this, that like what I could have done is move the screamers forward to shield the gaunt summoner from the front. Yeah. But that would have exposed the Lord of Change from the side. Yeah. So in hindsight, I don't think I would have done anything differently, but this is key because, um, suddenly the gaunt summoner can be hypothetically pummeled to death before he can get up on the vortex, yeah. but it comes down to who gets that turn mm-hmm. roll off. Mm. And I won it. Hooray!
2: <laughs> Stormcast got the double turn. And um so the Formulators went up the right hand side with the general. They they failed to charge, they rolled a snake eyes for them. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, they were three inches away. You have to be three inches away before you um like attempt to charge. And sometimes that happens in AOS. Like there's always that. Yeah, you may roll the snake like, eyes on a uh, three inch charge. It's yeah, very funny. just, but... just happens. Mm-hmm. Um General went in, did his kill job, blew it up with mortal wounds from his hammer. That was good. Um the
1: uh who else who did I shoot that turn? I think
2: I shot the Thaumaturge bit?
1: You th- you shot the Thaumaturge down to a couple of... You took a couple of wounds off him, I think? Yeah, I took a couple of wounds off him. I think I started shooting your Lord of Change. You um, did. You also took... You took five wounds off the Lord of Change for shooting.
2: Oh, that's, that's what that I did. Yeah, yeah. That was sensible of me. Um, Yeah, so the Lord of Change is great. He's kind of, like, seems very vulnerable to shooting because his save isn't amazing. Hmm. Uh, and, like,
1: he doesn't seem to... Like, if he had some sort of, like, minus on to hit on shooting abilities or something... I'd given him... A- um, I'd given him reroll... Oh no, I hadn't. That's the thing. So on my first turn, this is one of the reasons this is brutal. Mm. Um so the Chaos Sorcerer Lord has that buff on oh, yeah. a, on a um you know that oh no, I had given him reroll saves a one. I'd given him reroll saves a one, but I forgot it that turn. That's right. just one thing that oh, okay. we yeah. on. I was like, oh like shit. That. But even then, like the thing that had failed with Mystic Shield had failed on my hero face oh, yeah. and then you got full two full turns before I had a chance to yeah, buy, that's push back up. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So he was he was unusually exposed in that, and that was a really good
2: head start and wounds on him, I and mean, because I damaged him, the stormhead sort of pushed. Yeah, back a the bit. the retributors also made their they turn. made the charge. Um, I mean, yeah, so they charged into the gaunt summoner, and did you also swing down the vanguard on that turn as well? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, brought down the vanguard on the very left hand flank and kind of pushed them into some pink horrors, knowing that like if they were in combat, they'd be within shooting range of the uh, of the the um lord, of, lord change. of change and also there was a chance they could beat the pink horrors probably about you know not. It's a about fifth, i think five vanguard versus ten pink horrors is yeah. like a wash they just fight each other forever pretty much that's how it kind of turns out and they 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 struggle to like they certainly don't have the damage output to necessarily take out pink horrors as an entire unit hmm. unless you get very lucky with rolls um but that was fine as expected and um, that was it that was my second turn well hang on we're missing the Summon. <laughs> oh,
1: oh yeah. yeah yeah so he charged the core Summon and blew him up uh, not before he uh so you oh chose yeah. to activate your general first yes into the chariot killed mm. the chariot and used your potion which allows you to activate two things yes. i think you activated the, the um hunters the hunters as well because the, the one thing you weren't worried about was just the gaunt summoner by himself Correct. like stabbing <laughs> yeah but this has never happened before so the gaunt summoner has a really on paper totally terrible melee attack mm. where it's like hits on a three wounds on a four no rend but and it's only like one damage but if it does wound then before you apply that damage, you roll two dice, and if you can beat your opponent's bravery, mm. uh, you just remove a model, regardless of how many wounds it has. So yeah. hypothetically, it's the hero killer. But the idea is that he stabs you with, like, a vorpal blade, and if you don't pass, like, a psychological test, you just turn into feathers and eyes and vanish. Yeah. And so, you know, fuck one retributor in particular. It actually <laughs> yeah. happened for once. So you've yeah, you yeah, got someone just- like, managed to just pop a retributor before anything can happen. Yeah. Um. And I was so i'd forgotten i'd it's been a while and i'm an idiot i'd completely forgotten how star soul maces work mm. i assumed they were the ones that explode on sixes mm. not that they're just automatic mortal enemies. Oh yeah they're bullshit <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're total bullshit um and so um the go- one of the go- someone as familiars uh applies minus one to hit to you so i was like oh your maces can't explode which mm. is true the normal hammers can't That's explode yeah. because if you roll a six it becomes a five and therefore the effect doesn't trigger mm. um <laughs> but then you just rolled your star soul mace roll, and it was just like just it, deleted him. it was just like eight more and he's he' has gone, so gone some it gone completely mm. like hasn 't done anything um so yeah, and then it was my second turn mm. um which this was this was like feeling like one of those games at that point because um well, there was a couple of things all at once one was that um uh you by wounding the general you had managed to push. I think you'd push the stormfront at that point to six inches from my side of the board. Oh yeah, That's right. which is uh means that any and it moves in six inch increments. So mm. if it moves again in your favor, I have lost the game. Um, and and you roll off before you roll for initiative each turn. So I have to have to push it back, or I have a fifty percent chance mm. of losing the game. Yeah, that turn. Um. And I've just lost, uh, so between the flamers, the chariot and the gaunt summoner, which were all destroyed that mm. turn and losing the gaunt summoner function means losing the bail to some extent and it's bonuses because no one else is good on it. Yeah, Like the, it's okay with the changing thing, but the, it's really the gaunt summoner, the benefits from it meant that it was like, it was like 500, 600 points in the hole. Like it was like, okay. So mm. I knew that, um, I had to get more all wounds out to start clearing some stuff up. Um, I also knew that I could realistically charge your general with the Ogre Thaumaturge. and the Thaumaturge does mortal wounds when he charges. Yeah, it's good. So, I, un, like, it was unlikely that I wasn't going to hurt him. Failing that, turn would have been disastrous. Mm. But I realized as well that, like, I had to start getting the wounds out. Um, I did not have a great spell casting turn, mm. which didn't help. So, I got. Um, I did think. I, I do think I managed to kill. The way I ended up splitting it was I didn't think that my shooting would get through into the Retributors because of their armor and the amount of wounds they have, yeah. like, you know, in a useful way. So I poured my shooting into the uh, Vanguard Hunters, mm. but only managed to kill one of them, I think, with everything. Yeah. They have the same save as the
2: Retributors. They're all four plus. Yeah. It's just the
1: wounds. It's just the wound count. Yeah. Having two wounds each. So just the, like, I needed models off the board rather sure. than like, damage can matter later, but I just wanted stuff gone. Yeah. So I threw the shooting in them and I threw all of my damage spells into the um, Retributors. The Lord of Changes damage spells. Lord of Changes is a very, very reliable spellcaster because mm-hmm. the way it works is you roll two dice as normal, but then you change the result of the lower dice to match the higher mm-hmm. dice. And he gets uh, loads of bonuses to cast as well. Yeah, and he gets loads of bonuses to cast and it's like plus one to cast and then expect, just by yeah. being him. Mm-hmm. So he's a very reliable spellcaster, particularly for the harder spells to cast, the higher damage stuff. Um, but Zeke's spells are a little bit swingy, mm-hmm. Like, That's, you know, so, uh, the two, like, so for example, like, so one of the spells, um, his uh the gateway which is his spell is you roll nine dice and for each one of them that beats a certain value um you do a mortal wound so it could potentially be you know if he's undamaged it's roll nine dice and every three up is a mortal wound yeah that's really good which is really good but because you managed to hurt him it was onto a four up mm. and but it only did one wound in the end so that mm. was just like, yeah that was oh, oh. oh. No, actually no that one did kill a yes no i'm wrong that one that one did enough wounds i did like how many wounds does a we'd have three it, had, it did four. I remember it did okay. four. Because remember, because yeah. one guy fell into space. <laughs> but the other guy was just only mostly in space. Yeah. And then it did Zinch's Firestorm, which was the one that only did one wound, which is like, because mm. that's, you roll, um, nine dice and every six is D3 mortal wounds. Yeah. And I rolled one six. Yeah. And then, then I rolled one a one. <laughs> and so it's like, oh! Yeah. It, it's Firestorm, but not a lot. Mm. So that was like, I don't know what the average damage output of Lord of Change in terms of mortal wounds should be. Five felt a bit like mm. lower end, but. It doesn't really matter it's, that's just variant stuff but it was like it was feeling like cagey like i was already on the ropes hmm. this is my second turn so it was like I have to wait for the pushback kind of thing and it did kind of come hmm. in some ways because the so the thaumaturge charged your general um the mortal wounds were useful he was fucking terrible in yeah like he, he hits on a three and i was just it was once ones two so i couldn't just yeah. like like wah, wah, wah. um I I used my I was using my herald to bring the horrors back because unfortunately I rolled no ones on my destiny dice, which meant I couldn't oh, yeah. get some battle shock ones on my pink horrors, which yeah. sort of changed the way I played subtly. There's a lot of other little mini things like that going on. Hmm. Um, and but what I did do this turn, the only other important decision is I used all of my destiny dice sixes to save the thaumaturge. Oh yeah, because the reasoning for that in my head was he was on one wound. Um, he the by this point your general was on four wounds famaturge has a spell which if it's successfully cast does d six mortal wounds Mm. he also can fight also you can't like if i get a double turn now Mm. which was possible um he will get to fight again and he does have multiple multi-rend weapons i just kept missing with all of them yeah he's quite good so i figured it's not out of the question um also uh he gets more powerful Oh, I sh- I did forget this. Yeah. He gets more powerful when he's low on health, so mm. I should have been adding to hit to that, but that, we'll deal with that and the time when I remember. He also should have been healing a wound every time, I forgot that. <laughs> so there's a <laughs> lot really of reasons- There's really a lot logical. of reasons, a lot of rules I forget with him. Yeah. Um. but nonetheless, so, the thought was, even though you'd think it'd be logical to keep the sixes back for something else, mm. I felt I was so close to losing, mm. that if I don't get this double turn, it's probably over. Yeah. Like if you got one more turn, you're just gonna roll me completely. Mm. Um, and then thank God I got the double turn. Yeah. So, um, it was one of those interesting games where it's like, I went, then you went twice, then I went twice. Yeah. And then my second turn was a lot better. Hmm. Um, unfortunately the Ogre damage uh, failed to cast a spell, failed to hit with all of his weapons and then died.
2: Yeah. That's a shame.
1: Yeah. Which is just the way it goes. I mean, I did, I should have remembered that he goes enraged, it it gets enraged if he's low on health. I should remember that he heals a wound every turn, hmm. but it, that wouldn't have saved him because he got more wounds to death anyway. But it, like, yeah, it was brutal. um, and then, um, but I did manage to do quite a lot of damage to the retributors. Like, I felt like I'd, mm. I'd learned how to help hold them in place and awkwardly split them with the screamers and the pink horrors so they couldn't move. Yeah. Um, and shoot at them and cast spells at them and just pour fire into them. But they take a long time to go down. Like, I got them to, um, I got you to two left, I think, but yeah. they just, they just, they, they <laughs> oh, no, hang on, it was, um, that was the, that was the turn, because obviously I activated the Thaumaturge first so he could do his thing. And then you activated your Retributors. And between, and, and it, you did um, nine mortal wounds with the Star Soul Maces and then exploding hammers. Because that, that was the turn of the exploding hammers. That's, that's the one I'm remembering. Oh, right? uh, I see. Right? Like, where just everything sort of started blowing up. So it was yeah. nine mortal wounds to the Horrors, which killed all the Horrors. Yep, the Pink Horrors died. And then you got exploding stuff from the General. I mean, he was, the Thaumaturge yeah. was fucked anyway, but like. Yeah. And the general exploded.
2: Um, when he hits on the six, like it does two mortal wounds, just immediately. That's what yeah. lightning hammers do. I got some uh, good.
1: I got some really good shooting that turn, though. I think because mm. I did a lot of damage to the adjudicators as well. Yeah. We had one thing that uh, was funny. It did happen twice. Is you rolled two sixes in a row for battle shock to your retributors, oh, and you yeah. would have had them all run away. Yeah. Then, only to remember both times that yeah. they were in range of your general for his command ability, which means they don't have to pass
2: battle ju- shock test. That was really lucky because they're only just in range as well. Uh, that could have been dreadful because I'd have lost multiple uh retributes so they're, they're very expensive like you really don't want to be losing any to battle shock ever yeah
1: so it was very unlucky if you'd roll six twice it was just like <laughs> l- and then to remember. no one gives a shit <laughs> yeah um and then so i managed to kind of reduce you and also by and, and by damaging your general uh a couple of times in a row and winning the roll for which direction the storm went oh yeah i managed to push the storm all the way back to the middle of the board yeah so it's not exactly anyone's game because you still have the storm cast nuclear bomb in space who hasn't even come down yet mm. But I had managed to kind of... You fended off the yeah, like the, retributor the retributors and the, uh, like, uh, you know, that, you know, when we first started playing, that, like, retributor assault, I couldn't stop it. Mm, and it would no. just roll through my entire army. And I'd actually managed to stop it, hold it down for long enough to kill it mm. or get it close to dead while not having lost totally everything. Mm. But then, um, so then, um, but then it was your turn. Yeah. Um, so it's basically the story is just very
2: slowly shooting but Lord of Change is, is probably the best way to take on a Lord of Change, really. So it's my little kind of core of shooting that they, they were lucky enough just to be able to do, do what they wanted for the entire game. So they just kept on relentlessly pouring arrows into, um, the bird and took him down fairly significantly, I think. You killed him. Yeah. You that's killed him. Right. You
1: got, you got, did nine wounds to him with
2: shooting. Uh, so what happened was you used those two sixes, um, from your destiny pool to save Thamaturge's life, which was a good decision, but. As soon as you run out of destiny dice or don't have high destiny dice, I can use the starfated arrow because I know that you can't just destiny dice a save That's against it. That's true, yeah. It. So I was waiting for that. And, um, once that went off, uh, the next turn, I lose lo- the starfated arrow and you still have to hit and stuff and you still get a save, but it did go through and ended up doing, you get, it's D3 is three plus D6 wounds. So yeah,
1: you only did four wounds, but rolled i rolled one, one but yeah. still four out of But then nowhere. the eagle attacked the, the lord eagle, of however, <laughs>
2: yeah, the eagle exploded a few times that, um, because uh the eagle when they roll a 6 to wound they just get rend 3 yeah because they just that happened twice in through reality yeah. yeah so um between that the <laughs> the eagle almost killed him the eagle was like Got him one wound, one wound uh, but those vanguard hunters who were in combat with the pink horrors uh, were within range their bolts and crossbows and they i think there were 3 or 4 of them left and they just um, in a hail of bolt fire managed to finally take it down uh which uh,
1: was good because i was scared of it <laughs> yeah and then the, the you'd lightning charioted the herald up into a <laughs> oh, yeah. into the oculum from which he dooted at the ground that the at the scenery that lord of the lord mm-hmm. change had been standing on yeah which killed uh like some pink horrors killed a judicator am i right about that no no, no. it killed uh probably killed one it of Killed a vanguard since. hunter yeah and badly wounded the herald mm
2: uh so he, it it's such a weird mental image like it, a, a man with a horn and a lightning chariot like being teleported into a building so he can honk at a piece of scenery that then explodes killing uh one of his own nearby troops <laughs>
1: but explodes in a way that doesn't mean he isn't removed yeah
2: it's just it stays
1: there forever yeah exploding forever um <laughs> yeah um it was mad um so i thought at this point that i had lost the game because mm. the door changer was gone and uh and the Celestine Prime hadn't even come down yet.
2: Yeah, I think you pretty much had lost the game by that yes, point. I think I <laughs> But, um, like,
1: um, so, but then I won the roll off. Mm. Yeah. Won the roll off the next one. So with a sort of sequential turn order, cause I, I mean, I, it would have been over if I had <laughs> like, um, and it, so I tried to sort of like mount a kind of valiant defense with the, um, with the the herald and the the sorcerer lord and the remaining pink horrors mm. um did manage to kill the rest of the vanguard hunters and move them into position to charge the uh surviving retributor mm. um at which point the um um i so i cast a spell that is f- fun called arcane suggestion um at the retributors uh, which you roll a dice by the sorcerer. Basically, something whispers in their ear. Mm. You roll a dice. On a four up, nothing happens. On a one, they start attacking themselves. On a two, they drop their weapons. On a three, they turn around and it lowers their save. And I got the, the turn around result. So the retribute just kind of, just, like, literally, in a moment of absolute crisis, the greater demon of Zinch just been shot to death with crossbows <laughs> next to him. The sorcerer just points and goes, what's that? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and all the retributes, the two surviving retributes turn around. Um, Shooting, I think, managed to kill one of the retributors, one of the retributors so mm. there's only one left. One and also minus one save is obviously a big deal. Yeah. Um and the Herald isn't great in combat, but the disc isn't terrible. Mm. And I figure he's only got two wounds or something. I can charge in with mm. the Herald, take the first the take the initiative, um and you know, kill the retributor. Get that at least. <laughs> so I charge in with the Herald uh miss with absolutely everything. Mm. At which point the retributor just turns around with the Star Soul Mace automatic mortal wounds. Just D3 And just like just blows his face off. Yeah. And so I almost imagine it like almost like a kind of grand slam like baseball kind of thing. <laughs> like I'm sailing in on a yeah, sailing back dip, out. Like like, again. Bang. Gone. Yeah, he died. Yeah, he died. Um and it was apparently at this point that <laughs> the Celestine Prime decided that they desperately needed his help. Uh
2: so you had uh, a Unity Horus left and the Chaos Sorcerer Lord and uh, though we both pretty forgot about the changeling because he was just in the corner of the board. yeah the
1: changeling didn't change, change so to clarify the changeling was there but <laughs> he chased he chased after tom's army for the entire game failing mm. to cast spells yes that was his story he did one wound to the lord herald to the heralder at yes. the last turn of the game yeah
2: shouldn't help anyone uh, so he decided to bring the prime down because like We've been waiting for this Titanic showdown between these two monstrous, extraordinary kind of creatures, representatives of our respective gods. Um, and, but the thing I'd been sent, he'd been sent to kill was already dead. Like, he'd already been shot by hunters, like the, the lowliest just battle line of, uh, the Vanguard. So he decided to go after the Chaos Sorcerer Lord, who is the most scared looking little chap. Uh, Cess Prime comes down, uh, he, Drops a meteor on the head of the Chaos Sorcerer Lord, and he's basically fine with that. He takes one mortal wound, but yeah, if, he dives out uh, the way of that one. Yeah, he, he dodges that bullet, um, but then does get charged by the uh, <laughs> glowing incarnation of Sigmar's Wrath and hit
1: with the Warhammer um, eight times. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> no, this, was, he missed a few of it. Yeah, yeah, you because you, the the Celestion Prime can choose to like change one of its dice results once a turn, mm. and you were like sat there kind of looking at the result, like how figuring out how much. You know, whether or not you should use it then to change one of your results and you did and you yeah. actually it. And then you over damaged me by about like eight <laughs> wounds. You did like yeah.
2: 14 wounds with one attack or something. Yeah. So he has no saves and it's three damage per attack. So if you hit, like, <laughs> you know, two of those things, he's dead. Uh, he's so dead as hell. He really the deadest he's ever been. Like, yeah. he, he does find a way to come back, but he's been zapped with Galmaraz now. So I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering if do. I should like <laughs> of, retire him now. So, <laughs> he's been so a, a law fact is that the Celestine Prime is special because mm. Being hit with the, by, by, with Galmaraz hmm. is enough to separate the good parts of someone's soul from the corrupted chaos parts of someone's soul. Hmm. So if someone is deemed worthy by Sigmar, you can be, you can be a chaos champion, get killed by Galmaraz and come back as a Stormcast. It's true, yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't know, I feel like he's too much of a shit for that. <laughs> like, I, you is know. there anything it, good in him? No. I don't think so. He's supposed to be rubbish. Yeah, he's. Like, exactly. um, so, you know, but it'd be lame for me to say that at that point, the Lord of Change just sort of reaches through time and space and snatches him back out, which mm. is what I've been saying has been happening previously every yeah. time he's died. Yeah. Um So God knows, maybe canonically, this is his end. He just gets <laughs> absolutely annihilated by the yeah. Prime. Obliterated all and Prime. His the soul of gets weapons. halfway up to Sigmar and then just
2: sort of falls back down again. <laughs> <laughs> Fucked it. Yeah. Uh, um, that was pretty much game over. I think I, sh- I, think I just shot the Pink Horrors to death. You, you, you shot the Pink Horrors to death
1: uh you killed all the screamers and the changeling was left on the on the other uh, side of the yeah, board like going like whoops actually peace <laughs> yeah yes, yeah um, backing away slowly so to be honest it was a complete dumpstering I, mean, I was resolutely put in a big big old bin but yeah it
2: was, fun. it was really fun and um yeah it was weird how it played out because i didn't have 320 points
1: of settlers to prime on the on the board for any i did have miami was 100 and 80 points smaller than yours so mm-hmm. the differential was about that's 100 true, points yeah. and without the vortex it uh, was actually yeah, exactly the same
2: yeah that's a good point um yeah i don't i don't know like i think we both played it reasonably well but um, i'm not sure what you could have done to stop the retributor bus because you have to throw everything at the retributors that's the trouble with them like mm. even if even the retributors um die which is obviously 400 odd points of stuff they take a long time to die like the, you have to hit me that's
1: all your mortal wound stuff you have to shoot them with everything i think i'll tell you what you did two things really well one was you kept your heroes out on my, my death bubble mm. and i think i i think you know like i said earlier i think i swung a little bit <coughs> low on the whole mortal wound factory that the lord change is supposed to be yeah i think you should probably be doing more than five mortal wounds a turn yeah um worth clarifying the faq means i can't destiny mortal wounds anymore mm. which is a thing yeah that's true um but even then i don't really want to be pouring them like in terms of you know, bang per buck. I want to be using those. You know, the potential for up to, you know, like if 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 Firestorm of Zinch really goes off, mm-hmm. and I roll, you know, I roll nine dice, and for every six, that's D three more wounds. That's potentially insane, right? Yeah. Like it, yeah, it's sure. really swingy. Mm-hmm. Doing one moon with it. Is obviously second to shit <laughs> um, Yes. But it could go, you know, like hypothetically, there's like 27 mortal wounds there. Yeah, it could have right? blown them up. Yeah. Um, and so obviously that could swing, but really I want to be using those spells to just remove heroes. Yeah. Like they just, definitely. They just get annihilated. Mm. Um, while, and that's one of the reasons the Gaunt someone is important because he's really good against groups. So he should be up on the Beltwing Vortex throwing those spells down on him. So yeah. That was a big loss. Mm. I think if I'd had everything, probably could have mortal wounds them down a little bit faster but that goes without saying mm. um like it's worth saying that like my flame has never fired my burning chariot never fired um got someone a popped one retributor and then yeah turned into a paste so there was a lot of hypothetical damage built into the list that just, just never happened. I think that's... It's that a thing double I mean. turn that I got, which did mm. did for you, really, because
2: you had all that damage on that one flank, and the just failed their charge, but, like, still, like, the shooting, the spitz attack alone is doing damage. You know, the mm. the General general's actually quite good in combat, even though he's, he does tend to die. Um So, yeah, I was able to... And with shooting as well, the Stormcast shooting is just really good. Like it's really,
1: like, it's hard for each to
2: get out of the way of that. Yeah, and I
1: can't... um I mean, I can, you know, I can experiment with bringing more shield spells and things in, but it is a trade-off, right? Mm, yes. I think one thing I'll, I'll do is I'll put, um, one of the, some of the more of the shielding spells on people. Mm. Um, like, for example, I mean, there's some stuff that didn't really pay off. Like, um, you know, you were minus one to hit my Lord of Change in the combat phase, but I didn't commit him to fight. And I think that's something I probably should have done. Mm. What I should have done kill is throw him into the hunters. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, to kill them. Also, but, like, there's a chance you can, like, block. There's a big building there.
2: There's a chance you could have. Ev- arranged it so that I could shoot you like just by being on the other side he's a big he's a he's big though. So yeah he's
1: big it was a semi-porous building and he's a very big <laughs> yeah. bird
2: yeah, yeah I'm sure you could shoot a star arrow through an ori not an ori whatever the. it's definitely not an ori Tom careful <laughs> careful there the oculum is like a big it's like a big spherical um just a weird mm. piece of magic technology
1: but yeah so this was this is a fun one um we got you know it, it, I like the I, I kind of feel like we kind of need to have that lord of change prime showdown it's got to happen at another some time point. because he just showed up to beat up a tiny man and yeah. then left
2: <laughs> yeah i'm not sure what the significance of that maybe that chaos chaos lord would have gone on to do terrible yeah. amazing i things. think i might
1: say that he's canon dead now <laughs> that, actually... that, that, that's his end yeah. it's just we might do battles from a different point in time like, yeah that's a good idea yeah like you know that's canonically
2: mm. he dies at that point <laughs> he's you get hit by Cal Maraz, you stay hit by yeah maybe cards. I'll make a Stormcast on me one day and there'll be one fucking rubbish Stormcast <laughs> maybe I should uh, maybe I could add like um uh an, an errant quest or something and that would be his yeah his it would have store. to be
1: it would have to be a. am trying to think what kind of hero we'd come back as because mm. it can't be just pick your shittest Liberator Prime <laughs> no, That's him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's him. Um, I don't know. We'll, yeah. It's, well, well he's supposed out. to be, supposed to have been a musician. So maybe he okay, comes back yeah. as a herald. Oh,
2: well, uh, I could add a second herald to me. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> I just, can't I just talked you into that. No. Oh, uh, man. Uh, there are two different models for that. I uh, no, as well.
1: That's not a reason to have more doot. I can't take any I more loved, doot. I love Dr. Doots. He's my man. I know. Um, but yeah, that was, so that was this week's battle. Uh, that, uh, that, that was, yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was it was nice time. For I'm going to try and, I'm going to be obviously a bit busy with. Tournament, prep in the short term, but I want to try and finish the rest of my train board so we can do a full six by four. Yeah, lovely. Because that will that will change the dynamic of certain things. Yeah, as well. definitely. Like, yeah. Doing this sort of fifteen hundred point battle on a four by four board obviously compresses things a lot. Mm. Makes terrain terrifyingly. I do think it ups the um it does up the the threat of those heralders Yeah, because there's, there's no way I can go. Like realistically, it's true. Like I can't very just hard to avoid. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh. Not to go back. Yeah. Because I do I do think they're fine, but I do think their their impact is amplified with the kinds of games we're playing like Mm. loads of models in a small space terrain 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 down because we want it to look good but then each thing we put down oh this will look way here and it's like (laughs) like i mean that it didn't actually happen in this game but it almost did Mm. like i've got my like dais piece of terrain um that actually turns out fits my lord of change base really snugly Mm. so i made him stand on it because it looks good (laughs) i didn't realize i was like i was hoping like it's a really low flat piece of terrain let's hope tom doesn't think that thematically it makes sense to honk at this because i'm (laughs) fucked uh he, uh he never quite did uh, no he didn't need to in the end yeah, but i knew any yeah. you know, like that was he how he dies he's like yeah, you honk at the he steps honked. he's standing on yeah uh, i do of, feel like that's one of the sort of logically flimsiest abilities in the game yeah the fact that it the fact that it doesn't remove the terrain is the thing for me yeah especially for like
2: i can imagine masonry exploding and taking people out and yeah stuff, totally. but then you know it's, it's a ruin that's left afterwards isn't it it's not a it is it's so ruined at some point that surely it's not going to explode again yeah, exactly, what happens, but nope. what happens, like a, yeah also a, like, like honking it the floor (laughs) yeah Yeah, yeah, something like that yeah just an innocent pond it's a magic horn it is whatever likes it is magic uh (laughs) yeah it was also the best mental image he's um he's great (laughs) he is i hate him very good um we'll have new scenarios we'll have open play uh we'll have every other bigger board as well then that's rad um it was fun putting down i basically brought almost all my storm guests to chris's house today and seeing them all lined up was Seeing them actually. up against each other is great
1: as well. Yeah, they? really it looks awesome. Yeah. It's really awesome. We should crack on and do some questions on yeah. because we've got loads of yes, questions. Indeed. So do our best to, to get through every question we've we've received in the past month. They've all been really good, which is great from a questions point of view. Mm. But obviously it means we've got quite a lot of questions and not a load of time. So we'll crack on. Indeed. And we'll, we'll see how we get on. Our first question was uh, posted to me on, on Discord by Universal who writes... One of the best things about the pod is hearing this emerging narrative between you and Tom's forces. Given how the AOS setting, uh, given how you see the AOS setting as an open sandbox to create in, would it be interesting to either of you to engage your writing talents and create some written fiction based on the events? Yeah, definitely. I've come up with a few ideas, but never actually just sat down and
2: done it really. Mm. I had a good idea for a short story set on the, in, um, uh, a town of the culture where the moon changes phases and each phase of the moon is a different chaos god and that changes the behavior of the, the society under it so that the society goes through like a a hunting phase and then a feasting phase and then um a kind of uh a dying phase and then comes back uh, pooping again. phase <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then the studio poop, pooping forever phase um and this is the color of the moon and the kind of the, the behavior they've built their entire society around it so it's expected that in the in the the phase of dreaming which would be zinch like mm. people just like in a, a day's wander out into the fields and build fucking crazy magic art, artifacts mm. and then the society almost has to wake up and deal with what the fuck you know yeah, <laughs> all this really all all stuff and then uh, the idea would be like stormcast going into that situation and mm. um two different Stormcast. Uh, so the Celestial Vindicators are extremely hardcore anti-chaos. Yeah. And they'd, they would want to just... That's ab- what my Night or is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, their, their their approach would be just to obliterate this. It's obviously chaos, but I wanted them to kind of come up against some hunters who had a more of a nuanced understanding of what that civilization was. And like, do you just wipe it out or do you try and save them or help them? Mm. And so, yeah, the, the realms are really kind of uh, interesting setting for... Like finding ways of kind of exploring human nature and also writing fun passages where people beat the shit out of each other with the games. Yeah. It's yeah. So, winning combination of things.
1: I, um, so I did write a short story, uh, I won a little competition, yeah. uh, for, for the Endless Deserts thing. I must have mentioned this on the pod before, um, mm-hmm. for the, uh, which Tyler Mengel did, which was his sort of Tomb King, unofficial Tomb King's Battle Tome. Mm-hmm. I wrote a bit of fiction, um, that sort of won a competition related to that, um, about <coughs> sort of, um, Death and zinch, essentially, and that relationship and, and the, you know, the way that I wanted to write something about what it means to be like a mortal servant of death. Mm. So not, you know, everyone thinks of those undead armies like Tomb Kings and things is just being skeletons. But I like the idea that because, you know, um, the AOS setting recontextualized Nagash particularly as like an actual god, not just a baddie. Like, yeah. he's the god of the dead. He, and, the you know, the realm of death isn't just full of skeletons. People live there. There are cities and civilizations yeah. there. Shadespire is one of them um i wanted to try and explore like what it um well like, i write about like what the you know what the attitudes of human um followers mortal followers of death would be mm. whose kings are literally skeletons yeah that's still are animated in some way um and so that's the story set after um the death the defeat of nagash by archaeon oh yeah um because that's kind of like a basically a a dogmatic crisis because um, because the skeletons start to crumble, but Mm. the humans are left alive and that's kind of, yeah, so that's kind of what Uh, it's about. Um, And uh, so it's about, um, it's only two and a half thousand words. I'll I'll post the link in the show notes. It's about um, a a group of like servants of the dead. So like humans trying to escape and it's, I tried to, I'm not, I've never been a big like writer of combat scenes and stuff. I want to try and figure that out. I've always been like a more into like moods and things, but um, because literally their masters have turned to, you know, turned into skeletons, right? Turned, mm. they just crumbled to the ground. Um, it's a pressing religious concern to get them away from the followers of Corn. Yeah. Yeah. Who will collect all of the skulls. <laughs> and which I, I never really frame it in that silly terms, but I kind of wanted that image of like, yeah. they have to like, ca- like carry them in these huge funeral runs and just run basically and try and escape mm. and, and send their own acolytes out to die so that they can get away. Yeah. But the story is also about how the you know, well, okay, it may or may not be the case that my favorite Chaos God is manipulating events in some way mm. to, in order to advance his own objectives in in the realm of death. Yeah. So that was kind of what that was about, and that hasn't really factored into my army much. I thought for a while that maybe that would be my Lord of Change and my stuff. No, oh, yeah, it's more that it's my like, um, you know, the, my kind of the way I think about how that should look, like starlight and kind of these sort of radiant lights mm. and things, kind of play into it a little tiny bit. Um, I did start writing a second cause, um, this this sort of fell through, but I was originally supposed to be sort of expanding that story, um, for the battle tome for like a fiction companion. But as far as I know, that fiction companion never happened. Mm. So obviously if, if uh, he wants to get back in touch and make that happen, fine with it. Uh, and then the idea was to spin that out into a, like a full cycle of stories, one for each chaos guard, um, which would be about, which would cover the distance from that first, uh, story which takes place right at the beginning of the Age of Chaos all the way to the beginning of the Age of Sigmar mm. um and so i've i've wrote most of the corn one um which is about uh a basically a bloodbound warband walking into this endless desert where everything is dead mm. um basically like trying to find something to kill so the idea of like almost starving like the previous story is about the followers of the dead wasting away in the desert because their thing has been taken away yes. this is like corn like deprived of all of its like you know corn followers want blood and honorable combat and skulls and there's not you know what i mean there's nothing they're mm. having to like kill their own but not in a way that said too much blood because they need to drink the blood yeah, yeah. so they can't yeah, they can't be cornish cornish they can't be cornish you can't be cornish um yep um so, yeah, I hadn't really made too much progress with that. I'd like to do more specific fiction for armies and things, but I think there's also the you want to leave things open a bit mm. because, you know, like I just said, I like the idea that my sorcerer lord just died because that <laughs> yeah. was what happened in the game. Yeah, yeah, And we can obviously, you know, figure some things out in terms of playing games. If I want to use him in a game, then we can just set the battle at any time and yeah, being chaos versus Stormcast makes that easy. Mm. But uh But if I'd written a story... You know, if I had a if I had a particular narrative aim for him, mm. then then I don't know what I would what I'd do. Yeah, but I want to, I want to do more of that stuff because it yeah, it's is a fun open. setting, isn't it? As well, mm. it's really really nice. Yeah, super open, and it's sort of um, you know it's 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 high fantasy stuff, but there's there's enough sort of like high fantasy logic to the universe that you can twist in interesting ways that mm. you kind of want to play with it. I think. Yeah, definitely. I've been thinking a lot about like what
2: it looks like for a stormcast to fail. Mm. and be reforged and still fail and what that really means for them personally and what it means for the you know sigmas view of them do people who fall out of favor just not get remade and that kind of thing like just kind of getting into the stormcast a little bit more yeah kind of examining what the hell what their
1: perspective no, is. my idea for stormcast I army mean, back when was to do celestial vindicators oh, yeah. but do them as stormcast that will not accept the fact that stormcast is bringing back mm. chaos champions because they're really okay. hardline they're yeah. very angry yeah like as far as they're concerned, there should be no redemption um so you know to have like basically extremely angry <laughs> celestial indicators, yeah, yeah. but like and have it be vanguard heavy so the idea is that they've walked off into the wilderness mm. basically like mm. almost in protest like you know they're not having this yeah. like they're off doing their own thing yeah right but i don't know if i'll get around to that because that's um one you know it's just another project another project the pilot project isn't it? pile and of project ideas. it's the binder yeah i think that answers that question mm-hmm. next question is from ben who writes uh, no doubt you've discussed the announcement of Star Wars Legion on this month's pod, but I wanted to ask if Legion is the Star Wars minis game you want. Large infantry battles isn't in a side of the Star Wars universe that particularly interests me, they're certainly entertaining to watch, but if there's one aspect of the Star Wars films that grips me, it's the climactic battles between Sith and Jedi. Legion isn't out yet, so we don't really know how it will play, but personally I'd like to have seen a smaller scale game, similar to that of the Batman and the up-and-coming Harry Potter games, pitting the many characters of the Star Wars universe against each other, Boba vs. Han, uh, Leia versus Jabba, Luke versus the Wampa, and so on. If there was any one aspect of the Star Wars universe that should have been captured in a tabletop minis game, would a large-scale infantry game be the top of your list? Um, cheers, guys. Really do enjoy the show. Michael, um, hang on. Ben. It's from Ben. <laughs> I got that wrong. Michael is the next question. Yeah. Spoilers. Um, so it's worth, it's, I, I kind of wanted to read this part as a PSA. Uh, the game you're describing is Imperial Assault, hmm. which is exactly that. Jabba even has a miniature. If hmm. you want a big fat slug man. Nice. If you, you know, if you have a little plague bearer, ride him. <laughs> if you like. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want Star Wars heroes fighting each other, that is Imperial Assault. Like exactly. Um, in fact, I think interestingly, I can't, uh, to flip this question on its head, I don't know if I can think of a Star Wars miniatures game that doesn't exist mm. with, with Legion. Legion seems to fill the gap. Yeah. I don't know if, I mean, you know, so you have, X Wing for dogfights, Armada for fleet battles, mm. Legion for armies, and Imperial Assault for skirmishes between heroes. Yeah. So, that's all covered. What else is there? When he said so, Jedi versus Sith encounters, I thought like a, a melee combat kind of dueling game mm. would be an interesting yeah, way to cool. do it. I don't know if it would justify miniatures necessarily, more no. like a card game, but. more like Inquisitor, that old range of,
2: um, mm. where they did like large scale um miniatures I can't remember what the scale was but it was like a few,
1: a few inches high rather than just one of them tell you what I'd play Star Wars Necromunda hmm. set in Moss Eisley no oh, that'd be rad yeah that'd be really cool you make you make gangs and they fight yeah that'd be great there you go there you go sorted sorted uh next question is indeed from Michael I don't know why I said it like that who writes um uh, this is going to begin the beginning of a theme of people trying to adapt our names to the armies we collect it's going to go in a few weird places before we get there mm messes zinchston and celestior <laughs> Celestior, <laughs> which i believe is a combination of Celestin and senior yes but it's celestior. celestior but it's all going a bit skeletal yeah, i like away. it i might
2: name one of my heroes celestior after after that
1: can that be what my my, my uh oh, Lord comes back as. sorcerer yeah it, the uh um, dr doots part two celestial <laughs> <laughs> um I'm just about to embark on building my first army, for which I've chosen the Stormcast Eternals. I came quite quickly to the idea of a Roman-inspired colour scheme of red and steel, which I'm now pretty sure I'm going to use. But for a while, I wasn't certain if red was a good idea on Stormcast, as all the pictures have, or at least had, them fighting the red dudes of corn. In the end, I figured they'd mostly be seen on their own, or with each other's armies, or with other people's armies, which could be anything. And also now, Stormcast vs. Nurgle is a bigger thing anyway. How much do you consider the colour schemes of other armies, your own, your likely opponents and com- and canonical opponents when choosing a colour scheme? Mm. Uh, Michael. It's just Rogue Michael on our lovely, lovely Discord.
2: I think I'd, um, I'd be worried about it if all I had was the starter box and I was going to pay these two armies and, you know, wouldn't want to paint, just get red fatigue after a while. But I, w- I wouldn't necessarily worry about it independently of that. Um, cause I think like they, the silhouette's so different and their whole, chunky deal is so different to corn that uh i think they'd look significantly
1: different even if they were the same color mm-hmm. yeah i agree i um i don't consider other people's armies because there's no getting around that really mm-hmm. no um i do think about my so i'll put it this way um if i i've thought about one context which is if i think i'm likely to kind of want to build out around a faction rather than like a very specific type of unit mm-hmm. which isn't really the case in aos because i'm just all in on zinch but in 40k i'd like to get some space marines and then i kind of want to an imperial knight one day and Mm. i kind of want maybe to get some sisters of silence or if they ever do plastic sisters of Battle, going that way oh yeah and i have in my head color schemes for all of those things and i want them to be complementary in a way that Mm. they would pop against each other so um i'm not i wouldn't for example do a black um uh space marine chapter they're all out because i know that i would quite like to do uh black armored um sisters of battle yeah um, if that happens. So that means that a space marine color in yellow or green, for example, would pop nicely against mm. them. I also know that I have a night household color scheme in mind, which would be like red, maroon, and white. Oh, cool. Uh, sorry, blue, maroon, and white, like sea blue kind of mm. thing, um, which again would pop against those other colors. So I've planned them relative to each other, but they're all like pie in the sky ideas really. Like at the moment, I don't have a particular thing where I plan in that way. No.
0: Mm.
1: But nonetheless, it is, a, I think it's a good think about. So you don't back yourself into a corner too much. Yeah, Agreed. Um, and similarly, like having yellow imperial fists would probably mean that I didn't do any custodies because I think yellow and gold would look a bit off next to each other. Mm. Whereas if I do salamanders, I might because green and gold go very naturally next to each other. Yeah. So. custodies
2: have to be gold as well.
1: That's yeah. Of yeah. Speaking of the imperium of man, <laughs> our next question comes from Pete who writes, I've recently read, or more accurately had someone read to me via recording, he means uh, audiobook obviously, uh, A Thousand Sons, the first Horus Heresy book dedicated to, surprise, the Thousand Sons Legion. It got me thinking about how the Imperium, about the Imperium and how it could have been and how it ended up turning out. Prospero is unquestionably a nice place to live, at least on the surface. Advanced healthcare, lovely cities, good infrastructure, the protection of probably the least objectionable of the Imperium's genetically enhanced super soldiers. Is there an alternate history of the Imperium where the Thousand Sons remained loyal and helped steer the Imperium in a slightly less dystopian direction, or is their hubris about continuing to use their psychic powers always going to result in some bad stuff happening? Lawfully yours, uh, Fiania slash Pete. Um. So... This is kind of like one of those big, like one of the the biggest what ifs, yeah. Really, Um and it's quite similar to the other big what if, which is like, what if Horus didn't? What if Horus didn't? Yeah, didn't Horus? Yeah, and because actually, you know, what happens to the thousand sons and what happens to Horus are, are linked, very intrinsically linked. But they're not. I mean, Horus pushes the button on on Prospero to some extent, but he it's not a, it's not like it's it's not it's almost like a, a sideshow to the rest of the Horus Heresy in some ways. Yeah. And Gilliman even says in the new book that he thinks what happened with Magnus was a huge shame and a mistake and you yeah. lost them a potential ally. Yeah. It does feel like so the one thing that gets sort of flexed in the lore is like how much zeech was directly involved with all of this. Because mm. if you have zeech directly making this happen, it feels like it can't be avoided in some ways. Like it was yeah. literally their fate because he's mm. the master of fate and that's how it that's goes. How that works. Um but I guess the flip side to that is it's all about the Imperium's attitude to psykers mm. where if they you know and then the question is if they were more lenient then they probably would have the Thousand Sons probably wouldn't have revolted or like wouldn't have been pushed into what happened yeah but there's all sorts of well documented problems that happen if you use your mind powers too much yeah lots of people turning into demons being consumed by the warp
2: Um, yeah I guess like things like the Imperium uses psychos all the time Mm. they you know they they have a whole program put in place for finding them and turning them into food for the emperor or uh, into warriors who can actually control their psychic powers so the, the whole bureaucracy is designed to bring up psychers and find them. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a massive hypocrisy at the heart of the Prospero story, which is what's so agonizing about it. The idea that the Imperium just went through a little phase of disliking psychers actually doesn't really. Well,
1: still, I mean, it still dies, officially. Mm. Yeah, it's I just, suppose so. Like, I, I think that's the thing. Like, it's hard to, imo- I, I suspect, for example, I, I suspect the the version of the universe where the thousand suns don't fall, mm. the black templars never exist mm. because they are kind of on a crusade against all of that stuff. You know, they don't use psychers. They, you know, and there's, I suppose there's, there's two things in which there are two ways in which this is extremely warhammery. One is that obviously it's a terrible agonizing thing to imagine what could have happened, but also it feels like there's no way it couldn't have happened Mm -hmm. given everything. Like it feels like humanity was set up to fail, which is the kind of one of the predominant themes of 40 K, right? Like it's it's almost worse that they are struggling on Mm. because it's, everything is set up against them. Like, you know, the chaos gods are more powerful the more you believe in them. So the emperor keeps them a secret and that allows his sons to fall. Mm. Like if the emperor had said, okay, we can use psychic powers, but you have to be super careful because there are these four bad dudes. <laughs> Ask the Eldar. Mm. Then maybe that helps a bit, but then you just get those people going like, well, what, is he, what do you know? I'm going to worship those guys. Yeah, and then, sure. You know what I mean? Like mm. it feels like there's no easy way out necessarily. Like, you know, would it be better if the thousand sons were allowed to, study their abilities and learn more about them mm. yes would they have found an answer to chaos probably not mm. like the only race that comes close is like the necrons yeah look how they turned out like yeah, it's true and you know there's there are lots of visual links between the necrons and the thousand suns mm. so like yeah i don't know yeah i mean if they if if they stayed loyal that would have been a massive
2: boon to the imperium i think horus would have lost the
1: yeah that's sooner
2: true. yeah um yeah, I mean, Magnus. If Magnus success, successfully persuaded Horus not to go Horus, mm. then that would have also helped. But I think, um, like places like uh, Ultramar, are a better model of like what a better Imperium could look like. Mm. Now, Grunemann's back. It's actually structured. And it's actually got you know hospitals and stuff and infrastructure. And uh, you know, uh, Prospero was was nice, but it seems like that you couldn't roll that out at scale across the Imperium because there's too much kind of grunt work needed. Mm. Someone has to make the stuff and someone has to you know make the guns and you know build the ships and uh prospero is never the place where that happens Like you've got to have your hive worlds as well so there's always gonna be the dark side to the imperium
1: yeah i mean uh, one of my other like brain worm army things is there's uh Zawakad is the forge world that the thousand suns um brought back into compliance oh, yeah. hmm. so it's kind of their forge world and i kind of always wanted to do an army from there because yeah, they cool. were the notion with them is they were kind of independent uh they were officially you know deemed hereticus due to their connection to the thousand suns mm. but because the horus heresy broke out at the same time no one had the time to <laughs> right. murder them all and oh, i felt right, like yeah, the yeah. idea of that as a, like a lost yeah, world world really cool. with its own they were the guys that invented the castellan the psychic castellan robots that thousand suns oh, get that right. they could control with their minds interesting yeah
2: yeah i'd, I'd love them to do dark imperium uh, sorry dark mechanicum mm. as
1: an actual force i mean there's got to be other cards so sure. surely yeah hope that tickles your law brain <laughs> lots of law uh next comes from mitchell who writes dear call and kalgar which is pretty good yeah that's good uh my friends and i recently went out and got ourselves some star start collecting 40k boxes i've been a fan of the fiction for some time but my decision to dive headfirst into the hobby was in no small part thanks to you and your wonderful pod oh we've enabled somebody else again i was particularly inspired by the work you put into the stories and characters of your respective armies however my friends and i are having trouble replicating that since 40k lacks the resurrection lore elements of aos my Chaos and Tyrannid friends can get away with it, but I find it hard to create character around my Guardsmen and Marines when they're getting cut down on mass every time we play. Do you have any tips for building a narrative in a world where people actually die for real? Mm. Thanks for the great discussions and tips. Love the pod sincerely, Mitchell. Uh it's a it's a tricky problem in 40k. So I think it's not I think it's not a problem in, gar- in for guard, no, I but agree. you have to be unsentimental. <laughs> like and accept that part of the fiction is that human beings, normal human beings mm. are thrown away at a rate of millions an hour mm. in most of these wars so uh, your guardsmen yeah. are just an endless replenishing stock of poorly
2: trained poorly armed <laughs> normal people i think you can't do stuff with the, the guards um, regarding like regiments with history mm. so um, the guardsmen come in and they uh, you know they're expected to Fulfill the um, qualities of the regiment how, according to how they've historically performed. So the idea that you'd, you'd be like a unit 43rd 40 th- 40 or something mm. would mean something. It's always about. Uh, coming up with a uh, a kind of history of tradition in in your Imperial Guard force and like what why each unit name means something to the soldiers. And, yeah, uh, you know, even though there are kind of faceless soldiers going up and fulfilling those roles, they're still going to have character because they're still going to be kind of fulfilling. Those, yeah, those that part of the history of the regiment.
1: I think thinking of it zooming out a little bit, not thinking of it as like these are these twelve dudes and mm-hmm. here are their names. That's that's a good scale for Necromunda or or for Shadow War or something like that. Yeah, thinking of it in terms of like yeah, a regiment and its history because the, I mean like there's a bit in um. Dark Imperium, the novel, uh, where like a, uh, you know, it's been 150 years since the gathering storm events where Cadia is destroyed and all that stuff. Um, which for the space Marines is nothing like for Gilliman, that's nothing, Mm. but there's a bit where like a, uh, a sort of veteran soldier is reminiscing about his grandfather's memories of Cadia. And he is still like a former Cadian guardsman, you know, he's still part of that tradition, but the battle that is like, you know, two campaigns ago for the space Marines was, two generations ago for right. the guardsmen that they're serving with. Mm. So that's another way of thinking about it. Like if your cool, battles yeah. are separated in time, it mm. means one thing for the space Marines and it means another thing for the guardsmen mm. who by three battles down the line are probably the grandchildren of the, um, the, you know, people you have in the first place, mm. but you can play with that. Space Marines is tricky. I think Primaris specifically is trickier because yeah. they've established that they are a precious, relatively finite thing. Mm um and also that space marine companies have a fixed number of people in them so like where are they coming from Mm. i think you just have to kind of replenish them from reserve companies and things like that yeah um also though i mean to be fair um two things help with space marines one is that they are really tough like down for space marine means can't keep fighting now yeah um it doesn't mean dead as everything like you know it depends how they die but yeah like you can have space marines survive like, a lot of people get buildings dropped on them in the horror mm. Heresy books, and they're all right. Yeah, it is 5. Um, the other th- side of it is that, um, you know, apothecaries come along and they take the glands mm. out of, you know, out of your head and they stick it in someone else. <laughs> so if you wanted to transfer, like, personality traits or, like, you know, sort of, again, traditions or, mm. or, like, even looks from one Space Marine to another, the next Space Marine you have, even the guy with his helmet off probably literally has half the genes of the last guy who yeah. looked like that. That's true so yeah probably explain it away mm. but yeah mortality is a, is a bitch apparently Damn. also i mean if that's really important to you like you want to name your dudes like battle scale is probably not the place to mm. it's better to play like some um kill team or some shadow war or something with those models you could do it with like
2: a couple of you could do it with a general who just gets wounded and goes back like yeah you can, you can fudge it a little bit
1: Next question comes from Dynamic Calories, who writes Hello Chris, Tom, and your many thousand tiny sons. Firstly, thank you for an excellent pod, which is more or less my first pod. It's filled the audio niche I was struggling to fill during the painting during painting along with CNC now. Secondly, a shout out to the Fantastic CNC Discord and Table Talk channel, which is a lovely place to share minis and hobby love. My question is mainly focused on nostalgia. Like many people, I got into games workshop as a child and being from Nottingham originally I got to see Lenten grow from a tiny shop nestled in the side of the ominous GWHQ into the wonderful Warhammer world. Sadly, as the hobby became too expensive for a teenager with split interests to keep up with, so did my interest wane, only for it to be rekindled with the total warhammer, Age of Sigma combo that hooked so many people back into the hobby. So now to the point. When finished when finishing a mini tonight, I popped open a pot of lead belcher, only to be hit by a smell that in that instant took me straight back to the old hexagonal pots of bolt gun metal. Pouring over books full of evocative illustrations, technical miniatures, and my woeful painting skills. It also reminded me of how strange it was to have a hobby stretch back so long with such consistent setting in history. Especially as my love of Skaven, as a thirteen-year-old boy, is being rewarded by them appearing in Total Warhammer Three, Two, Total Warhammer Two, the Total Warhammer Two. I've got it lost again. My question is this. What part of the Games Workshop universe hits you most acutely in the nostalgia gland? And are there any particular models, fiction, or even issues of White Dwarf that send you down memory lane? I could go on, but I shan't. Regards, Dynamic Calories off Discord. Um, So for me, it smells, it's um, poly cement Mm. and spray paint are the two things that make me feel like I'm 14 again, (laughs) um, specifically... If I was going to talk about models, it would probably be a lot of the old dwarf range. Oh yeah, because I used to have a bunch of dwarfs mm. as a, a kid, and like that was the stuff that I put the most time into painting. So those guys really like take me back. The also, actually, the forty k orc kit, which hasn't changed <laughs> That's in the same. like the twenty years or something. Yeah, it's
2: crazy they haven't updated that. Actually, orc's it's, it's quite popular. Um, yeah, I was, I was basing some, uh, my Vanguard hunts on some slate and, uh, I had flashbacks to the time when I based Orion, the big metal, uh, Lord of the Hunt. No, not a Ryan. Not uh, any Ryan. The, the <laughs> Orion. Orion himself. Um, he's kind of king of the wood. Um, and yeah, just like trying to keep that, that, that guy glued to that rock. It wasn't a, ever going to work <laughs> he just fell off every time i transported him um but it was it was still really fun that was a really strange model really cool um and should not have been made in metal <laughs> and an enormous cape that was way too heavy falling off mm, and god a massive drive. pinning metal models together yeah, is yeah. something no one should miss that's very true yeah, yeah um so yeah that was a pain in the ass Yep, the Alariel model from that same era. Mm. It's like, it's so static and weird. It's just a, a giant,
1: a lady with giant butterfly wings. <laughs> I, so because metal models are not a thing anymore, I use a lot less super glue. I still use it, but I use a yeah. lot less than I used to. Mm. Um, and so when I do stick myself to myself oh, now, yeah. I get yeah. that real feeling of like, ah, oh, I remember this specific pain. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very, ah, uh, yeah. Nostalgia. Oh, I, I've hurt myself quite a lot the last month in the pursuit yeah. of a lot of change. Stabbed. Glued. Yeah. Literally <laughs> summoned with blood magic. Uh, our next question comes from AW, who writes, walloping howdies, 13 and 30-year-olds. Um, thanks for the wonderful pod, it's dragged me back down the screaming pit of uncool that is my early adolescence. <laughs> the years in between, having been filled with comics, superheroes, video games, and Game of Thrones, so obviously much more cool. Um, so, uh, hang on, he says, Chris, I enjoyed your most recent blog post about your first minis, which is like a year ago, but cool uh the past six months of episodes and year of watching critical role has led me back in my parents attic where i've recovered an old warhammer quest box filled with variably painted variably poorly painted minis from decades past which isn't the first time i've done this based on the hero quest minis stored in the shelf same box self same box as i stare at these unfinished exercises in imagination and listen to your podcast um i get quietly itchy to finish them off and in the case of the chaos warrior do it much much better question one we'll do this one at a time tom which gloss wash are you using on your Stormcast? My Bretonian Knights will thank you. Uh, it's Reichland Flesh Shade Gloss on Gold.
2: That's what that is. <laughs> um, if you're doing silver, there's also a Noln Oil Gloss, which is black,
1: but I'm not sure how that turns out. Or not. It's, it's quite, it's, it makes it quite dark. Right. Thin it if you're not there sure. Also, if you, if you try and, you can try a little bit of Drakenhof Nightshade or any, um, any colored wash as well because mm. silver can let's pop out of anything yeah nice. that's my as they say <laughs> silver it can pop out of anything um two with gangs for Necromunda having been announced i wonder if games Workshop seem to have caught onto their diurnal variation of their punters onto the diurnal variation of their punters perhaps they've always known which as yet unreleased 90s gw fodder would you care to see again uh all together now more, more time, time. <laughs> very good definitely more time yeah um it's interesting like so given that skirmish exists and Mm -hmm. has sort of rules for i'm just gonna drill into this slightly i definitely want more time anyway yeah what is it about more time do you think that isn't satisfied by skirmish for example uh a good question i think a lot of it is the aesthetic um i actually
2: loved like the reichlanders with their guns and pirates and skaven and uh, something very kind of Enlightenment era scholars fighting rats in in a shit town. Ruin. Um which again is like very on AOS, Mm. but I I loved it. I thought it was so atmospheric and the art in that book was was beautiful as well. These kind of like um, very black ink heavy um lots of skulls with kind of rats and snakes crawling out of them stuff.
1: There's definitely incidentally for crossover video game fans, there's a complete through line for me from Mordheim to Dishonored. Mm. They're very different things, but like something of my love of like both settings is like Yeah, I think it's interesting was getting at cities but i don't have that sense of them yet because mm. like they're all kind of spectacular i want where's the crap one mm. you know where's the this this gummy under underbelly so. also i think those races kind of coexisting they don't coexist easily in in, in aos because the distances between everyone's homelands are so yeah. spread out mm. so that's a thing as well yeah but more time basically yeah that's great but yeah thank you for the question that's from aw um Our next question comes from Stu, who writes, Dear Emperor's Good Boys, Which miniature did you initially dislike, but then subsequently come to love after having painted one, or once you'd seen how it plays? Mine is the Fetid Bloat Drone from the Dark Imperium box. I wrote it off as being too odd to comprehend. However, after having painted the thing, I've fallen for its bizarre anatomy, and the one cartoonish bulging green eye I gave it. The poor thing really looks like it's seen some shit. Cheers for all the pods, Stu.
2: Hmm, maybe the Lord Veritant. Which is, um, I never disliked the model, um, but, uh, I thought his pose looked quite static. Now I've actually painted him up and I love him. I think he's one of my favorite looking Stormcast heroes. Um, got a nice purple star cloak on him. Um, he's got a really cool ruined blade and, uh, it's unfortunately he's crap in the game. <laughs> he's really not very good.
1: Um, for me, actually, I think this is Pink Horrors. Oh yeah. I really thought I wasn't going to, um, get any more of them i painted the two that were in the silver tower box and i just thought that i was going to go towards mortals like i thought i was going to go mm-hmm. all like mortals and try and make it quite grounded and things and i don't know exactly why i didn't do that really i think i i don't know some some point i decided i would give them a go and i actually like how they look I've Got a lot of them to rebase that's the thing mm. but um i like how they look and now i like how they and initially i guess i went through the other thing of like not really liking how they played because i they're so weird. They like, are weird, yeah. They, they're very good, though. They're very good, but they're not good in the way that normal things are good, no. where like they do a lot of damage, or they are tough, because they're neither of those That's things. True. yeah. They're good because they don't go away. No, it's true. And they cannot go away in a way that is really annoying. Mm. It's not that they don't go away because they don't die. Yeah. They die, but then they don't. Did they? Who knows? There's Leech.
2: lots of flexibility when you summon them back as well to like data change and start doing weird stuff with them. Um, and using, guaranteeing that with their destiny dice is, is, is pretty strong. And plus they can cast mystic, they can cast, they can cast mystic shield, um, as yeah. well, which is always useful. Sometimes. And so arcane can, bolt if yeah. they get it off, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but you? yeah. Okay. Next question comes from Craig, uh, which is a long one, to so bear with me. Hello. Mech Warriors and Mana Wars. I skipped a question. Just a second. Two seconds, everybody who's listening to this. I'm sure. Mm, yes, I did. No, I didn't. What I missed was uh sorry, I was gonna dial back slightly, and we'll mm-hmm. get on to Great question. Um I just wanted to uh thing I did miss which was um Fiena's intro, which was uh, hi there, Tomcast Eternal and Unknowable Thurston. <laughs> I thought it was an equally successful attempt at turning our names into words. Yeah, I just cool. reminded myself that that had happened, mm. how uh, we hadn't read it, so I just wanted to reiterate that. Good job, Pete. Uh, anyway, sorry. Moving on back to Craig, who writes, Hello, Mech Warriors and of Wars. Usual preamble about how I've gotten back into 40k because of the pod and much appreciation for the effort you put into providing us with the richness of your games and enthusiasm. The conversations during the Battle Replay section on July's pod were eerily reminiscent of a number of situations I've run into in my years board, card, and wargaming. To be specific, it was Tom's comments regarding actions being right thematically but wrong winningly, and then Tom's run-in with the supercharged... Um, uh, Uh, Tom's run-in with the Supertage Thalmitage. In both cases, I sympathise with Tom and his dismay, while also hearing Chris using the exact same arguments I've used in the past to justify the outcome. In my experience, this sort of scenario seems to come up more frequently with new players, but can be especially vicious when it's with someone halfway up or down the playing experience bell curve. Um, When it happens in Magic the Gathering or similar, it's usually a card interaction or a specific rule that the other player wasn't aware of, and is only relevant in this specific scenario that benefits me and wrecks you. When it happens in a board or tabletop game, I feel that it immediately drains a degree of enthusiasm from the other player, as though the information previously unknown basically invalidates the game and games before. Everyone on the winning side loves it when you get to pull out the trap card, but everyone on the losing side seems to hate it. According to my wife, I get that look on my face when I think I've pulled off something cunning. The question, then, is how did you guys handle this off the pod and before the pod? Has Tom put the experience down to a learning one, or will you be changing your army intros to spell out the combos and similar before you launch? There's a huge level of satisfaction in pulling off a complicated trap, but if it comes at the cost of your opponent's enjoyment, then is the sacrifice a valiant one? Thanks for listening, Craig. He just thanks for listening us.
2: <laughs> thanks for listening me reading that. The circle is finally complete yeah. between listener and podder. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. This one, like I'd, I'd chalk it up to just not knowing, what, um, not knowing enough about Chris's army list. And also, like, I just get annoyed at myself for feeling annoyed Actually, the same thing, anything. controlling salt is the actual frustration. I like, so I, my main reaction afterwards was like, oh man, I shouldn't have gotten annoyed by that at all. Like it was, it was just, just take it like as it's, mm. as it's presented rather than like being disappointed by it. But it's weird how like you can suddenly feel bad about something for no reason.
1: Yeah. That's the thing. Like I said that at the start of the part of something I keep coming back around to is like, I think there is an unex- unacknowledged degree to which successful miniature wargaming is about controlling your negative reactions mm. to things you can't really control. Yeah, but yeah. Just keep having fun, like yeah. And it takes active effort. I think. I think also like the rest of that game was
2: really interesting, and it was like a really close to four game. And um, it's easy to focus on the negatives when we're talking about stuff, but like the rest, it was still like a tactically rich and interesting. Um, battle. yeah,
1: and like so, there were two things that like happened that we don't really have control over. One is. Um, I started remembering rules that I keep forgetting Mm. and I forgot them in our game today. (laughs) Like the the is regenerating, the is getting stronger when he loses health, things I I remembered once Mm. and there's no way for you to control things. I will finally remember (laughs) I could have been doing the entire time. And that is, you know, that calibrated you to expect a certain degree of reaction from a certain Mm. reaction from things and you didn't get it. And I can't tell you that ahead of time. I'm I'm going to suck less. Like the other side of it is that, I mean, I think at the beginning of that game, I did say, I remember saying, I'm putting loads of eggs in, in the Thaumaturge basket this game. Like, I'm, mm. you know, I've got, I put loads of buffs on him, but simply reading through th- that's a tension that I don't think you can resolve mm. in a way that's going to be perfectly fair, which is you can read off the upgrades and we do do that and explain how they work. Yeah. But beyond a certain point, you don't want to explain your entire game plan. No. Like, you know, like I said in that game, if I'd said, I've put all these buffs on the Thaumaturge and I think this means that mathematically he has the edge against the, the, the fulminators, so I'm going to try and bait you into going down this flank so i can charge you mm. then that changes the entire game yeah and you can't even do it really yeah,
2: yeah. um yeah so I, th- I think it's like a it's better the more i've played because i've played way more games like because uh, i'm pretty much playing it, playing the game weekly now so like um it puts less pressure on each individual uh battle to like be rewarding in some way because it, it's it does take like, like we were saying earlier there's a lot of admin a lot of kind of like organization and getting a lot of stuff together for like a game each month if you if you know what i mean so if that's your monthly experience then there's more pressure on it to be like a, a more positive ex- experience whereas just playing it regularly now like I, i've i've, I've <laughs> I, I got horribly diced <laughs> a, a couple of weeks ago and you just sort of laugh it off once you're mm-hmm. actually playing
1: regularly i'm trying to just, I, I, like I, i'm trying to get better at losing like I, th- I don't think i'm terrible now but like i lose a lot so mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd like, it's important that I'm good at it. <laughs> like, yeah, um you know, like when I, in the f k game we played, we played last month. Oh, yeah. that couldn't have been more of a dicing. Like it was absurd. Disgusting. But it was fun, right? Like, yeah, it was still like, And I'm, I'm okay with that. Like I had, you know, I so I do get frustrated with X-Wing. I have been frustrated in X-Wing and been ashamed of myself for being mm. frustrated. I don't think I've ever been frustrated in a way that has affected somebody else. It's just the private stewing afterwards. Yeah. Or affected someone else beyond my friend getting my life story about that game afterwards, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but I do think, I do think that for, uh, for, as many great interactions between people that wargaming encourages, people do have attitude problems. Mm. I was, I was playing X-Wing at a place, uh, in a room above a pub last week when I was having a brilliant time. Mm. My new attitude kind of all my, my readjusted attitude kind of saving that game for me, but it was kind of surrounded by 40k players having arguments which was my old experience of playing. When I started playing X-Wing, it was often in an environment like that, where yeah. it's like one to X-Wing table surrounded by 40K tables. And this was obviously the previous edition of 40K. But the reason X-Wing didn't translate into miniatures for me until I got in, got Silver Tower was because every single time I was out playing my game, all of the 40K players were having arguments, were getting salty about stuff. <laughs> you know, if they weren't arguing explicitly, there was that kind of like heavy sigh. You know what I mean? The kind of like, okay, I'm going to roll this and... <laughs> And it just didn't want to be part of that at mm. all. And I want to make sure I do whatever I can to make sure that that's not the experience of me, mm. and it's not the experience of like whatever circle of players I surround myself with. I, I'm just not into it. And I, but it's not like I'm immune to it. I feel it. Yeah. When something goes t- like, I didn't mention it in battle report. Finally figured out i minimum buff at the Lord of Change today. Mm. So Lord, of, and this is just a wonderful moment of maths. Lord of Change has uh, he he does two d six range attacks. I rolled a nine. That's pretty solid. That's oh, yeah. great. I'd given... He hits on a three up and I'd given him the buff that means he re-rolls ones. Mm. So he's re-rolling ones, hitting on threes and I rolled oh, yeah. six twos. Yeah, that was <laughs> awesome I took amount. a photo of the six twos. <laughs> I'll put them in the show notes <laughs> and it was just... And my first reaction was... fuck, And this is when the game was going badly. Yeah. My first reaction was fuck and my second reaction was... Hey! <laughs> I've just painted this guy and he's just like... His his, his magic fireball spewing staff has just gone off like a sparkler. has yeah, going yeah. everywhere.
2: He's just happy to be there. I didn't always expect your brand new painted new unit to fuck up fuck the first time you. But, but yeah.
1: like, but you know, even then, even with this new, like this. Well, it's hopefully, always been what I want my attitude to be. Mm. But I'm trying actively to to maintain it. I even I saw those dice and I just had that kind of uh, yeah, yeah feeling. It's just about whether you make it the other person's problem. I think yeah, and also like
2: it all does it for it to be a dramatic experience. So you've got to have moments of disappointment, and if you you just decide that you give
1: a shit about what's going on, yeah, uh, to an extent. But it's got to be the I think. Think that's the thing. It, you, you're allowed to feel it. Yeah. It's about what you make the other person feel mm. because, like, you know, if it, if you have a negative reaction, then, depending on the other person's character, then you enter a negativity spiral because either they're going to feel bad for making you feel bad mm. or they're going to feel bad because um, they think you're not taking it well. You know what I mean? Like, it'll either become hostile or it'll become, like, apologetic and yeah, it creates yeah. this kind of, like, you know, you have to remember, dice even out over time unless mm. your dice are broken. You know? <laughs> like, Um, I still do this thing in X-Wing where if I roll an amazing damage roll, um, uh, like we had a good, we had a good moment of like unsalt in in the game I played where like I had, I rolled three natural hits on my three dice and, um, my opponent's ship had one health left Mm. and his, his, you know, it's his last ship remaining. So he's probably lost the game and he goes, and he has no way of modifying his defense roll, So he has to roll three natural evade results, which is less likely. And he, and as soon as I roll three natural hits, he goes like. Ah, shit! And he goes, "Well, here comes three natural evades." And he throws the dice, and it's three natural evades. <laughs> and he's like, "And we just both look at each other, like oh okay.' Yeah, all right, on week. with the game." And yeah. then he managed to get some points out of that game in the mm. end because that had happened. So it's just these things balance out, but mm. people don't take that long view in the moment. You you yeah. see it, and you're like, "This is this could only happen to me, the yeah. unluckiest man in the world." <laughs> ignoring the previous turn where something else
2: happened, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, it's it's that thing of focusing on the negative as well. You don't remember when it's harder to remember that time you got lucky often minutes ago with mm. the and yeah having a, like a, a knowledge a vague knowledge of odds as well is, you know yeah uh is and and recognizing when you've rolled over the odds which is saying and oh, when you've
1: given yourself the modifiers and things that make it likely that yeah. you'll go over the odds so like um you know i try like i keep doing this thing where because i think when you're rolling a lot of dice like 10 15 20 dice at a time your eyes take a moment to pass how many it is yeah. and because often the game structure dice have skulls on the ones you see all of them first mm. so a lot of my time worse, if it? i yeah. get like often i'll get like a mathematically average or slightly above average roll f- for like my pink horrors who hit on a four up when mm. they're shooting i roll the dice and i'll go like oh, oh because the first mm. reaction is oh there are Filled some ones yeah the second reaction is oh but i've hit with six which is slightly above average for a four up <laughs> yeah. it's like okay yeah actually i'm fine
2: like, <laughs> yeah mm.
1: yeah basically it's just a discipline thing
2: i don't think there's anything that's actually changed the way we play no i, I don't think it's a problem with the game You necessarily um i think there's a lot of it's, it's very hard to if you're going to play at a high level you literally have to learn every army pretty much
1: just to understand what things are able to do which is why i'm going to try and succeed in terms of friendliness points <laughs> and painting big men yeah on nice. Saturday. Mm. Our final question is more of a statement, and it comes from Isaac, who writes, "Dear Kroner and Ketz- Ketzel? K- oh fucking hell, it's a, it's a, it's a currency. Um, <clears throat> not really a question, as much of a statement. But with regards to the discussion about prices in the last episode, I've decided to look up the cost of Lego sets as a comparison to Warhammer, and it turns out that an X-wing costs seventy pounds, and that's not even the fancy collector's edition X-wing; it's the bog-standard children's toy X-wing. I now feel much better about splurging a relatively paltry thirty-five pounds." I'm a dark eldar jet fighter and very much hope that any children i have really hate lego mm-hmm. yours isaac yeah Interesting that's a good point. Point. hobbies yeah. are expensive that's They're a really on, good yeah. thing to come back to it's really hard to do multiple hobbies but mm. yeah i sort of yeah yeah yeah. Mm. yeah i'll tell you what i'll throw in a bonus round very quickly cuz yeah. jams wrote to say what is best in minis pick one thing now uh finishing a paint job that's exactly what i was
2: going to say yeah. fucking hell all right fine after all that all that's that's true yeah the moments comes together
1: yeah and that is all of the questions we have thank you for any of questions if you did uh if you'd like to send a question for a future episode of miniatures monthly do so by emailing us at miniatures at creighton that's our preferred way of receiving them hmm. you can and absolutely should hang out in our table talk discord channel which is a one of the channels in our discord channel which is uh, the link for which is available on our website at com. Everyone's really friendly. Good place to share your work in progress pics. And if you're just getting into things, you need help. If there's kind of like a, sh- like a quick painting advice question that you're thinking about writing in, but you don't want to wait a month, mm. go there. Cause yeah, people will help you out. Um, another shout out to Mike Debenham who produced our intro music. Uh, thank you for his, you know, again, for your amazing work. Mm-hmm. Uh, still rad as hell. Yeah, it's like it. Good- Um, and I can take it some more, (laughs) (laughs) uh, if you would like to follow us on Twitter or like follow our miniature stuff in social media, generally I'm on Twitter at C Thurston and on Instagram at exit warp. Tom? Uh, I'm on Twitter at PCG Ludo and I will start on Instagram again after my last one got hacked months ago. By, uh, <laughs> one a. <laughs> uh, You can also follow us, uh, collectively on mm. uh, Instagram at Minis Monthly, which is the feed for this podcast specifically. And you'll find some pictures there. Uh, and just to finally say that this podcast is a direct result of the Crate and Crowbar Patreon, um, which, you know, supports us enough to obviously get the equipment we need, but also, uh, to cover you know time and editing and stuff to make these things happen so thank you very much if you are a patreon backer and if you would like to become one or find out more you can do so patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar that is all of our stuff until next late month. september mm. when we'll return with stories of this event i'm going to mm. armies on parade general's handbook general's handbook mm. catch you next time guys bye-bye bye